Okay. <laughs> what the hell? All right, let's try that again. What's going on here? Fallen. We. we oh my God! What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> on his own. What What is he doing? Fallen. Right. I'm going to put you in one more time. We're gonna try this. I'm sorry, guys. I thought we'd be started sooner than this. Um, All right, I Fallen. Yeah, this last year. Hello, Fallen. Uh, you might want to speak Hello? up a little bit more. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me better now? Oh, you're perfect. How are you doing today? Hello. I'm doing good, thank you. How about you? I'm fantastic, and I'm ready to hear the first story of the night. So, oh, well. what do you have for us? Well, I'm from the United Kingdom, and it happened last year in uh, late... August, early September, I'm not 100% sure on a date because we went on a random fishing trip. Right. And we weren't catching anything, and so me and my friend decided to take a swim in the quarry which where we were fishing. We're in a shallow area because my friend is a very weak swimmer, and I called her over to another bit which was still shallow, but as she walked towards me, the ground underneath her gave way, and she fell into, fell off, uh, there's a ledge and it goes off into extremely deep water. Right. And she ended up struggling to, she couldn't get back and she was falling, going further and further away. At the time I didn't notice, but she felt a weight pulling on her. Oh, that sounds, that's making me feel panicky just thinking about it. And I panicked and there is a life ring, but I didn't, I have a, I have a terrible, terrible throw. And so I made the split decision to dive towards her. Right. Um, at the time I wasn't, I completely forgot out of, um, that you meant to approach him from behind, not from the front, and she got hold of me, and we were struggling there, but, and we were getting further and further away, and all this time, she told me afterwards this happened, that she felt something holding onto her legs. So she didn't which, so much fall in, something dragged her in. Yeah, and... The only thing that saved us, I, I reckon I wouldn't have lasted much longer, but out of pure luck, a lifeguard, an ex-lifeguard came around the corner and he managed to throw a ring. But well, I'm glad someone made it to her. Yeah, it was the scariest experience of my life because she was, she was a lot taller than me, so I reckon that's why I didn't feel anything kicking. Right, and you could have lost someone that day. That's a close one. Yeah, I could have. Well, we could have both died because I she had hold of me in the water. I was the only <laughs> right. person keeping us both afloat. <laughs> and when you're in that situation, yeah. when you're the one under, it's pretty difficult to uh, think straight. You know, I mean, if someone yeah. was near me and I had a chance to live, if I pulled them under, under, they would be so dead. Not gonna lie, they'd be dead. Oh no, I would have been. <laughs> but we, someone, someone managed to get a ring for us. So does she have any idea uh, of what that might have been? No, I actually looked into it and then what it could be. But interestingly enough, the quarry we're in, which is called Kiss Hill Quarry, is the first recorded death of tombstoning that happened in the UK. And that's to the only thing that I could find. Yeah. What is that exactly? Um, jumping from extreme heights into a large body of water. Oh, God. But the person was stupid enough to jump into quarry where there's boulders and mist bits about. Right. Sounds like someone did something foolish and ended up uh, becoming a, a ghost, maybe. Someone yeah, uh, bent on pulling that, someone yeah. else in. 
All right, thank you very much, Fallen. That was a really good story, and I'm glad you guys made it out all right. What do you guys think, Swamp and Clancy? It was a very interesting story. I've never quite heard of tombstoning before. Yeah, that's I what I was going to say. That, that's, that's, that's something new I've never heard of before. And uh, it makes sense why it's called that. I, I can't imagine why anybody would, would think to, to jump uh, into boulder-infested waters prepared for a tombstone. Yeah, just the yeah. term tombstone, tombstoning sounds really rough, you know? A tombstone? Yeah. Oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> All right, thank you, Fallen. We really appreciate that call. Uh, we're going to move on to the next one. Let me see. If uh, All right, Sharif. I have a story about having two encounters each week's apart with the same group of strangers that asked random questions about my personal info. I'm not sure... Uh, I'm not sure how creepy that can be, but we'll give you a try, Sharif. We are moving you into the show. Uh, be sure to go under the chat and make sure that you're not muted, okay? So, Sharif, whenever you're ready, you're in the show with us, and uh, we're ready to hear your story. Just got to unmute. Yeah, just got to unmute, and we're ready to hear you. Just do it! Don't let your memes be memes. Oh, well, next. Shy- All right, next. What Shia LaBeouf did? Seriously. <laughs> yeah, scared him off. All right, we're going to try... Let's see. Someone who's already in the in the waiting room, I'd like to see. Let's see, we've got one from Kay. It's horror stories about twins. We can try that. Is, is Kay already in there? Yeah, yes. Cape, I'll put him in the chat right now. Go uh, for it. Move to the show. There we go. Kay, you are on. Or not. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Man, okay, this is rough. This is rough. Um, I'll try... Let's see. Let's see who we can find. We have uh, quite a few in here that have sent some stuff. That are in the chat, so let me see if I can find one real quick for you. Yeah, I'm we just trying to ESO. match them. If you guys got... Spring, we got a Ouija board story from ESO. Go for uh, it. That sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'd All like right. that. You are on, ESO. Don't let us down. You're letting us down. <laughs> <laughs> ESO, we are in the chat together. Um, all you got to do is unmute that microphone. Or set one up if you don't have one connected properly. For everyone else out there, join the Discord with the link in the description, type a message onto that server with a summary of your story, and we'll invite you over to the chat if we like it. Shroomo, your, your second chance has come. we got, we got a full <laughs> house in here. Yeah, we do. Shroomo, not, I just not, not only chat for your redemption. There we go, okay. Shroomo. Okay, now he can hear. Now he can hear us, but he's still muted. Don't I believe in you, Shroomo. This is your redemption, and don't 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 waste it. <laughs> I think it's we'll just, just have to start bringing people in that have the mic unmuted. All right. Ah, okay. Man. We gotta try let's something. Just, let's just bring in this guy. This guy. This guy's got one. <laughs> We're desperate. Come on, eh? Don't let us down. Eh? Come on, eh? Eh? Sensitive. I believe it. <laughs> <I'm out. laughs> They're all leaving. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. There is just no <laughs> luck tonight. Maybe 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 these are just a bunch of people who are new to Discord and haven't set up 
Yeah, I don't think they've set up just yet. They probably just made their accounts. JC, don't let us down. Oh, now oh, they ain't got no hit either. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. All right, all right. This is, this is great. I like how iNab's down here if you have one chance. Here, this one. This one I know will be ready. This one this one better be ready. It'll be your balls, man. I All saw... Right, Master. I, yeah, Master Sen, Master Son, as long as you get that mic unmuted, we would love to hear your story. Oh, Jesus Christ, okay. okay. <laughs> are we, we getting punked here? Is this I a prank? I think we are. Should we, try, right. should we try it the other way we did last time? Or do you think this is the best setup? I think this is just easier, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Nobody's okay. Okay. Nobody's <laughs> comment in the chat right now. Yes. Just <laughs> if you are ready to be brought on, <laughs> comment right now. <laughs> Make sure your audio is set up. Make sure you've you've gone into your settings. Have have the mic set up. Have your headphones set up. Make sure you are ready <laughs> to get brought into the show. All right, I'm moving Mastason back in. She says, or he says, whoever they are, they say they're ready. Mastason, you aren't ready. You're you're muted. Uh, just whenever you got a moment, unmute it, and we would love to hear your story. Like today, there is there is a, a microphone button right under uh, where the voice channels are to the left of the screen. All you got to do is go down and click that microphone so that it's not crossed out. Layla says she's ready, so you bring her in. All right, well, Mastasan, five, four, three, two, one. We'll try you again uh, later. Okay, so Layla, I'm going to bring Layla in. Layla's already in. She's in, okay. Layla. Okay, Layla, don't mess this up. <laughs> This oh, is you pretty funny. This is pretty funny. Is there is there any chance that there's a setting on this uh, this voice channel that like mutes anybody who isn't a mod or something? No. Oh, Layla, can you hear us? Oh, oh, what? Layla, there. She says it won't work. So. Uh... <sighs> okay, we're gonna move her back out then <laughs> to the waiting room. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll try. Someone's got to have something. We'll try hey, and. We got, we got a full room. We got a full room here. Okay, uh, we'll try. Okay, the second chance for eh. Yeah, we. Oh, what? Oh. The. Eh, no. <laughs> okay. okay, it might be us, guys. I'm thinking it might be us. I don't, he, I don't, he got muted for a second. Us. It's definitely he got not muted us. for a second. Yeah, it, yeah, no. Okay, we'll pull JCR. in. JCR. JCR, yeah, go we're going to bring you in again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if I I, I can right click them and it says server mute and they're muted on the server. What does that mean exactly? This means they can't type. Okay, so JC, we we brought you on again. You said you're ready and you're not. <laughs> What's up, man? So should we <laughs> should we unclick the server mute? Well, there shouldn't be a server mute. It doesn't affect like your voice, so. Okay, I know I've seen Layla before. Layla, come on. <laughs> I just, if I woke up right now and this was just a dream, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. This is just some bad luck, man. It'd just be one of those, not, right. not nightmares, not really that bad, but just a weird anxiety dream that goes nowhere. Zotwood. Right. Not, not nightmares. Zotwood, can you hear us? Anxiety. 
Hello? <laughs> I could hear him listening to us. Zotwood. Yeah. Can you hear us? Oh, we can hear you now. Yes. Uh, do you do you have a story for us? We're desperate at this point. Yes, I have a paranormal story time. Yes. All right, just just go for it. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I have a paranormal story time. All right, just just go for it. Thank you, thank you. All right. Can you mute the Can you mute the while you're talking to us? Because because we can we can hear you right now, but we're also getting a lot of echo in the background. Um, my story is um, about the I've had sleep paralysis and shadow figures and just a bunch of weird occurrences. So I'm just gonna tell it to you how it is. Alright, so around two years ago ish, it started. Um, I was kind of in a bit of a negative headspace, and negative energy feeds off negative energy. So I think I kind of attracted something in a way. And I started seeing, like, it was only very small things, like quite minuscule. Like, I'd see shadow figures in, like, doorways or I'd walk past something and just, like, catch a glimpse in my peripheral. But, like, I'd turn and, like, there wasn't anything there. So I kind of brushed it off as, oh, well, I guess I'm seeing things. Right. And eventually it kind of developed more I guess I was in denial about it and like more things started happening I'd kind of be in like my dining room and I'd hear something in the kitchen or I'd be home alone with my dog and he'd just start barking and I'd go to see what he was on about and like there was nothing there and it was a bit unsettling like I kind of always felt like there was something else there but um you know I couldn't like prove it definitively and uh it got to the point where i started to have sleep paralysis and it was very like it was super i don't i can't even describe it it was just it kind of became like part of a routine i'd go to sleep and around i'd say three hours into my sleep around 3 a.m i'd have something crawling on the end of my bed And it really, like, I felt compressed. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. It was just, like, in a state of shock. But I knew knew it was sleep paralysis. But it still didn't take any of the fear away. And it kind of just kept occurring. I'd, like, go to sleep and um, I'd hear things running up the side of my bed. And I don't really think it was one entity. I think it was, I, I don't know what to think it was, but I don't believe it was one entity. Well, if it was sleep paralysis, that could be the explanation right there. Yes, yes. But then it kind of led into, like, I kind of started seeing these figures in real life. So right. I'd, see, I'd see, like, apparitions as I would walk, and like walking down my hall and it wasn't really anything like to say oh my god I'm being haunted by an entity but when things started moving like I just couldn't explain that and I tried to like explain to other people but I just I just couldn't articulate really what was going on because I was in denial about it 
and it was so scary, honestly. It sounds like your dog spotted something that night. I, I would definitely believe what your dog may have been barking at. I mean, dogs yeah. don't do drugs unless you put it before them in some baloney, but yeah, I think dogs can see things way before we do. So that was, that would have creeped me out right from the start. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, he's a pretty timid dog um, to start, so I was just kind of chalking it up to that. Right, yeah. Well, uh, you got anything else to share with us tonight? Uh, no, not really, um, but thank you for having me on the stream, Darkness. Well, thank you very much, and uh, thank your lucky stars that you don't have anything else to share. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> have a good night and stay safe out there. Thank you, you too. Lit. Man, I haven't had sleep paralysis yet, and I'm not looking forward to it, to be honest. All the accounts I've heard of it, it just sounds horrifying, to be honest. <laughs> no, in, in in my in my opinion, like sleep sleep paralysis, I've had a, a sleep paralysis a few times, um, but I'm really into like lucid dreaming. So sometimes I I try to actually give myself sleep paralysis, um, but so sometimes it's horrifying. But a lot of times, if you go into it with a good mindset, it's actually not that bad. But if I can't move instantly, bad day, bad day. That that it's really alarming because it's weird because you can feel your body, but you just have no control over it. And that can be horrifying. Yeah, it would. What about you, Swampin? Anything similar like that ever happened to you? I've had sleep paralysis once, but it wasn't like anything like that. What was yours like? What was your experience Honestly, like? I was just kind of like stuck for a few seconds with an eye lock with something with some deep red eyes. And then like, after that, I was just more like shook than anything. So Okay, that would, sh that would very much shake me too. First wow. time it happened, I didn't even know what was going on. I, I just woke up and felt completely paralyzed. And after about ten seconds, I just shot out of my out of my bed, just like screaming because I was trying to the whole time. Um, but then when I my body finally woke up, it was. I, then I can, when I learned what it was, it was like yeah. Right. I can feel that feeling of waking up screaming. I've had that happen a few times before, and it is not nice. Okay, so we're gonna bring someone else in. Uh, you got any ideas, Swampy? Um, Long has a story and apparently knows how to use their mic. So we're going to test that right now, Long. I, I will say when we brought on uh, the the girl we just listened to, I forgot her name already. It's my bad. Um, when I right-clicked and pushed server mute to unmute the server or whatever, we could hear them. Long, Hello? Uh, launch. There we are. It worked again. I think it's something on my end. I, I don't know. Uh, but how are you doing tonight? I'm pretty good. Um... I've been subscribed to your YouTube channel for a little bit, so, um, I think, so, I was in a play called South Pacific, I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but we were in a really old opera house, been around for, like, uh, 70 years, so, basically, the first day I auditioned, we were in, you know, the bottom part of the, uh, opera house, we would just be hearing creaking, and I know that could be just the building shifting, so I didn't think much of it. At least you but hope it's just the building. But as time progressed, uh, it got weirder and weirder. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with this, but uh, the lights that go up there, there's usually like a catwalk, and it's really high up. I'm scared of heights, so I really don't... Um, I didn't really like going up there, but I had to. So as I was putting the um, lights up, everything was fine. I went up. There was like a small 
staircase is like really, really thin, only one person at a time. Right. Right? And I went down, I was starting to go down the stairs, and I just felt this, like, I bet just something violently push against me, and I almost fell down the stairs. Go back up there anymore. <laughs> I wouldn't and, either, it sounds like life or death. Um, I don't really have much stories, but here's one that's a little interesting. Um, there was apparently some guy that had fell off the, uh, stairs seating. Fell off that and apparently had died. And I'm not one to believe in, like, oh, some, some dude died here. It's haunted. But really weird up there and I just didn't like going up there and yeah, apparently apparently on um, one of the uh, occasions that I was not there because I wasn't needed some girl got locked in the bathroom oh that'd be a, a terrible place to be locked in yeah someone just like literally got locked in there and they could not open the door right see I don't know uh, at least you're in the bathroom when you're going to pee yourself, because that's how scared I would be. Yeah. But, uh... Well, I, if, if I was going to be locked anywhere, I'd, I'd rather be locked in a bathroom than anywhere else. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you got water to drink and pee in, so you're all good. Right, thank you very much, Lon. Nice refreshing bath. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so, real quick before we continue with this, I do wish, just want to say, Swamp Dweller, the amazing mofo, and Second Clancy, not the first, the second... Uh, their links are in this, the, the description if you want to hear stories narrated by them and all their content. Be sure to subscribe to them. They're amazing folks. I want to get them at least two subs. Two subs. So I can help two a little subscribers. bit. Two subscribers. Please get I two subs. I only need one more. I only need one more. That's all. Yeah, and then he can't have any more. YouTube said no. So, yeah. <laughs> alright. Okay, so next we have... Oh, I, I had their name there for a second. They went away. We have Shroomo. So Shroomo, your your redemption. It might be my redemption. Shroomo. Shroomo's redemption. Hey, I'd watch can that you movie. Hear me now, guys. Yes, Shroomo, we can hear you, man. How you doing? Oh, beautiful. I'm doing good. Thanks for giving me third uh, third uh, chance. <laughs> it was probably our mistake. So whenever you're ready, go ahead and share with us your scary your scary story. I'm ready just now. So, uh, I have to say before I start that I realized that this story is cliche as, as, um, uh, but I swear to God that this is true and it's kind of a phenomena that was happening to me when I was a child. I would deep, moist breath. It's given me chills just now talking about it. I would hear it. A lot of the times when I was falling asleep, I actually think I repressed a lot of the times when it happened. I distinctly remember two occasions where maybe just because they were so terrifying. So, uh, first occasion I'm going to tell you was when I was on a sleepover and Let's just say that that house needed some renovations. They were 
and uh, uh, you know it was like midnight and I had to go take uh, take a pool uh, downstairs and his room was upstairs so I down uh, this creaky old wooden stairway it was scary as shit like as it is but uh, that's right and uh, there was this small window up on the wall higher than my head when I was sitting on the toilet and you know I was sitting there taking a taking a doing what I needed to do <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah uh, and I, I suddenly heard breath you know right from this window I don't really remember what happened after that I think I just uh, as quietly as possible and uh, most scary thing that ever happened to me and just uh, think was I heard this breath again we were my friend well uh, not camping we were near this like uh, Buddhist temple where our parents used to like people from city would go there and meditate and we were camping in a tent outside Yeah, I was falling asleep and then suddenly I heard the breath like right outside of the tent so I was like punching my friend to the shoulder a little bit like to wake him up and right. uh he was like, what What the fuck are you doing, Adam? I hear the breath again, and he didn't hear anything. It was, uh, yeah, I... Because I have, uh, I have insomnia, like, since I was a child, so it often takes a lot of time for me to fall asleep. I lay there for, like, three more hours, and then... Also, I remember those two times, but I also remember that uh, many times it happened uh, when I was in my room, but that was just like I was lying and then I heard like just one inhale or exhale. It wasn't my breath, it wasn't like I, it was out of sync, you know. So do you think something is following you? It stopped uh, when I was like 14. That's strange. Did you ever see anything? anything? Never saw anything. Just that, just heard that breathing. It's very interesting. Okay, that that is very. Maybe creepy. it was. Have you ever considered that maybe it was uh, trying to get you to to smell its breath to see if it needed a breath mint because it was a little self-conscious? And I think it's probably even more self-conscious now, hearing you <laughs> tell that. You know, honestly, I would hope that's sensitive of you. But if I heard breathing at night when I was just trying to run my bathroom break, also it, it was like a very sick person breathing. So it was like a wheezing, like that. That does sound extremely weird. I hope I don't hear no breathing like that, Shrumo. But thank you so much for a. Uh, coming on and sharing your story with us tonight. Uh, thank you. I love uh, all of your guys' content. Thank you. Sure. It was good hearing from you. All right. All so, right. you know, if, if, I, if I hear someone breathing in my ear, I'm probably not going to be that freaked out. But if, if they're all sick, like if I'm getting like phlegm particles on my cheek, yeah, that'll, that, that might that'll freak make or break it for me too. Yeah, that's disgusting. 
Honestly, yeah, Girl. like, especially if it's, like, wheezing or something, man. I just, like, it's just, like, the sound alone makes me cringe sometimes. So imagine, like, you can't see who it is, and it's just, like, in your ear, and you're trying to take a shit or something at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> like, already, nope. the whole house is already hearing it, if it's me, because I don't, I don't go quiet. I'm going to move uh, Oki Tyler up in here. I would like to hear a dogman story. He says he's got one from Missouri. Oki Tyler. <clears throat> Let me see. Oklahoma, brother. Tyler, can you hear us? Tyler, you're in the chat. Uh, you're in the show. If you're ready to share your story. All right, Tyler. Uh, if you get your mic working in the near future, we would love to hear from you. But I'm gonna have to take you out, okay? That sounds violent. Uh, Elena is ready. I'm gonna need to snap your neck if you don't get this fucking working. Today, okay, Tyler. I uh, know. All right. So, uh, yeah, we'll bring Elena in. All right, Elena, you have the floor. What's up? Hi, Elena, how you doing? Good, how about y'all? We are fantastic. We're ready to get spooked. What do you got for us? Right. I've got a sleep paralysis story that happened to me about five years ago. By the way, just before, before you start, I'm going to rate this when it's done on a scale of 1 to 10 on spoopiness. All right. <laughs> and if it's not completely spoopy... I mean, I still don't sleep on my back happen. if that... That, uh, helps. <laughs> Alright, go ahead. This is gonna be good. I was in about the seventh grade, yeah. And, uh, I was going to bed one night, and just something felt wrong. And I don't know what. It was about 1 a.m., I fell asleep. But, it felt like I had hands around my neck. And then all of a sudden, I heard little kids giggling and running down and up my bed. And there was a shadow figure at the end of my bed standing there watching me. So I thought, okay, maybe if I close my eyes... It'll go away. But whenever I tried to close my eyes, all I saw was just bloody, mangled faces. So there was no escape from it. So I thought, okay, if I scream, someone will come, you know, snap me out of this. So I tried to scream, and I couldn't. And then finally, I snapped out of it and started bawling, and I ran into my mom's room, and I was like, I don't know what, what just happened. I, I can't go to school. I can't do this. And I, it sent me into a major panic attack. So, yeah. That's, uh, that's, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, hearing sleep paralysis stories are probably the, one of the most interesting things to, to hear about for me because um, really even paranormal. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's all... Like, what scared me the most was the shadow figure at the end of my bed, because that's something that's always terrified me, is waking up and having something watching over me. Yeah, and, your room yeah, is supposed to be a very safe place, but once that happens, it doesn't feel safe yeah. for a very, very long time. No. Luckily, I've moved rooms since then. Hasn't happened again, so... Well, I hope you stay safe and no more shadow figures take any interest in you. Oh, thank you. I was going to tell my best friend's Ouija board story, but he doesn't really like to talk about that, so I felt that that would be like privacy invasion <laughs> yeah like a breach of contract all right that'd be yeah. fine but if he ever wanted to come on or she uh they are welcome to thank you very right, much elena right. no problem you guys have a nice night yeah what you're saying clancy like if you get sleep paralysis the hallucinations and feeling is enough to scare you without anything being seen like truly seen or paranormal it's, it's interesting when you read about shadow people because it's a phenomenon that 
you know, it, it happens across the board during sleep paralysis. Not everybody sees shadow figures, but it happens a lot. And, uh, and it's interesting that it happens independently across just groups of people that are completely unconnected. That when they experience sleep paralysis, they can see these shadow figures. It probably just comes down to fear of the unknown. Right. Um, so it's just this, this mysterious figure that you've know, you got to be on guard for. Um, but it's still very interesting, still very creepy. There's a lot of lore and, and shit that you could you could dig into there if if you wanted to. Um, Definitely. That's to the fun. Sounds like there's a, sure. a missile dropping. Uh, swamp. You got any? Uh, you see any stories like uh, creature sightings? Um, I believe there is one or two. Let's see, we got Aztec warrior who's ready. I'm not sure what the story's about. Oh my god, I feel so safe. Bringing a warrior on board. Uh, I see some people asking how to join the calls. What you got to do, the directions are in the description of the live stream. All you got to do is click that link for the Discord. Create an account if you don't have one. You might have to download Discord as well. Uh, But join that server. Tell us your story in a sentence or two via a message. And then we'll invite you over or get get in the waiting room, actually, and we'll pull you into the showroom where we're at uh, if we like your story and if we have if we manage to get to you. Okay, Aztec Warrior, what do you got for us? Show me the way of the battle. I believe you, Aztec Warrior. Don't make me think you're a Pontiac, Aztec. Show me the way. Show me the... Oh, okay, he's gone. Um, Alright, is L the creepypasta down here? Um, yep, I'll add him right now. Alright. Your story better be good, and better not be a creepypasta. <laughs> Alright, L the creepypasta. You are live with us. I don't think you can hear us, though. And he's gone. Okay, so anyone with a monster story I would like to read. Kind of get a good balance of uh, different types of genres here. Let us know what you got, Brothers. Show us what you got. Show us what you got. <laughs> All right. As um, he wishes for redemption, but I don't think they have a, a monster story, so... Yeah, anything creature-related, I am up for. All right, let's see. A robbery story? That's not a creature. No. It's close enough, though. This guy was a monster. He killed a little girl. It's not a I don't believe you. All right, I have one from Rami. Rami, we'll call you Rami. Let's see. All right, Rami. Yes, hello? We can hear you. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you? I am fantastic. You've got uh, kind of a bizarre demon story. Tell yeah, us I Tell us about really. that. Well, um, basically, I was around 15 or 16, which is about... Uh, a couple of years ago, when I was working in my mom's uh, fish and chip takeaway, it used to be my grandfather's in England. And what happened was I was working late at night, and I kind of fell asleep on the job. But I was peeling potatoes for the next day, so eventually my mom comes in, she yells at me for a bit, then goes back upstairs. And I'm about to lock up, and we have a big glass window in the front of the shop. So this, I hear four tapping sounds, and I look and see a woman in an army uniform. Oh, boy. 
Now, this isn't, it's not weird to me. This was a military town. It's the home of the British Army. So it's not weird to me. I don't think much of it. Right. She asks to come in. Keep in mind, this is at like three in the morning. And I just tell her, you, you can't come in. Sorry, we're, we're closed. So she just smiles and walks off. And as I'm going out to lock the door, the, she just vanishes. And it's not like we had, we had a, quite a, a long, a short street. We were near the end, so there was a wall on the outside. So there was no way she could have just jumped across or whatever. There wasn't even a road nearby. That's freaky, especially at three in the freaking morning. Oh, that's not, that's not where it ends. Eventually, (laughs) I just, I'm too tired to think about it. So I go up and, and our house is connected to the shop, like to the side. So I'm walking up these stairs and I hear something rattle, like it's like plastic bottles in um or something or something that it it sounds like plastic bottles but it was a bit more dense. It sounded like a bunch of bones were moving or something, and it gets louder and closer and I run because I'm too I'm really scared thinking that maybe I forgot to close the door and a mugger was trying to chase me or something. So I close it and I run upstairs, slam my door shut and the rattling stopped. But in my window, lo and behold, the woman's there again. And we're like one like two stories from the from the ground. And she's just standing there by the window, but this time she's a bit different looking. This time she has pointed teeth and she's smiling at me and she's kind of waving sort of a bit or like or peering in oh that'd be too much for me to handle I would I would sincerely hope someone spiked my drink that night and that's all I was seeing yeah I it's yeah basically um, I it was kind of like when I was watching that your video on the McDonald's story seriously it was like she was standing there just looking at me and licking her lips as if I was food in the window or something like in like in the restaurants you see. Yeah. And she asks again, "Can I get you to come in?" I'm too tired to think, and I'm just pissed. So I grab the pillow, ready to throw. But when I turn back, he's gone. So you were nearly fast food for something. Not fast food. We worked in a fish and chip takeaway, so you know, obviously, <laughs> we, I was I, I'm a British-born Chinese, but. I'm like third generation, so it used to be my granddad's, but now it's uh, my my mom now. She used to run it now, but not anymore. But I'll get to that in a bit. But still, this um, the next night I go work again. I'm working the graveyard shift or something to clean up, and I see her again. But this time, her face is really decrepit and so sunken that I get terrified just looking at her but again she had something about her like from last time because last time she had this army uniform on but there was like a patch on on it that was like a skull and I thought it was just like kind of like a tough thing like a those pub sort of things yeah so I just see her and I'm terrified to let her in I just immediately tell her no you can't come in she does the same, leaves again. I walk up, hear that rattling, and I'm scared out of my wits. I damn near shit my pants. 
I <laughs> go up, see her again. I yell at her, like, go away for God's sake. She vanishes again. This goes on for, like, two months. And eventually, I try to find someone to talk to about this, but um, I tried telling my, my mom, who is the manager, but she just thinks I'm, she thought I was making this all, I was, um, she thought I was either making it up or, or she, anytime I brought it up, she'd try to change the subject immediately, because it was like she didn't want to talk about it or she knew what was going on, I don't know. I tried to tell my brother, but he, but he had no idea what I meant, and he just, he again thought I was making this up, and when I tried to tell my dad, he, he just literally thought I was trying to get attention or something. Of course, yeah. I don't. I doubt any of my family would believe yeah. any sort of sharp-toothed yeah. lady like that. But what are you yeah. gonna do? So, so maybe, maybe she was just really into body modifications. You know, I've, I've seen I've seen pictures of uh, people who file down their teeth oh, into face. God. Just the thought of filing your teeth—it's cringing. Oh, I'm cringing awesome. hard. Yeah, it's quite painful. She, she just wanted to eat eat at a restaurant like a normal person, and you know she goes in and and, and you know this this all, this all comes down to being rude. I think. I think at you should have. Three in the morning. At three in the morning, exactly. <laughs> She's rude at that point. Who comes in at three? I have a life too. I want to sleep. <laughs> exactly. Don't well, uh, uh, Rami, uh, thank you so yeah. much for that very enthralling and goosebump-filled tale. I wasn't done yet. Oh, keep going. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it, darkness. This is the this is this is also I promise. I'm sorry if I'm keeping a bit too long. Oh no, we don't have any time constraints. You go for it. So when eventually this goes on for two months and it follows, this thing follows me everywhere. It follows me to school. It follows me home when I'm working and when I'm with friends. I didn't tell them about it because I didn't want to freak them out or anything. Because I didn't want to get them involved. But eventually, I'm so tired and my face feels like it's going to fall off because I'm so tired. Then one night I decided I had enough. I'm, I'm done with this. So I just looked at her and said, you know what, fine, come in, what do you want? And just as I'm about to get to the door where she is, my body feels like it's being burnt. It's like I'm be. it felt like my skin was burning severely. What you do to try to remedy that? We well, we now I know you guys. You you might think that oh, you know, you might have the heating on. You know, it's cold in it's cold in England. And no, it's not. This was in in June, and the 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 heating and air conditioner it it was it's been broken. So at this point, so we had it in the shop somewhere else. Right. So I saw as I got closer, the burning got even louder. It, it, not louder, like it got more painful, and I had to just just step away from the door and just not let her. In. I said, "Sorry, I can't let you in." And usually she would just smile and walk off, but this time she scowled because every time I saw her, she was smiling with regular teeth and with um in the in the shop window, and she'd have like a skull on her. Eventually, the next day, I tell my granddad, who's just having some tea and he's just reading the paper. Keep in mind, he's like eighty now. 80 year old Chinese man so I tell him and I said no one no one's believing me why won't people believe me I swear she was there she was there I swear to God and he looks at me he gets really worried and really grim and he says to me 
What you saw was a Baigujing. It's a Chinese shape-shifting demon. I knew it was a matter of time. Jesus. Oh. Yeah. Is there any way to get rid of something like that? Well, that's the thing. I told him about it, and he told me that when he immigrated from Hong Kong, his family didn't want him to leave. So, So when he did, they paid a shaman to curse him with this demon, and it will curse his family for <laughs> generations, family. for eight generations to come. So, did he get this curse, and when he left to England, he brought it with him, and now it's haunted. He said that everyone in our family has had some encounter with it, and I asked him, what does it want from me? And he told me, it wants to, it wants your flesh. Why she... hasn't it gotten your flesh, though? Wow. Why do you think she was staring at me like a cake in a bakery shop? I hope she doesn't get your flesh. That sounds really painful. I mean, if... I prayed to... Yeah, we, and we tried... And I told him, what do, how do I get rid of it? How do I stop her from, like... From, you know, biting me like a, like a fat kid in a donut shop? <laughs> and I say to... And he says to me, we need to perform a ritual... Um, a, um, an old Taoist ritual... It's called a gong tang or something. It's like witchcraft. So he does this ritual. He he calls out. He does prayers and chants. He draws some blood from his hand to and puts the blood in, over the door to prevent it from coming. So eventually, we don't know if it for some time I didn't see it, but eventually after a while, um, I immigrated to a different country, out of England and. I don't know whether it's back or not, but recently, which is like literally a couple of weeks ago, I got a phone call from my granddad, and he's asking me, is that, you know, is everything okay? How is everything? So, you know, we're having a conversation, then at the end of the conversation, he says to me, oh, I have one more thing to tell you. And I said, um, yeah, what is it? He says to me, you remember that, that, the, that demon that was following you? Don't worry about it anymore. And he sounded happy, which is a bit strange. Not that he's like, not that he's a bad person. It's just that when he talked about something like this, he wouldn't be in a cheery mood. And this was a bit weird to me. So I tell him, you know, why are you so happy? You know, you know, well, how do we know if it worked? He said, you don't need to worry about it being in England anymore. And I'm confused. What do you mean? He said, because I, because I know it's with you. That sounds weird. I think you oh. should have, if if it wanted your flesh, but all it was doing was just looking at you through. I think you, I you know, I think it's scared of you. I don't. That yeah. that it it like it, it can't actually get you because if it wanted your flesh, it just like walked right up to you, tried try to take a bite out of you. I think you should have no, gone no, outside. You should have bitch slapped it. Should have punched no, it in the face. You can't do that. Over, ripped it's leg off. The thing is, though, with the Baigujing, because he explained it to me, the Baigujing is a shapeshifter, and it will take on the form of anything to try and encourage its victim to go outside or to come close to it. Kind of like, you know like how mermaids, they kind of, you have that siren to get sailors to come in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. Basically, it would try to get me to come outside or get close to it. Either it would... Um, it either would morph into something attractive 
or I don't know, it would try to get me to come outside or come close to it. And every time I thought that it was genuine, I'd get that burning feeling again. And it honestly, it feels like being put in a in um you're being put in an oven on maximum. That's what it felt like. It felt like I was being pulled into hell. I'm glad something was there signaling you that something bad would happen if you went outside. Maybe there was a charm in the building, or uh, who knows, maybe ancestors looking out for you, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's the thing in, in with, Chinese, with Chinese culture, because your ancestors were supposed to protect you, which is ironic because his fam- my granddad's family basically kind of cursed him in a way. Well, I hope... I wish you the best of luck with this. I definitely wouldn't want to be eaten, unless it was in a sexual way, of course, but this is definitely not sexual. Anyway, uh, thank you for your story. I really like hearing different horror stories from different cultures, and that was a pretty juicy one, so thank you so much for that, Rami. That is pretty interesting. I've never heard of that that being before, but it sounds pretty horrifying. What was it called, a bigogen? A a bigogen, yes. We do have a, uh, a dog man story, if you want to hear it. Dude, I am so ready for Dogman. I've let's got get a doggy style. stocked up for you now. So, Moon Spirit, let's bring you on. He says he's ready, or they're ready, and you are on. I just want to take a second to thank uh, your maker for sending us over some traffic. Thank you for the views, your maker, you sexy bastard. Thank you for the clout, sir. The clout poisoning. All right, so, Moon Spirit, you're on with us. Headphones uh, muted. Yeah, Moon Spirit, I see that you're talking. Your name's lighting up, but your headphones are muted. Hmm. Yeah, right next. Go, go ahead. Can you hear us? Moon Spirit, I'm dying to hear your story. What you got? I'm not sure if it's going to work. All right. All right. We got JCR with a shapeshifter story. That works for me. Next best thing. All right, JCR. Let me see. Oh. Oh. Ow. (laughs) We can hear you, man. Um, Hello. How are you doing? Um. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> R.I.P. headphone users. Yeah. Rip. Uh, do you have a story to share with us? Yes, I do. All right. Whenever you're ready, we are we are here to hear that story. I had. Uh, from this, okay, sorry. Um, I have this true story about my grandpa. Uh, what my grandpa told me, and, and, and this story is about my. Um, this story happens to do with my grandpa's grandpa, um, whose name was Salome, in the 1900s. I'm sorry. I'm just. <laughs> this is my first time actually. <laughs> Oh, take your time. Sorry we're, about we're, that. You're you're fine. Mm. My um, let me repeat that. Um, it's because I'm autistic. Um, my grandpa told me the story um about his grandpa 
basically uh, in the 1900s basically encountered the shapeshifter um, and how he encountered the shapeshifter was basically he was doing you know cow work for for you know you know butchering some cows and right. it was during the time where basically where um, they <clears throat> where they actually um, sorry um, <laughs> she would just so embarrassed okay <laughs> um, let me calm down that's alright take your time um, so my my grandpa basically butchered cows and this was during a time where it was basically this a season where you know about the you know where the crops were being like you know um, worked on um and my grandpa's, you know, grandpa's name is Salome, and he went up to this, you know, trail, which basically is in somewhere around in Mexico. I don't know. It's like near mountains. And basically, my grandpa told me that the mount, the mountains where my, you know, his grandpa took was basically a very notorious place for known as like for gangs or like robbers and actually um, my, my grandpa's uncle basically died in that trail and this um, so as his grandpa goes up to this trail this trail you know, where the mounds are you know this okay um, and he actually encountered something which kind of is going to be sound this is this is going to sound weird um, his grandpa encountered this which basically was really weird and and I think he says it has like red eyes so right. anyway this oh, oh what's wrong oh no you're fine keep going okay um, sh- um chicken was you know standing right there as he was taking the cattle, um, and his, um, his uncle—I mean, not uncle, sorry—his grandpa basically you know started tying a rope and saying a prayer backwards called um, Magnifica, and this chicken was trying to blind him, and as he was you know, trying to pray, you know, also was wearing. Um, holding a uh, machete, um, pointing it at the, you know, this chicken. And what happened was, as he finished the prayer, this chicken turned to a woman. And he, this, my grandma basically, if, I'm sorry, um, um, his, his grandpa basically told the witch, alone, uh, uh, um, and stop doing the evil business that she's doing, and that's basically it. I'm just so sorry, and also um, um, that huh? that's it. Oh, that sounds that sounds scary. That sounds, you know, I would be spooked. I would too, even though I didn't encounter the, such a thing like this. Yes, I'm actually a aspiring writer who basically is trying to um. As well as actually writing stories based off of my dreams. 
Well, you did very um, well telling this story. You you really did. Absolutely. And I, I love hearing uh, uh, stories from like your ancestors, basically how how what your grandpa may have seen that was frightening, especially. A chicken turning into a woman. That's. I feel like I've heard stories like that uh, from Mexico specifically. Same, same. But uh, thank you very much, J.C. Rolf, for calling in, calling in your story today. Okay. Beautiful. Uh, all right. So, yeah, I would like to get a dogman story. Uh, people are requesting that hardcore in the chat. Uh, do we have and anything similar to that? Come in and share your dogman story. If you have a dogman story, come in with a working mic and share it. Bring it. I'm totally ready for a dogman story. Put, put the money where your mouth is, brothers. Put your mouth where your mouth is. All right, Spinal All right. says they have one. Well, yeah, okay, Spinal, I'm going to bring you in. And if it's not 10 out of 10 spoop, we're, gonna, we're never going to talk to you again. 11 out of 10. You're on, Spinal. Can you hear a spinal? Your headphones are muted. Of how we're like, spinal, you can't hear us. Your headphones are muted. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then. Well. Alright, so we'll have to bring someone else in. Let's see. Little Moon Mistress says they have a creature story. So, I Little like Moon username. Mistress, you are on. Little Moon Mistress, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Hi. Oh, you sound great. Uh, how are you today? I am now a little afraid to tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, take your time, and whenever you're ready, we're, we'll be happy to hear it. <sighs> okay. Um, mostly because, well, it's going back in memory lane of something super freaking horrifying. Also, question. Can I cuss? <laughs> oh, cuss your heart out. Oh, Thank God. Hey. <laughs> you mean, thank fuck. Oh, yes, yes, thank fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, whenever you're ready. Okay, so, one summer, my family and I went camping, like, traditional camping, not with motorhomes and that kind of shit. Um, but for some reason, while we were driving to um, the campsite, me and my best friend had a really, really bad feeling. Like, that sinking feeling in your gut when you know something bad is going to happen. Oh, Lord, that's um, always how it starts. <laughs> Very cliche, yes. Um, so we got to the campsite place, campsite place, whatever, and started setting up our tents and tables and coolers, and after that we just chilled until dinner time. Right. In which we made the traditional, like, hot dogs and hamburgers. That sounds delicious. But it was, from what I remember, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, my tummy really started hurting. So, me, I just thought mm, maybe the food wasn't as great as it tasted. <laughs> right. So, I decided to just go take a nap, and I did. But I woke up in the middle of the night, and everybody was already down for the night. So, I... Played with my phone for a bit until I felt sleepy again. Again, I still felt sick and my stomach hurt and I felt nauseous and hot. Like, the 
keyword. I felt hot. Like, when you're sick, when you have food poisoning. Like, okay. Yeah. That out there. Um, one really key thing I remember during this whole experience was that I was cold. Not like I was shivering because it was cold outside, but just a lingering cold feeling all over my body. I was under the blankets. I felt warm in my blankie burrito, but my whole body felt cold. Right. I don't know. I can't explain it. Um, but after a while, like an hour or so on my phone, I put it down to try and get some sleep. And I... God. Not even a minute after I heard someone shuffling things outside on the tables. I thought it was just one of my family or somebody from the other tents getting a snack or water. But then I, oh my god, oh, it's freaking me out, I'm sorry, now I'm shaking. That's fine, uh, that means it's a it's a good story. Uh, it's just, I actually wanted to animate the story soon and put it on my YouTube, oh god, it's so weird. But then I, I heard something being dragged, like along the dirt. And it was it was farther from my tent, but once I turned over to ask my friend if she heard that, the second I turned, it was it got close to my tent. Like one minute it was all the way over there, and then the next second when I turned around, it was right in front of the tent, right. my tent. Ooh, sounds creepy. So it was horrifying. Um, so. Whatever was being dragged was now in front of my tent, like right where you would unzip it to go in and out. So I turned again and I stared at the entrance of my tent, frozen. Right. I kept thinking to myself, reach around, get something to protect yourself just in case, but I couldn't move. For the life of me, I could not move. You right. know how people say, like, oh, I'd be brave or I'd be a hero when the time comes. Yeah, we'll see no. about that. Yeah, no, when you're scared, you're fucking scared. <laughs> so here I am, staring, frozen at the entrance of the tent, and the noise stops in front of my tent. Oh, boy. My heart here it comes. <laughs> my heart dropped, and it felt like... It felt like forever that I was just sitting there and staring at the tent. And I was trying really hard to adjust my eyes to see if I could see anything, and eventually I did, which I wish I didn't. It, it, the figure, oh my god. It was huge. Like, a bear that looked like, mm, let's say a goat man. Let's, it's like huge like that. It has, it, just yeah, just go, let's go with that. Mm. Mm. After what felt like forever of just staring at that figure, and it looked like it stared at me for a long time, it began to drag the thing around my tent. Just mine. Not around the campsite, just my tent. What was it like dragging something? exactly? I don't know. That's the thing. <laughs> that's that's probably the scarier part. Exactly. Like, what the did you see any details of what it was dragging? Like, did it look like a bag? Did it look like some sort of... It sounded... Was from it what I remember... Oh, 
from what I remember, it sounded heavy. It's like, it's definitely a body. <laughs> but did you did you notice if it had tits or a vagine? Oh my um, god, no. I did not see that through the tent. <laughs> okay, okay. I just had to know. We need to figure out what, what gender we're, we're <laughs> dealing with here. All right, uh, go ahead with the rest of that. I want I can't wait to hear more. This is weird. It it's unfortunately there's not much left to it. It's just it was just dragging that thing around the tent like it was taunting me. Like it knew I was awake or something. Uh eventually after just me staring and listening, I didn't hear it anymore. Like, you know that that ringing sound you get in your ears sometimes? Yeah. It would be like that. Like the ringing sound happened and then it was gone. So, from what mm. I tried to ask my friend in the morning, she said she didn't hear anything that she was asleep and I asked if anybody went to go get a snack and they all said no. And I I'm thinking from my point of whatever just happened, my stomach hurt, maybe I had the stomach flu. Maybe I was having a fever dream. I would hope so. <laughs> Hopefully it was just a hallucination and it wasn't Krampus trying to pick you up or something. Oh, no. Yeah, that sounds Krampus, awful. Please, no. By God. Maybe, just, maybe, it was just, maybe it was a salesman. It was trying to sell you something. It, maybe it's trying to sell you some bowling balls. It's like, listen, these bowling balls are heavy. Check this out. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, just like dragging them around for ball. Yeah, I'd be sold. If they're dragging through the dirt that much, they're heavy. I love me some heavy balls. But anyway, it's your local Krampus. Not, don't worry about your local Krampus. Local Krampus, yeah. Get in the bag, bitch. This is Probably bad bowling balls. Get in the bag. <laughs> All right. Any, anyway, thank you so much, Little Moon Mistress. Do you have any other stories to share with us? Oh shit! Who kicked her out? Oh, oh that's 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 <laughs> Little Moon Mistress. Thank you so much. Uh, you were, uh, you had the highest audio quality out of anyone so far. So thank you for that. And that was a very delicious story. I've uh, never heard of one. Yeah, I've never heard of one dragging something around, and I'm hoping it wasn't a dead body in a bag, because it could have been you next. All right. So what do we have next over here? Okay, we have two creature stories, and one Ooh. we have from Who and, and hopefully this time Moon Spirit will be ready. So first we'll bring in Who and because they've been very patient, and then we'll bring in Moon Spirit for redemption. Hopefully. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, who and? Don't let us down. Who and? Ah, I use land. The darkness prevails and stuff. You sound like Lazy Masquerade. Uh, the best things happen in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing yeah. today? Uh, quite, I'm doing good. Uh, I have the stream muted right now. It'll be really confusing. And I have an attacker story, actually. Um... Don't know how creepy it is, but we'll see how it is. Uh, start where you're comfortable with, and we're ready to listen. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, basically, what happened was... Uh, story happened, like, last year, mid to late 2017, if I remember. Um, don't know read the exact time. It was definitely night time. Uh, 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. So, normal night, I was playing Xbox. <laughs> I think it was Xbox or whatever. Right. And, yeah, um, sorry, I'm just reading off the page notes. 
And then all of a sudden, uh, one of my close family members, I won't disclose their name, just privacy reasons, just, he's an uncle by the way, so shout out to him. Um, That's all the uncles out there. Yep. Uh, he just walk, walks in and he's covered in blood and it's like, what the hell just happened? Like, I was actually shocked when I saw him come in. Oh damn, I'd be, I would be shocked too. Yeah, so I was trying to see what was happening. It was days and stuff. The uh, rest of my family found out as well. And eventually uh, police uh, showed up, which was crazy. So, yeah. So at this point, I was wondering what the hell was going on. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, eventually what I, f I found out later on is that um, so my uncle was walking home at night from a gas station. but And then... Apparently he got jumped upon by, I think it was three guys, and yeah, they beat him up, and um, I think they stole, they only stole one of his, his new phone, because he has, still has an old one, so yeah, so that's what happened basically, and um, really shocked all of us, and the area why, where we live in. Why do they got to be so violent? All you got to do is I... ask, I will give you everything off my back as long as you don't hit me. See, there's a yeah. more important lesson here. Like, when he mm. fell, he dropped his pocket spaghetti. His spaghetti. Yes, yeah. he did. No, See, if you, if you lose your pocket spaghetti, that's when this becomes an issue and it's personal. Yeah, you don't Ooh, want to touch that, people's that is... No, you don't want to touch it. <laughs> so, yeah, um, don't worry, my uncle's fine now. Um, I'm glad. actually moved up somewhere. Yeah, so, crazy night. Um, still surprised that the police had to be called, like... It didn't make lo no, local news, luckily, but still. Yeah. Right. Just, yeah. So, yeah. That's all I have. Sorry it's not really snoopy <laughs> or spooky, oh, but... It's anything that's that dangerous, either to you or a family member, someone you care about, that's terrifying to me. I mean, if my mom or dad or a brother came home and they were bloodied, mm. I would instantly be all over that, like, are you okay? What the hell just happened? Yes, same, definitely. Same. So, I guess the lesson here would just be be careful, careful when walking home at night. And do it. Just uh, find a safer way. If you get but, jumped, lie down on your stomach and cover your head. Just let them pry oh, the yeah. crap off of you that they want. I guess. God, you can't. You can never predict what people are going to do. Thank you so much, Huend, for this this quick but juicy story. That All was right. Too real, man. That that just. That that, was, that, I think that, that was a good. I think that was a good kind of refresher from, like, all the paranormal crazy stuff we hear all the time. Something like real world, like, true crime kind of something, kind of, like, bring you back to reality a little bit. Yeah, I've been in that Total situation fun. before. My, uh, cousin, I won't say names, but, uh, he was very much a del delinquent. And every time he'd get out of jail, because, uh, he was bonded and he had some sort of drug dealer who had money to bail him out, uh, he would go straight to his parents' house and, and beat the hell out of them. And they, they didn't do anything. He was just an angry person and drunk. And we used to live right next door to them. And they would, I would, we would go over after the ambulance shows up and they'd be bloodied and crap. Just, god damn, that's not something I want to see again. But I'm glad his uncle's alright. Definitely. It's awful. Bring pepper spray, people, or uh, something to protect yourself. Luckily, here in America, uh, you can get guns. And Got our AK-47s, brother. AK-47s. I'm definitely yeah. pro-gun, because if uh, you can't buy a gun legally, 
they're going to get a gun illegally if it's not legal there, basically. So you don't want to you want to be even in the fight. I always carry around a dozen sharpened number two pencils. Um, the best self defense you can get. <laughs> that, yeah, what worked for me one time when I got jumped by about a dozen dozen people at once was just scream, "I have AIDS." <laughs> it seemed to work pretty well. <laughs> They'll be fleeing. They, they um, would. Oh no, he's got it. Go run. All right, so uh, let's get into something else. I'm a brave thing. Okay, Moon Spirit. We're going to try to get this Dogman story finally going. So, Moon Spirit, your redemption is now. Show Daddy Darkness what you got. Show us what you've got. Show us what you got. Come on, Moon Spirit. Hello. We can hear you. How are you doing, Moon Spirit? Can you hear me now? Yeah, we hear you. Loud and clear. Okay, how are you guys? We are fantastic. Ready to get spooked. What you got for us? Okay, so I live in Pennsylvania, right? A little town called Allentown. Right. And basically, me and my family traveled to McChicken for a little while. Uh, like two or three days we spent there. So basically, um, I'm I was 16 at the time. I'm now 17. So we were driving there, and all of a sudden I noticed some um, something in the road in the like in the side of the road. Can you start? Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, we can hear you fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, cool. So I noticed this, this. It's not like a dog or like a coyote. Coyote. Give me a minute. Uh, was that for us? It's, I think he got interrupted. I think maybe his mom walked in the room. Hello, hello. Yeah. All right. All right. We're here. We're here. Okay. So basically, um. We were driving, and I saw this, like a coyote creature. It's like a little, more like a coyote, a big one. And it had, it had this big red eyes. And it was super buff, like seven, eight feet tall. I looked at it scared, but it looked at me confused for some reason. Right. And um, it's just, I don't know if they're scared by the sound of the car or anything, but it ran off suddenly. Did you say it looked um, like a coyote? Yeah. It, it, it didn't look like a dog, per se. It looked, the face looked like a coyote instead of a dog. Right. I think that would be scarier. A coyote-looking dog-man thing. Coyote-man, if you will. A <laughs> coyote-man. So have you seen it uh, after that? Any time after that? Um, no. After that, no. <laughs> I'd consider yourself lucky. I would not want to run into that in the middle of the night. I know, man. Like, it's fucking weird. It is. Thank you, Moon Spirit, for that Coyote Man story. That's freaky. Yeah, yeah. 
also got some um and very alien story. Well, not very alien, but an alien story that happened to me when I was five. Go for it. So when I was five, um, I was sleeping next to my mom in the middle of the night, and I woke up and I started seeing. You know the like the little lights that when you close your eyes you see a ton of them, and when it's dark. Yes. So. I saw them, I woke up and I saw a lot of them in my room, and then I look at the window and I saw, like, this thing uh, um, close to the window, and it was, look at me, it was like a silhouette, and the head was, do you know those, uh, in the medieval times, those, those clowns, like the fools? Yeah. So its head was the shape of that, and it was look at me, and he put his hand in, on the window, and I I was like, Mom, Mom, wake up! Um, what is that in the window? And she said she didn't see it. She said, What are you talking about? And and then I saw Mom look at the little lights, the little lights, and she said, What are you talking about? And then I turned on the lights, and it wasn't there anymore. And then I turned it off, and it was there again. And I, I was the only one who could see it. I don't know if it was my imagination or anything, but I don't know, man. That's insane. Oh. I hope, uh, if it is your imagination, that's still pretty wild. I wouldn't yeah. want to see that again. Me neither, bro. I, haven't I, I, seen I would be thoroughly again. spooked. Yeah, thoroughly spooked. Thoroughly. I wasn't the only one who could see it, and my mom didn't see anything. Ah, she's crazy. But it, I, I know, I don't know, I know I was awake. Because I know it wasn't a dream, I know I was awake, and I, I saw it with my own eyes. Right. But yeah, yeah. Let's hope you don't see anything like that ever again. Or at least yeah, not any, any more close than it was. Uh, thank you for your stories, I appreciate that. Um, thank you, man. Thank you for uh, letting me be here and tell my stories. Anytime, man. You have a good night. You too. All right, next I want to bring on uh, FSASAD, who seems to have some pretty good basement ghost stories, I believe, is what I read. Uh, let's hope they have their setup going. S believe in you. Sad. So, so. So, so sad. I, th I think he's fancy enough. The D is silent at the end. My D is never silent. Oh, hello. Can you guys uh, hear me? We hear you loud and clear, sir. We are ready to be oh, spooked. Stream and the, let me mute the stream. Okay. So, I just want to say first and foremost, uh, this story is a little long, so sorry if it gets kind of tiresome. I'm trying to make it as short as possible. Oh, that's fine. Whenever you're ready. Oh. I guess the story begins when I was 10. When I was 10, uh, I used to hang... I still do. I hang out in my basement a lot. It's where my PS4 is. It's where the mini fridge is, all that. And for most of my life as a kid, it was fine. I never felt anything creepy down there. I never, you know, felt like there was a presence. I always felt safe. Right. 10, things started getting really creepy. Um, when I, I think the first thing that happened that tipped me off that something was not right in my basement was 
when I used to, you know, um, there's always that meme of people running up the stairs when they turn the lights off, trying to get caught by a demon. <laughs> you mean human instinct? <laughs> um, I, I used to have that happen to me a lot, except I would turn around to turn, close the door, and I would see something sitting at the end of my stairs. It was like... It ties into the other events. It was a figure. It was maybe seven feet tall, hunched. Like its head was kind of... The Crooked Man, where the, the guy's head is like hanging down below his shoulders. Ooh, that sounds freaky. Kind of, yes. Kind of, a lot like that. Well, I used to think... Oh, uh, when I was little, I used to tell my parents, and they would say, well, stop thinking, it's your imagination, go to sleep. And then I'd go to sleep, and I'd have nightmares about it. Like, I'd have recurring nightmares about it bursting from my closet, and I'd wake up. When I was uh, 13, used to, what happened was you would hear something bum-rush. Like, imagine something is dead sprinting away from something that terrifies them. And that kind of sound, that kind of frantic running. Yeah. Basement stairs, into the kitchen, and then it would just stop. You could hear the basement door opening. My na my parents told me it was our neighbors, and for a while I thought that was the obvious cause because they used to have family problems. There'd be a lot of yelling, a lot of arguments, whatever. Except I recently learned that when I was thirteen, the neighbors' kids had already moved out. Yeah, there was old, even at the time, too old to have done to like you know do that frantic sprinting up and down the stairs. So. That's some nightmare fuel oh. right there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, every night, uh, around maybe three or four, there would be these frantic things. It would start uh, somewhere in the back of my basement. I could hear it in my room. It was so loud. It would open the door, slammed against the wall, and then nothing. In the morning, uh, the door would always be open. That's weird. Huh. So, when I was 15... The footsteps got worse. They would no longer just run up to uh, the kitchen. What happened was, my kitchen is connected to my living room. The door to my basement, the basement to my door, blah. The, <laughs> the door to my basement is in the kitchen. So it would run up into the kitchen, stop, and then I would hear slow footsteps going to the living room and onto the first step that leads upstairs, and then it would stop. Right. So, you know, I kept telling my parents, you're like, don't talk about it, don't talk about it. My parents uh, became very touch-and-go with the basement, you know, things with the basement. Whenever I tried to bring it up, they would shut me down, they would say, don't talk about it, you're not allowed to talk about it. Or they would, sometimes they would outright punish me for mentioning it in front of other people. Sounds like they knew something. Uh, um, I recently actually, uh, this brings up, my mom told me the other day, she said, she didn't want to tell me this case, so freaking out, but she used to have nightmares about a creature coming up the basement stairs towards her. Huh. Sounds like a lot of nope to me. Taking yeah, a whole lot of nope. <laughs> Just taking too long. Do I have? Should I hurry up, or is it we good? No, no, no. Uh, you take your time. I've got, I've got all day. You're good. So sixteen, the age comes around. I'm in high school. I'm not, I don't even remember when I started high school. I, I <laughs> uh, only because in high school I participated in a few clubs. I'll be out of the house until maybe four. So I would come up at four. Everybody would be there. I'd go into the basement and be alone. Imagery. The front of my basement uh, is separated by the back of my basement by a wall and a built-in shelf. Over one part of the wall, 
the one part of the shelf is the curtains to the boiler room where a lot of activity happens in the boiler room. And right. then through a pair of curtains, because we took the door down a while ago, leads to the actual back. Back there, there's the boiler room, which uh, you can look through the curtains in the front, straight into the boiler room. And the work room, which is, uh, you have to actually walk to it through the back. Scary things. Like, it, it, it sends a chill in my spine to mention them right now. Uh, what happened with these curtains? Like, one time my friend came over. I had him over a lot. Uh, I still do sometimes. Uh, he came downstairs. He looks at the curtains. And he says, Brooke, is your dad in the boiler room? The pizza for us. It just arrived. I'm like, no, why? He says, something is moving in the boiler room. I stopped with the pizza. I walked downstairs. I look where he's pointing. Sure enough, something behind the curtains is moving. Is incredibly tiny. I'm, th I'm saying you could fit maybe an adult person in there max, but it's moving like something back there is like twisting around. Oh, here comes the jump, the jump scare. He's physically touching the curtain. So me and him look at each other, and uh, he, he or not, I deal with fear in what I call the stupid way. If something scares me, I go right towards it and I try to beat the fuck out of it. There should be more people like you, sir. That, you're a hero. Oh, no, it probably will get me killed one day, honestly. So, I, uh, I walk right up to the curtains, I throw them to the side, I'm shaking, I'm fully expecting to see something on their side. Not even an air current, there's nothing. We put the curtains back in, we walk back, we watch it for a good five minutes, something happens. And went home. He refused to stay for the night. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd stay there either. Something uh, shifting around behind curtains, Jesus. I don't fuck with something's basements happened. anyway. More stuff's happened with these curtains. Not just the curtains, the boiler, the curtain that leads to the back in general. Um, when you're down in the basement, people, even complete strangers, never been to the house before, complain that they feel something watching them. And every time we ask, where do you feel it coming from? They point towards one of the curtains. Right. And, uh, a person over who was, uh, it was my brother's friend. He was all into the paranormal. He says, there is, I feel like there is something watching me behind that curtain. I don't think it's friendly. So, at this point, I was so fed up with people saying, there's something behind there, they're not talking anymore. I'm like, you need to elaborate, man. We get this kind of thing all the time. He says, it feels like something back there is peeking through the curtain every once in a while, and it's Ooh. too big to be back there. That is a like, creepy thing to imagine. Yeah. He said it felt like it was physically too big to fit in the small boiler room. Jesus. In there. Like it was just, like it wasn't peeking out because it wanted to see us, it was peeking out because it had no room. <laughs> it was trying to hide too. Uh so uh one of the biggest things that's come from this is this feeling of constant paranoia down in the basement. Uh things will be fine. In the living room you're fine, in our bedrooms upstairs it's all fine, but then you go into the basement. Thing right now, I've had a chill down my spine. I don't know if you could hear it earlier. Uh, just talking about this. Whenever you bring up the topic, whenever you bring up uh, the basement, whenever you bring up uh, the boiler room, a sinking feeling of paranoia. And it's not just like, at this point, it's evolved from something is watching you to something is following you. That feeling follows you, physically follows you all the way up the stairs until you're out of the basement. Oh, God, I, I don't think I'd be able to handle that. Boiler rooms are scary is, as it is. Yeah. It still continues to this day, and now some more physical things happen. Like the other day, um, there's a steel, basically a steel roll of shelves above the sink with all with a bunch of stuff in it. 
The other day, uh, me and brother were downstairs and we heard something fall. And we go into the back, you know, trying to make sure the plumbing... Sometimes, the one time the pipe exploded, and when it happened, the uh, we didn't go back there immediately because we just thought something fell, was nothing. We go back there to make sure nothing is, like, the basement isn't flooding. Uh, the steel... The steel... Hut. The steel shelves uh, had been physically taken off um, and all of the uh, all of the um the stuff in them was all over the basement in the sink in the wa- in the open washing machine all of it and we tell our mom our mom's like it's nothing it's a washing machine we try to tell her the washing machine's off he says I don't want to hear it don't talk about it anymore go downstairs don't talk to me that's a wee bit odd uh, <laughs> a wee bit a wee bit. Uh, for another thing, my parents refuse to go into the basement. Whenever something needs to go in the basement, they make us do it. They will physically stay away from the basement as much as they possibly can. To the point where one time, um, our dog went into the basement. Our new dog. He, this was recently. It was like a week ago. Our dog runs to the basement. Dad tries to get him back upstairs. I'm sitting there. I'm like, just get a treat and leave him upstairs. And my dad turns to me and says, I'm not doing it. You grab a treat. You go down there. You bring him upstairs. He says, just because, just because, just do it, do it. Yeah. Well, I do it. The dog comes upstairs, and I close the door. I'm like, they are happy. And my dad's like, shut up. Just don't mention the basement. Just stop. He's saying, don't mention the basement. Uh, now, I've actually done... I have a whole Reddit post on this that I've tried to... <laughs> uh, I'm not going to advertise myself. That would be dumb. Nope, not going to do that. Uh, I actually have... Right now... Yeah, someone's saying uh, set up a like camera a overnight down there. I took of my basement just as a reference for the Reddit story. I could send it to the stream somehow. How would I even... I believe you so can... Of... Uh, let's see. What would the easiest Order. way to do that be? You can post it in the messages. Post it in the messages and hopefully everyone will see the link. People, uh, I got a lot of shit about it for posting it in the wrong format on Reddit. But people on, uh, not I mean on Imgur, because Imgur is anal about how he posts things. Uh, people on Reddit said that they would look at these pictures and get that feeling of paranoia. I have one person who messaged me and said, I look at your pictures and I got a panic attack. Uh, uh, I freaking would too. Uh, this this story has definitely drawn uh, me in. That's This is weird. This is one of my favorite stories of the night. Chat. Hopefully I'm not boring you. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm um, going to try to show this picture on, on the stream. Give me a moment. Oh, there's one right there of the... Yeah, people in the people in the messages are saying, nope, nope, I don't want to look at that. People are freaking out. <laughs> this reminds uh, me of looking at these pictures the curtain, right now. That is the curtain that leads into the back of the basement. And I've said... That that was taken completely still, standing still. I, I don't remember moving at all for the motion board to be there. Uh, and people keep telling me that photo freaks them out. That photo, uh, I can't, they can't look at it. They can't feeling that radiates off of these photos, and uh, I'm not sure if anybody else will feel it. But then, one of the most recent events. The story is still ongoing. If I, uh, well, uh, before I get into recent events, I should go into research I've been doing. I'm ready for more. Um, go ahead. My parents wouldn't tell me. My parents wouldn't tell me anything. My uh, my neighbor knew nothing about it. To put in, um, for a little bit of history, these houses are in a row down a cul-de-sac. They're fairly recent. We are maybe the second owners of the house. And the people who owned the house before were an old couple. 
an old couple. That's a boiler room door you're looking at right now. Yeah. Uh, the the old couple lived there. They left. Nobody died in the house apparently. That workshop door. If you can pause on that, that chain. I always ask my dad about the chain. He says I'm. He says he doesn't want to talk about it. It's there for no reason. The chain. <laughs> Bull crap. There is a reason behind that. Uh, and so I'm looking to the reason of this house. There's nothing strange about it. It was recently built. Nothing happened in the house, from what I can tell. It's just fairly creepy, and I'm thinking this is weird. I'm wondering why my basement has so much, you know, this strange activity in it or anything. So I went to my little brother, who's not here, by the way. I would have him talk if he was here. He went to his friend's house for the night, uh, and I asked him, uh, little brother, I'm not going to drop his name on the street, that would be stupid. <laughs> right. What do you think it is that's in the basement? He looks at me and he says, honestly, I don't feel like it's an entity. I feel like it's something else entirely. He says, that's the boiler room itself. You, people tell me they get the chills looking at that room, that picture. Uh, he doesn't think it's a ghost. He doesn't think it's a spirit. He thinks it's something entirely different. He thinks it's like... Yeah, if it's a spirit of some uh, sort, it's probably up to no good. It feels too... Backgroundish to be, uh, someone posted I'm a hoarder. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, just it's not my basement. It's not my basement. Uh. So if you had to guess you... what may have gone down in this basement, what do you think happened? Man, they're big. That it's made off of negative energy. My family had a lot of fighting. There was an event in my family that really turned the whole, uh, you know, whole house upside down. Uh, people went to the hospital, somebody went to jail for all of it. And I think years go by, as the negative energy got worse, the activity got worse. You know, at 10, uh, there was, you know, just the, the guy at the bottom of the stairs. At 13, there was the footsteps that went to the kitchen. At 15, the footsteps went into the living room, to the uh, upstairs stairs. I think it's the negative energy, because it definitely feels negative. When you go down there, it just feels... I'm not even sure how to describe it. This strange, dark, negative, paranoid feeling. Not to mention claustrophobia, and, for sure. It's a pretty cramped space. Uh, I've seen, like. I'm looking at the chat. Some people have said claustrophobia. It is very cramped. Which is strange, because normally when you think of haunted places, you think of big mansions, you know, something that you can set up all kinds of stuff in. It's almost creepier knowing that something at any point could reach its hand out and grab you. Oh my god, you have no idea. Um... Near all I've done all the evidence I have. Talking about the little things will take hours, and I don't want to take up all your time, other people's time. But one of the most recent uh, things that's happened that's really freaked me out is um, sometimes I have even of it on my phone. I'll have to upload it later. I'm not sure. I don't know if I can get in contact with you guys again. Um, I it happened recently. Sometimes when I go into the back of the basement to do things, you know, go to the bathroom, do the laundry, whatever, I'll come back in the front. And you know that black curtain you saw with the motion blur? Yes. Like, something is holding it open, and then it will slowly, uh, it will, like, something will let go of it, and it will slut. My parents tell me it's the wind current. It's the wind current. You know, it's you going through the curtain to the other room. In fact, I've tested full dead-on, you know, running full tilt through the curtain, looking at the black curtain, the curtain doors. Nothing happens. It's still. Go into the back, come to the front, be held open. It's peeking out. 
and that will and then something will let it go and it will close all the way. Oh yeah, that's definitely. And no as drag. I said, I think I have video of it on my phone. My phone is currently dead. If I find some way to send it to you guys, maybe like a link to your Twitter or something, I will be sure to find that video and send it to you. If right. uh, just message it. I believe you can put put it right in the Discord chat. I would love to see I, that. I have to charge my phone. Maybe it'll even be there by the end of the night. But it certainly is. Um, the things down here. I'm just going to end here because you know I. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take up too much of your time. I apologize. So, uh, is for the past, I mean, I'm uh, 18. For the past 18, no, eight years, there's been something in my basement, and it's growing seemingly stronger. And it's growing more daring, and it's growing bolder, and it's getting worse. Everything I've told you tonight was enough to spoop your audience a little bit. Yeah, I think they absolutely love your story. Thank you much for having me on. Hopefully, uh, the pictures helped convey the feeling of there. I think I'm about done. Uh, I don't waste any more of your time. So. <laughs> well, thank you so so much. That's definitely definitely my favorite story of the night. That's creepy. You provided pictures that your pictures themselves had a very bad aura about them. Just ugh, it gives me bad vibes, you know. Pictures are definitely spoopy. Very spoops. Or gets me. But uh, thank you so much. Uh, I forgot who it was we were talking to, but... FSA... FSASD, I think. So sad. That was a damn good story. Very epic. I like it when they're long and it just grows. He mentioned at the end there that uh, it seems to be getting more ballsy. Uh, You don't want to let that continue. I would definitely get some sort of a spiritual fighter in there. It sounds like there's a lot of poltergeist activity, honestly. You know, I read... There was a book in my library in junior high that went over poltergeists and said they are most commonly found in homes with pubescent teenagers, and it linked poltergeist activity to hormones. What do you think of that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's... uh you saying the edginess uh, brings it out? <laughs> the edginess, <laughs> The edginess yeah. attracts the I mean, poltergeist? Poltergeists are, poltergeist are commonly known to be caused by the emotion of the people who are living in the house. So technically, yeah. poltergeists aren't paranormal, but... Um, or in, a, in the sense that, you know, the movie Poltergeist is, but... Like, I don't know, right. I never know. Like, he said there was some crazy stuff that happened, so maybe that energy is uh, building, and maybe the energy isn't necessarily going away, so maybe it's building and becoming stronger. Or maybe it's just some fucking pissed-off demon who's trying to rape your homies, but... I'm just going to pretend it's like a Sasuke-tergeist. Sasuke-tergeist. So fucking edgy. That's what it is. Okay, so... Alright. Who do we have here? Have you guys seen anything that sticks out? Some interesting-sounding stories. There's a few in here. But I'm not sure if they're going to be picking up or not. But we can try them, I guess. Alright, give me your best one. The one you have a good feeling about. The one I have a good feeling about is... I believe it was a Dogman story, and it was oh, by Spinal. So, Spinal, if you're ready, you are in the show. Yes, please. Tell us your creepy creature story, sir. No, oh, it's okay. low Spinal. You can't hear me, but you do it. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Maybe I can do some sign language out to them to get the message. Spinal, you have... You, you're, Imagine how hectic the last chance is dwindling away. 
Spinal, can you hear us? Please talk. I want to hear a Dogman story so bad. Oh, we need you right now. Please. It's Spinal. I don't think... Oh, man. And they, they're they gone. Okay. All right, what have you, whatever you got next, I'm, I'm fine with. I'm very happy right, about the last just, story. That was good. Let's just get through this list. Let's just get through this list. Okay. Aztec Warrior. You've been spamming. Let's hear it. All right. One second. Please. Aztec Hi. Warrior, we can hear you. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Uh, well, this is a story. I don't know if you know about the Rayona, the lady that drowned her kids, you know? Oh, shit. That sounds terrifying. Okay. Well, I have a ranch in Mexico on my mom's side of the family. And this happened, like, maybe five, six years ago between me and my little sister. But I wasn't there because I ran away because they chopped my pig's head off that day to eat. Oh, uh, been there. Yeah, and, um, Damn. <laughs> my, my, my sister and my cousin... The ranch house, there's two five ranch houses on this property in Mexico on my grandmother's land. We got it from a rich man back in the mid-30s who was giving out property to all the poor people at the time. Okay, so that's how we got our property. Just give me a background story. Right, that's fine. I do love background information on this kind of stuff. And then there's a cornfield we work on in the back where all the corn grows. And there's a river that goes through it. And um, my cousins and my sister, it's like Christmas Eve in Mexico that day. And my sister and my cousins wanted to play a game they made up. It was hide-and-go-seek, but the Rayona version, I guess. My sister and my cousins went to go hide. My sister was playing the the girl who was supposed to drown the kids, you know, and go hunt for them, right? Ugh, that sounds like a terrible and game to play. I know! I don't know why they made that up, but my... Okay, so my sister's in the back of the tree line, right? There's a tree line by the by the cornfield and my sister was like okay I'm ready because I'm coming for y'all and then she starts hearing wailing and crying about a mile in the back of the cornfield and she and my cousins were like hey who's crying and my sister's like not me I was the one supposed to cry and supposed to go after y'all in Spanish right and they right. all turned towards the cornfield right and then my sister um, she looks and there's a lady calling out her name saying Bianca, Bianca, my niña, come to me. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it was pretty scary. And my sister told me, yeah, they they just ran, they booked it from the very back of the ranch. Uh, Let me remind you, this ranch is about six, seven miles long. (laughs) And the ranch house, my aunt's ranch house on the front property is pretty far. So they ran all the way there. And my all my uncles were drunk that night, too. Wow. So the, so we, they were just screaming their heads off towards my grandmother, saying, "There's a lady in the back. There's a lady in the back calling out my name, <laughs> my sister's name." And, she, and my grandmother and my mom were like, "Oh yeah, sorry, Rayona, the lady who drowned her kids in the river." Like, how, how do you ever go back outside after something like that? <laughs> well, we still do. We're, it's really hard to make up money right now since Hurricane Harvey, because. Uh, we're trying to go back to Mexico right now. <laughs> it's, but it's, it, it, it is very scary to go at night because when they were building the second part of the house, we heard like chains going around the property all night. <laughs> That's yeah. freaky. You said chains? Yeah, but it wasn't a chain fence. It, it, it was like a 
barbed wire fence, you know? Right. There's no chain mm. anywhere. Something was dragging, dragging chains around your property. Yeah, I, there's a lot of ghost stories from my mom. She grew up there in Mexico in the 80s. The bridge. I don't know if you want to hear that one. I would like to hear that. I love ghost stories from Mexico. Okay, my my mom and my and her sister, my tia Virginia, uh, were coming back from shopping or dancing that night, and it was like one or two in the morning. My mom was coming, and they're in the, this old car. They're coming back. They stop on the bridge to talk to some neighbors. My tia was on the driver's side. My mom was on the passenger side, and she turns and sees two little boys. And they're asking, um, "Can we have a ride home? Because we don't know where our parents are at." so scary and my mom was like oh okay you'll get in the car we'll take you home and my 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 mom's sister turned to her she was like who are you talking to my oh mom god turned back and the, the kids were gone and my grandmother told her oh those are the kids that died in the river in the 30s they they had a car accident the car went off the bridge man if i ever ran into some demon kids i'll be shooting kids okay you better believe it Oh, don't worry. Man. I always pray over my property when I go over there. Yeah, there's something like up with children your property. Of the corn shit. Yeah, like, children well, of the this... corn. <laughs> yeah, kid and... come out. I'll be shooting everybody, dude. I don't care. Well, I'm trying to make my own YouTube channel because I'm really inspired by y'all, to be honest. That's I'm I'm very honored to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, find those like... kids and kill yeah. them for your videos. <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to make a Skinwalker story because I had encounters with those two here in Texas. Ooh, you got time to tell us about those? Yeah, it wasn't really a counter, you know, like taunting, you know? Yeah, still um, sounds pretty good. Okay, well, my cousin Ray, because we were listening to some of your stories a few months ago before that happened, in 2016. And, like, I was really sick, and there's, like, shadows moving in my house. I didn't know why. And my cousin was saying, oh, yeah, I had a dream that these, like, entities were following us. Uh, from the Rio Grande River, and we were traveling with some native guy, and he was like, okay, build a big fire, because there's this, like, monster entity that's going to come at us, because the, he said, this guy said to him in his dream, saying he was, the, the skinwalker is putting a curse on us, apparently. Well, why and would it be cursing you? I don't know, I, well, I feel like because I'm kind of, like, spiritually strong sometimes, you know? I know how to piss off spirits by accident. And oh, man. Yeah. And can't catch then, a break, uh, can you? No, I can't. Because my family is just like... My dad's side of the family is Christian. My mom's side of the family is don't give two shits. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's really difficult. Okay. And then it was like a week after Christmas here in Texas. My... Um, I, was up, I was walked back into the room. I was really sick, though. And my cousins were all knocked out on my bed. I had nowhere to sleep. So I just turned off the radio. And then I heard, like, five people chanting outside with the native war drum and stuff. I'm, well, I'm half Aztec and Apache for my grandparents. And I was like, oh, shit. And then they, they were taunting. And then if you try to listen to them, they'll, they'll shut up. They won't talk. It was really frustrating, and then it came into my dream, and it was trying to taunt me there, and it walked in my hallway in my dream, and it was standing by my my bedroom door, and I yelled at it, 
I'm Christian, I'm supposed to say Jesus, you know? <laughs> yeah. Movie. And I said that, it got really pissed off at me, and I just hugged it, and I was like, okay, leave my house. And the eyes were completely black, you know, like black-eyed children? Yeah. And the eyes turned back into, like, normal human brown eyes. I was wearing animal pelt and everything. It was like, it got pissed off at me. And it doesn't, I can't catch a break, because they keep coming back for me, like, every other week. You said they appear in your dreams? Yeah, they appear in, into my dreams, and then I had, like, a crawler come up in my room and stealing last. That is freaky. Wow. It, it sounds like the region where you lived was just so full of haunted culture, basically. A bunch of different things well, yeah, going on at once. Yeah, especially the seven-hour drive to Mexico and back up to Houston is pretty long. You're bound to bring something back from there. I'll keep that in mind. I'd like to drive that stretch of road, then. Well, thank you so much right. for your story. You're welcome. You Bye. keep on being a warrior. <laughs> Have a good night. I will. Good night. That's, that's really horrifying, but I, I was looking in the chat, I saw a story uh, that, that really is just, I, I think it's probably the scariest thing I've ever read. Um, so Taco Neon Belly said, Oh, poop in the toilet. I live alone. Whoever you are. My spaghetti! Meat. And that was fucking terrifying. What the heck? Look, I just want everybody to take a moment and, um... To try to recover from that. Yeah, we're gonna need to. But, Mr. Darkness, we finally might have somebody who has a mic that's working with a Dogman story. I know, we, we were having bad luck with Dogman tonight. Of right. Beast and Beauty, you better be ready. Well, that's a great username, username too. Alright, Beast of Beast and Beauty. Demonetize. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. No! <laughs> Jinx oh, didn't know. No luck. Oh, Why well, can't it always uh, happen? The Dogman does not want his story shared. It is a conspiracy that Dogman is ruining this He's lecture. probably taking out every person who tries to tell us a story. Have we? Wasn't Spinal the person who was trying to tell us a story? We've had four people now try to tell us Dogman stories, and all four of them have not worked out. We need some Dogman, people. We have a Lunar Night with some Hellhounds. That's close enough. Ah, that works. Alright. Lunar, here you are. Now, if these hounds are just from Hades and, and not from hell, Hi, specifically... Everybody. Can you hear me? Lunar, we can yes. hear you loud and clear. How are you doing this evening? Good, how about yourself? We are fantastic. Well, I hope the other two are fantastic. I'm living. Yeah, yeah they're alive. They'll work. Sorry, I gotta mute the stream because I'm getting feedback. I'm so sorry about that. It's all right. No Whenever you're ready, you have the floor, and we're ready to get scared. Yes, give me one sec. I highly apologize. Give me one second. I apologize. Give me one. That's all right. Dare she? I mean, How seriously. <laughs> I know. I know. Do you know what kind of opportunity this is? I mean, with, we are. with the amount of I patience I have, I could be a doctor. opportunity get wasted by, by some... By some <laughs> Dark. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so this all started before, like, the just a little bit of a background. I actually had a dream when I was actually getting chased by hellhounds before. So this is like happened all before I got started seeing hellhounds. But um, so it's like a dream come true. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I had a dream where I was, where I was live, where I used to live. I had a dream where. And it was like in this sort of like 
twilight kind of thing going on, like a sunset. And I look off to the side of myself, and I hear like this, like it sounds like a rushing of waves, like of water coming over me. And I looked over, and I see this black fog. And all of a sudden, out of this black fog, I see like lava coming forth. And it, out of that lava looked like dog heads and dogs made out of lava and smoke and fire. And I was utterly terrified, so I ran to my neighbor's house. And all of a sudden, these dogs came after me and lunged at me, and I was completely covered in black darkness, and then I woke up. At, ever since afterwards, I had kept having that dream. I used to see, like, these dogs, like, roaming around the neighborhood. Now, the dogs, what they look like, they just look, they look like any normal dog, except some of them look like, like, German, like, like those kind of like German dogs, you know, like the police have. I'm sorry. Um, but the, ever since then, I kept seeing like these dogs running around my neighborhood. And they look like magma was falling off of them. Like, you know how like how magma cools and then it gets like like a solid rock? And then when it heats back up again, it starts like you see lava like just dripping off these dogs. And right. Quite utterly terrifying. And so... I had a couple of friends of mine who were pagans, and I asked them, do you know what I'm seeing? And they say, oh, they're, oh, you're seeing hellhounds. And I was like, why am I seeing hellhounds? And it's like, I knew I was spiritually, like, like, spiritually strong in sort of sense that I could actually see and sense spirits around me, but I never thought in my wildest dreams I would see, like, hellhounds or anything of that sort of imagination. And... They ha and what was really weird is that these dogs had like red glowing eyes and their mouths like almost look like they breathe fire. I know it sounds crazy and some might not believe me, but I'm sorry, I'm really scared talking about you it. You tried domesticating one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're fine. Sounds like a lovely pet. You, oh, just go uh, ahead. It just sounds like, it just sounds, well, trust me, if I could able to tame a hellhound, that'd be amazing. I always imagined playing, like, I always imagined taming a hellhound ever since playing Final Fantasy, like, six or seven, the word they had zebras, and I was like, oh my god, I want one. But anyway, that's getting off track of story, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. But, um, but it just scares me, it's just like, why am I seeing them? And it's like, oh, it's like, having any, like, backgrounds of information, like, that's going on, and... And it sounds like, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's used, I used to live on Native American grounds because from where I'm from, Pennsylvania, they're like western side of Pennsylvania, i seen like Native American spirits like used to live there. It used to be Native American territory. But other than that, it's like, oh, there must be like guarding the grounds. It's like, it's like, it's kind of hard seeing not only one, but like multiple of five of them at a time, especially at nighttime is kind of really terrifying. Oh yeah, a whole pack is going after you, huh? Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, but um, nowadays I actually don't see them anymore, but when I'm going into that, it, it seems that they're only stuck in that one particular town, because recently I moved from them a while ago, and it's so, it just sounds like so crazy. It's like they're stuck in one particular town, but yet I'm living in another town, and 
they're not there. Well, be thankful that uh, they don't follow you, you know? Oh, yeah. I actually had one of my uh, pagan friends saying, like, oh, they must say you're familiars or something. It's like, oh, my, I can't be because I'm Catholic. Yeah, I don't think so. No familiar there. <laughs> no, 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 no. All and right. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys so much. But this is all I had to say. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on. That was a good story. Thank you so much. Yeah, I don't think we get enough hellhound stories, but they're they're pretty interesting. Dogs are pretty scary when they want to be. Oh, hell yeah. I used to do a ton of those back in the day because there was a... For some reason, I feel like I had, like, this weird cult following me or something, and I would just get so many Hellhound stories when I first started. I love those stories. You don't see them around too much anymore. No, that's kind of a shame. Maybe I'll do a Hellhound video soon. Definitely. Let's see if we can um, find something good and juicy next. If you're ready, you have to just keep bringing them in. I've got a whole list of people spamming to come in. Nice. <laughs> Let's get one in here. We got Kay, who's been here since the start. So, Kay... Let's it's okay. <laughs> you there, okay. Kay? We almost had you. Muted yourself. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> Attempt two. It's a, it's back and forth. There you go. You're unmuted now. Okay. Okay. Sweet. Kay, how are you tonight? I am pretty good. What about you guys? We're ready to have goosebumps over every inch of our skin. Uh, just go ahead, uh, tell us whatever story you've got. Okay, so I am a twin. What? So... <laughs> Enough said, right? <laughs> I know, it's really scary. <laughs> so, a couple years ago, I went to go visit my older brothers. On my way back home, we went, my family went to the Wisconsin Dells, and there's this zombie kind of thing there, and I really wanted to go see it, but my sister did not, but she had to go anyways, because, you know, things. Right. And, uh, so she has really high anxiety, and they wouldn't let her in. So, I went, and basically... Uh, like when, like when I got out, I was like telling her all about it, and she's like, "Yeah, I already know everything." It's like you already told me. Really, I never even told you, and it seemed like, like every single moment through it, she actually knew exactly how I was feeling. Cause I was like, I never got scared. It was, it was just so like boring and everything. Cause I want to feel better. And then, no, you were scared. I, like, I saw you. You got, uh. You got like scared by this girl that was right behind you, and I'm like, how did you know that you weren't there? So like I don't know, it was just really creepy. So your sister or, or brother or your twin uh, knows you better than you know you, or do you think you might be connected somehow? Probably connected somehow. Does this happen a lot? It's it's it happens a lot actually like I had a I have PTSD I've, like I don't remember actually going through what I went through but she wasn't there and she knows exactly what I she knows exactly all the it almost makes me jealous like 
I would like to have a twin to see if we experienced something like that. But yeah, maybe... You hear like a, like oh, a no. twin telepathy thing? You think that might be something to do with it? Like maybe they, she could, uh, they could pick <laughs> up on, uh, you know, what you felt, with, with, whether you're repressing it or not. Seems like some oh. weird shit that could happen. Uh, she's not empathetic or anything. Unlike me, I feel empathy and sympathy for people. She really can't. So, hmm. she, she like knows. A psychopath? <laughs> no, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I'm uh, gonna die. Go ahead, Kay. Uh, she's. I feel like she, she is just terrible. Well, I hope not. <laughs> Thank you, Kay, for that story. Uh, if you have any more updates on this twin psychicness, I'd love to hear about it. I've read up on, I've read up on that stuff quite a bit, but unfortunately, I'm the middle boy instead of a twinsy boy, so I won't ever know what that's like. I wonder how far that'd go. Like, uh, like if something really if embarrassing or personal happens to her, like is the other twin just gonna feel it too? Is the other twin just gonna know? It reminds yeah, me of that that one movie. What is it called? Stuck Together with You? Y- yes, yes. Stuck Together, yeah. God, that movie was so stupid. <laughs> Stuck on you. That's what it is. Stuck on you. Okay, so we have... We'll try this one more time for you, Spinal. We've tried like eight times now. Actually, I don't even see you in the thing. So I can't <laughs> see you on the call. Yeah, so I don't see any me we'll, we'll bring in... This one right here, L the creepy pasta has some Wendigo stories apparently. So, let's hear them, L. I love me some Wendigos. Oh, oh they're gone. Not. Well, they disappeared. Arctic Kaiju has one as well. So, Arctic Kaiju, let's hear your story. All right, Kaiju, what you got for us? Oh, um, I was not ready at all. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I was just playing Mario Odyssey, and then while waiting for my turn, I just oh, well, again. Um, uh, um, the first story is a personal story. It happened to me like about a week ago now. Right. So I was just uh, hanging out in my room. It was like. 11 or 12 o'clock at night, and I, was, I, had the bl- I had my blinds open in my room. I was about to fall asleep, and I'm like, okay, I don't want any on me in my house. Close the blinds, and when I go over to close the blinds, I look out the window, and I see this, I see a pair of glowing eyes, and a general shape of this reptilian lizard thing. And I just kind of pretended not to notice it for a little bit. But then it got closer, and uh, it was worse because, uh, it got worse because there's a light on the side of the house where my room is, and the thing got closer, and... I got to see more of it, and I didn't want to see more of it, so I'm just like, I'm, and like I'm just looking at it, just waiting to see if it does anything. And I'm, 
that was a sound that, that was one of the sounds that I made because when I get scared, I just make sounds with my mouth. I'm just <laughs> yeah. It's it's like I don't blame you for that. What else are you gonna say? I was gonna like so it just kept getting closer and closer to the window, and I'm just like, idiot, come on, come on, pull the what? Pull the damn string. Yeah. So I finally pull the string. The blinds are closed. I'm like, okay, I'm just not gonna just, just gonna pretend it happened. I'm not gonna pretend anything showed up. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not opening the window. I'm not doing anything until I know that thing is gone. Right. I didn't sleep that night. But you didn't still, sleep that night. I didn't. And I'm still having a hard time sleeping to this day, knowing that that. Whatever it is, title man is could be wandering around outside my house. So I always have that fear when uh, when it's night out and I'm I'm uh, I'm my, my windows closed, but there's like a little little just creak in the blinds. There's just a little space I can see outside, and I always like when I when I look at it, it skips the beat. I'm like, something. there's something out there. Yeah, in, the, in my case, something actually was out there, and. I didn't like it. <laughs> I wouldn't like it either. Wouldn't sleep a wink. I always get these stories where people claim they see something, run home, and then go right to bed. Bullcrap. If I saw something, I'd be up all night, and I'd have the sharpest thing I could find right next to my chest. I, I have I have yeah. something right next to my bed. Uh, I got a, uh, a straight uh, katana sword chilling right next to my bed, but... I, I don't know if it would have done anything. I just I just stayed up. I tried to watch TV to forget what I saw. But oh, I didn't go looking for footprints. You dumbass. <laughs> Definitely. I saw someone. I saw someone type up. Arctic treasure. Did you? Didn't you look for footprints? No. No. Dude, yeah. Stupid. I wouldn't be going out there. Um, not, not for a while. But yeah, uh, I would, even if it's nothing you don't think would do any damage, it's more like a security blanket. It makes yeah, you feel exactly. good until the scares go away. Yeah. Well, thank you, Arctic Kaiju, for that story about uh, looking out your window and seeing what looks back. Yeah. Like, anyone who sees anything from outside of their house looking in, if you got blinds or anything that can block that, I don't care if you got a bed sheet and some thumbtacks. Put it up. Make sure whatever's looking out, looking back at you from outside, cannot look at you. For sure, yeah. Whatever. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe it just wants to take a peek. You know? Maybe if it can't take a peek, it'll get frustrated and want to get look get inside, get a little closer to you. You, you so could be a thing. Satisfying. <laughs> it just wants to see what what if you're cooking some spaghetti, man. You know. Could you imagine that a a dog man or Wendigo coming up to your window and breathing the words, "Send me nudes." <laughs> Send me nudes. Send me nudes. All right. Oh, so right. let's see what well, we got next. The person I was gonna bring on just left, so that sucks. But Aww. I guess we can do who's next in line. Uh, Night Shadow, if you're ready. Tell us whatever story you have. Shadow of the night. Can you hear us? Oh, nope, they're gone. 
unmute that unmute that mic. Don't let us down. Shadow. You're being a bad night, Shadow. You. I'm on the verge of not believing in you anymore, <laughs> Night Shadow. You know what? I don't believe in you. Ah, there they go. Night Shadow. Okay. Amazing B. Let's see what you got. My God. Oh, my God. Amazing <laughs> B, we hear you. How are you okay, doing? You can, you can hear me. Perfectly. All right. Thank you. All right. Oh, thank you so. for having good audio quality. <laughs> So I just, whenever you're ready. I my, before I start my story, I just want to say I'm a big fan of all of you. And uh, so let me start my story. <laughs> I'm a fan Go of ahead. you. <laughs> Swamp so, uh, so this happens. Uh, this happened about two years ago. And um, so I was sitting in my room, and I'm still in the same room since then. And it'll, it'll, it'll sound crazy at the end of the story that I'm still in the same room. So uh, one night I was just laying in bed, and then... I just, like, started hearing something on my window, and then I looked up, and somebody was trying to get into my window, like, trying to get into my house, break into my house through my window, and, uh, the thing about that is that there's, like, this, uh, uh, like, uh, blocking thing, it's so, like, mosquitoes don't get in, and it's also really hard to get off, so the guy tried to peel that off of the window, and I, and we still haven't replaced that thing, so... Then, like, when I woke up, like, I, like, banged on the window, and it scared the guy off, and he just ran. And, uh, you know. So, during the next week, something, I forgot what happened, but my, my curtain broke off my window. Like, I, like, I had no curtains. And, uh, anybody on the outside could just look in my room. And then oh, I remember, the that, yeah. <laughs> so, and this happened during summer, so I would, like, stay up late and play on my computer. And I remember I was, uh... I was, like, playing Overwatch or something. Not Overwatch. Um, it was, like, some game. And uh, I remember I just felt like somebody was staring at me. And then so I just turned off my whole computer and I just went to bed. <laughs> I didn't even look outside. And then, like, that happened through, like, the whole rest of the week. And then before, like... Like, I remember this happened on a Friday, this part. Uh, I was sitting on my uh, at my desk and I was drawing. And uh, I felt like somebody was also looking at me. I felt the same feeling. And I looked at the window, and then I seen a person's, like, head. <laughs> right. And then, and then I was like, oh my god! And then I, like, looked away for a second, and then when I looked back, it was just gone. And I was like, oh, okay, that was creepy. I'm just... Yeah, definitely. I'm just thinking of things. So then, in the morning, I was telling my parents that, uh, that, like, I think I saw somebody, and then they were like, you're just watching too many horror movies. You need to stop watching those. They're messing with your head. And then, uh, so then, like, you know, ironically, that day, my whole family sat down. We're like, we're going to watch a horror movie. And then we watched Paranormal Activity. And, uh, (laughs) I know, right? So we were all sitting down and we watched the whole movie. And then I went to my room. And then I was just sitting at my desk. And I was like, I'm going to go to bed early today. So then I sat down. I laid on my bed. I fell asleep for a little bit. And I woke up, I don't know why, <laughs> and I was like, um, I need to go get a drink. So then I walked out to get a drink, and then as I was walking out of my room, I heard tapping on my window. I just ignored it, so then I walked away, and then I, then I got a drink. I came back, and then when I came back, there was, like, the guy, he was banging on my window now, like, just, 
like that. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was, it was, it was intense. <laughs> so, then I got really, I got really scared, and I went to my parents' room, and, uh, I got them up, and my dad did the one thing that you should never do in a horror movie. He got a bat and went outside to where the, the guy was, and then he tried to scare him off, and then he, my dad came inside. And then when I woke up the next morning, uh, there was like police sirens down my road. And, uh, later in the day, we found out, and like a little girl was raped and killed in their house. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and then, like, I was telling my parents, I was like, maybe it was the guy, he was trying to get into our house. And then my mom was like, no, no, it wasn't. And, uh, so that's the, so that's the story about how, uh, how a little girl got raped and murdered on my road. And that could have been me. I know it could have been me. Hey, wow. if it makes you feel any better, I would have picked you too. <laughs> Coming for that booty. But Ooh. honestly, people who would do something like that to a little girl, they would do anything. They're unpredictable. And I hope he got caught. And maybe he got uh, his comeuppance in jail. Yeah, uh, I heard that the guy was still at large. <laughs> oh, that's oh, nice. Boy. Yeah. Fingers so crossed. Know. Yeah. Don't get raped and murdered. <laughs> well, All thank right. you very much, Amazing B, for that story. Thank very, you for having me. And again, I, I, well, I didn't say this I didn't say this yet. I love you all. <laughs> love, love you, you more. Too, all right, have oh. a good I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely loved his rendition of his mother's uh, voice. Oh, no, you did That was pretty good. I, we used to do that same voice all the time to my brothers. Beautiful. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay. So if you want to keep pumping them out, I'll keep bringing them in. Keep on pumping. Okay, so... Uh, Storm137, I've seen you posting a lot, so let's get you in here, brother. Or sister. Hey, I've assumed that's, plenty that's of genders tonight. I, I assume Gender this assume. every live stream. Storm137, how are you? You're almost there, just gotta say words. I... I almost want to believe there. in you, Storm. Yeah, I want to believe, too. I do believe on, in Storm. Oh, they're they're talking, they're just really quiet. You'll need to speak up. Yeah, I can see the light coming on. I, I don't hear anything, though. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll have to pass you up for now, and hopefully you can get that audio situation figured out. Okay, next we uh, have Skeletor. Yeah, Skeletor. He's got a demon uh, story here, so... The list is getting shorter, luckily. Slowly. Oh. <laughs> Are they already gone? Okay. I, I saw one. Spinal is back. Did we ever take Spinal? We've tried Spinal five times, but we'll try it again or then again. <laughs> He's legendary. All right, Spinal. All right, Spinal. Here we go. I will spank you, little Spine. I believe in you, Spinal. Spinal. I mean that this time. No! no Spinal's got... Oh, the per <laughs> so the person I was going to bring in last time... That mm. left is back, so we can try them now. So, Vasilia, you're live. 
Okay, so I have my story. I wrote it down because it was an essay I wrote that's based on a true story for school. And I got an A on it. <laughs> so it's very Oh, yeah, easy, good though. job. Go what? for it. Okay, so it was the summer of 2017, mid-July. I took a seven-day vacation with my mom, dad, brother, and two puppies, Athena and Titan, to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We were staying in a condo. Our room had three bedrooms, one bathroom, a large living room that connects to the dining table and the kitchen. There were two doors leading to the bathroom. The first one was from the living room slash dining table area. The second was from my bedroom. Okay, sorry, I'm out of breath. Now that we got Now that we got the setup of my place that I was staying at cleared up, I will start the story. So, as you can imagine, I was very much so enjoying my vacation. We went to the beach, Radical Ropes, the Gay Dolphin. Um, it's a gift shop, by the way. <laughs> Arcades on the boardwalk, Dave & Buster's, outlets that you shop at and stuff, and many more extremely fun activities. After a few days, we went by a lot of... After a few days went by, a lot of strange things started happening. The first time I had a strange occurrence, my parents and brother were at my brother's AAU game because another reason we went to Myrtle Beach was because my brother's team had nationals there for basketball. They won. Yeah. Um, so what happened was I was home alone with my dogs and I was in the living room with them and when all of a sudden I fell off. I originally just brushed it off as nothing, but then as I was petting Titan, he and Athena both started barking at the bathroom door. It slammed shut. I screamed, then went into the kitchen. I sat in the corner with my phone, spam texting my parents. I have Snapchat videos of me being in the corner still. When my family came home, I told them what happened, and they acted like I was crazy. The rest of the occurrences all happened during the witching hour, 3 a.m. So first, I heard scratching on the second bathroom door, the one that connects to my room. Um, Five minutes after, Michaela and I stopped FaceTiming. And I was watching YouTube because I needed to get tired since it was 3 a.m. I just ignored the scratching and it stopped. Then I heard knocking coming from outside my bedroom door. I started hyperventilating, but when it stopped, the room got cold and eerie. The last and most crucial and and most terrifying thing happened. It was around 3.45 a.m. And all of a sudden, the sound of the air vents all got all muffled. And my ears were all muffled. But then a voice happened. It was a smooth female voice, clear as day. It was said in a very loud and clear voice, something in a different language or something. And then I got crazy. I lost it. It was terrifying. I was so mortified I couldn't move, scream, or cry. I just laid there, scared for my life and sanity. When I finally calmed down, I checked the time, and it was in the 4 a.m. I ran for my door and stayed on the couch that night. And the night after that was my last night. I never thought I would be happy to go home from a vacation, but I was. Before all of this, I never had any strange occurrences at my own home, but then things like a dark shadow darting past my door started happening. This seems unreal, but I assure you, this happened, and it has ruined me. Goodbye, because I have nothing left to write. That's what I wrote. That's all you've got left to write, for now. And I love the fact that you had it you had it ready to read. Makes, makes it yeah. easier, but I hope you don't see anything else. Um, well, go ahead. Um, every time I wake up in the morning, I like I go to sleep. I make sure my Holy Mary, like I have a mini statue doll thing in my room, and I make sure it's facing my bed. But whenever I wake up, it's facing my closet. That's weird. Yeah. That's freaky as hell. I mean, if I had to experience something paranormal or scary like that, 
I wish it'd just be out of my room. Keep the insane, crazy, creepy crap away from my room, please. Yeah. I sleep with my light on. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, too. Every night, light on. It didn't bother me much, but it made me feel safe. Thank you, yeah. Cecilia. Hey, you actually pronounced my name right. It's a beautiful name. Thanks. All right, you have a good night. All right, uh, real quick before we do anything else. Uh, every time we have someone on, they seem to be getting uh, kicked or permanently banned from the server. Any idea why that might, might be happening? Yeah, they're getting kicked from the chat because I'm kicking them out of the chat, but they can join back. It's not a big deal. You just kind of, um, like, click the link yeah, again? You, you are going to be kicked after your call. That is the way we get you out, but you can join back at any time. If you're being permanently banned, it's because you were doing something you weren't supposed to be doing in the chat. And yes, quite a few people have been banned for, for trolling this time. We're keeping you it clean. Swamp. Keep it keep it to the points. Don't spam memes. Don't don't spam your same story five hundred times. Don't tag me in darkness nine hundred times. We we've seen it. We have a lot of people Ooh, in the waiting room that you is can't true. see. If you notice there I've is seen a, lot of a long line of people in we're, we're getting to you. We're we we're trying. Your spamming isn't going to help us at all. It's actually going to make it a lot harder for us to find your stories, and it's going to make us not want to do it. I apologize if it was something I did, because uh, I have no idea what I'm doing, if you haven't noticed, on Discord. Oh, I'm uh, sure. <laughs> it's, all good. it's actually been going very smooth. It's just uh, there, there's been a lot of spam, unfortunately. We've got our uh, momentum going, and I'm, I'm happy with that. But uh, I did see you wanted to bring in JPage34 next. Yes, please. If they're still there. Okay, J Page. This is your this is your moment for the clout. J Page, you're on. Can you hear us? Uh yes I can. Can you oh, give me a second please? Alright. Yes. Okay. So I'd like to take the second to thank Second Clancy <laughs> for being the best man in my wedding recently. Oh my god, that's okay, so sweet. So I, I wasn't sure if I could make it, but uh, I'm glad I showed up, because the clout I received in return was just unbelievable. Wow. I invited <laughs> Darkness, but he, he said no. I can no longer hear you. You can't hear yes. us? Oh, there we go. There we are. You sound worse than before. You sounded so clear a few moments ago. <laughs> what about now? It's about the same. Uh... Let me try without uh, my mic. I think it's that. I apologize. Let's see, let's see if the quality improves when he removes his mic. I hope so. I can't hear anything. J Page, we, we hear you and you sound really good. Okay. So, I have a few stories. Um, oh. <laughs> I apologize for that. That's fine. Whenever you're ready. Um, so, to start off, I, I'd like to explain that uh, I'm named after my uncle who is very close to my dad. Yeah. And um, the first incident happened to my dad and me when I was about five. Um, my uncle had passed when I was about two turning three and um he predicted his own death 
He said he wasn't going to live past... Oh. Sorry, I have... He predicted his own death by saying he wouldn't live past the age of 27. He ended up dying 10 days before his birthday. That's and quite a coincidence. Holy crap. Yeah, he predicted this the day of his mother's funeral. What was and, his reasoning? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but what happened was he was in a motorcycle accident. And anyways, uh, when I was five, uh, my dad had picked me up from kindergarten. And we were entering our gate. And the first thing you see when you enter our gate is our window. And standing in the window, we seen my uncle. But he had been gone for two years already. Right. So, we were questioning why he was there. Yeah. As you would when you see a corpse. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next incident uh, was me, my little brother, and my best friend. We were in our front yard playing. And we had looked down the street, and we had seen a figure uh, walking past a telephone pole, going from uh, the middle of the street to uh, a house. But we seen him disappear as he walked behind a light pole. And then we left our fence and went over there, and we seen no one going down either side of the streets. So they were gone. Yes, they just disappeared entirely. That's that's freaky. Did you ever see him again? Um, yes, actually, in uh, my backyard the very next day. That's a little too close for comfort. Yeah, so... I went... I know most people wouldn't, but I went and checked it out myself. So... It only took me about two minutes to go back there, and there was no one there, and we were surrounded by five houses on each side. Right. And there's absolutely no one in the other yards. They were just gone. At least they didn't give off any, like, evil vibes, did it? No. Makes you wonder um, what the hell that might have been. Yeah. And when I was young in the... Because I've moved from that house. Um, I'm 19 now. But uh, the next incident is right before we moved out of our house. And this happened to my older sister. Um, We were headed... We were about to move out. And my sister, she had just gotten out of the shower. She had her hair up with a blue uh, hair tie. When she went in, the hair tie was wet on her wrist, so she took it off and put it on a tree thing she has with her other hair ties. She puts a gray one around her wrist and goes to do her hair, but then when she looks, the blue one's back on her wrist and the gray one's on the floor and the blue one's no longer wet. What the hell? That's yeah. some strange paranormal activity. Yeah, and what me and my sister are questioning is 
how how is the entity able to take off the gray one and put back on the blue one completely dry after seconds of her taking it off? So I, I think in the paranormal community, they refer to that as a goof spook. Is that an actual term? I've never heard of that before. I haven't either. But I would believe it. Like, I don't doubt that that is a real thing. Goof spooks. But it's obvious, mischievous is goes mess- to trying to pull a prank. Yeah, it just wants to <laughs> tease. Yeah. It's a prank, bro. I have heard stories where it acted up at first, kind of nonchalant, not too serious, and then once they gave it more attention, that's when the shit hit the fan. So I would just keep ignoring these weird happenings. Agreed. It wants the attention, like an internet troll. It craves the attention. Yes. Um, but the weird feeling is is it never feels negative because i sometimes hear um a voice calling my name which sounds familiar but i don't know who or what it is same brother (laughs) (laughs) that's weird well thank you for the story j page thank you and i have to say i'm a Big fan of all you guys. I've actually subscribed to all of you way before this uh, before this video um, live stream. You're a true you fan, know. then. Thank, thank you. you so thank much. You very much. Yes, you're all amazing YouTubers. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> I wish my wife thought so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, have a good night. Good one, man. That was a very interesting story, though. Is there any way to unban people? Um, is there yeah, like a ban list? Is. I say we'll give them another chance uh, after the stream is over, so that on the next tr- stream they can try again. I guess. How about we do this? Every stream will just clear out the ban list. We'll clear out the bans. That sounds good to me. So if you were banned, you're not perma banned. If you're kicked, you'll be. It'll be open to you next time. Just try to behave. Don't spam. Uh, we're trying to get through as many as we can. I love hearing these stories. It's like a huge change of pace for me. It's nice to be read the story sometime. and not It is. Not to... I used um, to go around to everyone I freaking knew in town, and I would always ask them their scariest stories, and it would just be a thrill to sit there and listen. That's why I got into this, partially. So now that I can sit here and have people call me and tell me their stories, it's jizz-worthy, if I may say so myself. <laughs> No homo, but it's homo. Full homo, please. A 200% homo. For sure. How long have, have we been at that? Like, like three like hours cr- almost? Two hours, 40 minutes. 40 minutes now. It's almost over, guys. You're doing wow. very well. Wow. Do you want to like do... a shitload of people in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got a, a, people a lot of people. Yeah, we've got a lot of people. Um, I've got two people trying to make a redemption. So if you want to try to hit them. Yes, the people who want to be redeemed since they were earlier, we can try to redeem them. Okay. So we can try to go with Spinal again, or we can try to go (laughs) with Storm. Storm seems like he's they're ready. So Storm, I'm going to bring you in first, and then hopefully Spinal will be able to redeem themselves. Spinal, you motherfucking legend. (laughs) The meme of the stream. (laughs) 
Welcome, Storm. Unmute yourself. Tell us about yourself. Let's hear about your children, your firstborn. I want to know if you're a Category 4 or a Category 5, okay? Come on, Storm. Uh, Storm, please. For a Storm, you're awfully quiet. Storm, please. The buzzing. Storm, seriously. Give <laughs> me here. Oh, man. Peer pressure. Oh, there we go. Can you hear us? You're so close. You're so close. The brass ring is right there. Just grab it. <laughs> okay. We we tried. We'll, we'll move on to spinal. Many... Yeah. Okay, spinal. Also, we'll have this many technical difficulties. This many people who who take time out of their day to hang out in the waiting room, and when they get in, they just don't know what they're doing. Hey, I'm trying my best over here. Okay, spinal. Hit us with it. Hit us with it, man. Oh, someone just said, using profanity makes the host sound less professional. You're on YouTube. Why are you on YouTube for professional things? Go watch The Daily Spino, Show. Spino ditched out on us. Okay, one more redemption for Oni Skeletor. Tell us this demon story, brother. Demon Skeleton rival to He-Man, mm -hmm. how are you doing? Okay, one more redemption for oh Oni Skeletor. Tell us this demon oh, story. You, you might want to. the wrong button earlier. Oh, it's alright. You might want to go ahead and mute the uh, live stream. Okay, one more redemption for Oni Skeletor. Tell us this demon oh, story. You might want to. My story, I want to start off by oh, saying... Right. You might want to go ahead and mute the, the stream. Okay, one Hold more on. redemption for Oni Skeletor. Alright, right. I want to start go. off by saying that I am a male and I live in North Carolina. And... This story started off one day. You see, I kept hearing this raspy growl around my house. And it would, like, follow me wherever I went. And it literally scared the crap out of me because I... There wasn't a rational explanation for this raspy growl. And then one day, apparently I got in the shower and I see a snake on the outside of the shower curtain, going down the shower curtain. And there's no rational explanation for this snake to be there, or to even be able to crawl down the shower curtain. Did you investigate what the snake was? I and after I saw it, I didn't see any snake in the room. And then I went and finished my shower, and then after that, I... I went to sleep later on that night, and when I went to go to sleep, I was hearing this raspy growl again, and all of a sudden, I see these beaming red eyes uh, reflect off something in my room, and I look over to see this thing materializing, and I didn't know what it was at the time, but to better describe it, it had claws on its hand, and it was pale, white in color, and it had these, like I said before, beaming red eyes, but its face was disfigured and everything. Its teeth were black, and they looked kind of like pencils. 
I apologize if you hear me laughing. That's the fucking chat. I'm trying to hold it back. Continue. And on the outside of the door, there were two other entities. There was an animal of some kind. I don't know what kind of animal it was. It was bigger than a dog, but it was... Um, its face was more skeletal in nature, and it had different varying degrees of, like, shadow coming off of it. And whatever this entity was, below the outline of the entity itself, there was different varying degrees of shadow coming off of it. Uh, what do you think this was? Well... I thought, given the size, because the only thing I can describe for the animal was maybe some sort of cat. Like, like a cat-snake kind of thing? No, more like, just like a cat. I thought the snake was the entity itself. It's more Trying like a, to... maybe an omen? Maybe, but... I ended up getting attacked by this thing while I was in the shower. It left a handprint on my leg, and it, like, paralyzed my leg from the knee down. You're not still paralyzed, are you? I still have circulatory problems, but I am not paralyzed anymore. You gone to the doctor and got that checked out? Yeah, somehow I managed to get my leg to work again. I had to, like, force it to work to get out of the bathroom when that happened. Oh, what I think's going on. What do you think it is? I don't really know what it is. I'm still kind of searching for answers. I would be looking up some sort of, like, Native American legend or something like that. This sounds like something out of folklore. Something bad. But I hope it doesn't come back and, like, hurt you more. Like, your health is your most valuable thing. I'd yeah. say the witch has probably <laughs> been, uh, been cursed. I mean, sorry. I would say the snake has probably been cursed by a witch. To turn into sounds this Sounds like some sort of omen, honestly. Yeah, if you're if you're living on some sort of Native American burial ground, I would hightail it. Yeah, it just the whole situation kind of scared the crap out of me, and this all happened to me when I was like, I was like, eighteen, ish. I'm twenty three now. Well. That is a very interesting story. I've never heard of a creature or a demon quite like that, but you never know what they could pull. You know, that, that's kind of their whole point, their whole thing, demons. Uh, but thank you, Oni Skeletor, for that story. It's been an honor being here. Thank you. Thank you. You have a good night. You too. Man, I bust out laughing, not because of his story, but the chat kept saying re- and I have a, a weakness for re. Okay? You're welcome. <laughs> My bad. I was reading in the chat. I was reading in the YouTube chat, and everybody started doing it. <laughs> Just oh, reading? Oh my god! Now you know my YouTuber's Achilles heel. Uh, like right before we started the stream, I just came in and I was just like, 
He cursed the whole thing. Damn it. This Nobody is, can resist autistic screeching. This is definitely not a professional publication or podcast. It's more like of what a YouTube comp podcast would become. This is this okay? is just three dudes memeing and shitposting while people tell their stories. Absolute shitpost, but I'm welcome to have my friends here with me. Hey, hey y'all. Alright. Thank you. So, I want the absolute creepiest story that we haven't read yet. Okay. Everybody in chat waiting in the waiting room, comment right now, and we're going to choose one person. And then all of you guys will just have to go cry. First, I'm going to put a Sassad's video up about his haunted basement. Sassad. Let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Why you guys are sending in your creepiest stories via the Discord link in the description. It's already freaking spamming. I'll find one for you, brother. Wait, okay. This ain't gonna work. See, four chicken nuggets, I would have picked you if you didn't spell suicide so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Suicide. Can't even spell suicide, like... A pedophile stalked me and broke into my house when I was home alone. Alright, here's... Blessed on me. Let me see. See, El the Creepypasta, we tried to bring you earlier, but uh, we couldn't get it to work. Maybe we'll try you again. So right, I have this, a Wendigo story. This is Sassad's basement footage, so you can get a good feel of... Uh, I'm trying to catch some stuff today. It's not. It hasn't been liking me talking about it recently. So, um... I hope that it... Okay, yeah, there it is. I think I think I've got. See that? Fucking spooky. First smile. Dot dog to pop out. Nothing. Smile dog. <laughs> Nothing. They come out of the corner. Sign of space for something. Here's the scary one right here. Very scary. Scary old person. That looks like such a claustrophobic area. Jesus Christ. Ugh. Yeah. No wonder it's haunted. All right. So we got anything just yet? Okay, we've got a lot of things. So it depends. How long do you want to keep going? We're going till uh, three hours altogether. All right, all right. So we have a couple, and I'll shout them out and see which one you you want to hear. We have Transcendent Blade Works. He's got a Marine Corps base ghost story. Then we have Mister Shadow, and I'm I'm a little bit on this guy's side. He has a uh, story about a deep swamp or Southern Boogeyman story. <laughs> Um, and then we have one right here from Tristan Gaming, a hidden burial ground and hidden family graveyard. Honestly, I think I'm with you there. I want to see what comes out of the swamp, besides you, my friend. Before we do that, oh. uh, Clancy, do you have any scary stories of your own? The, the, only, the only scary stories I have are really just by proxy with a friend of mine. We want to hear your scariest stories to top it off right after this one. Would that be okay? Yeah. One of your friends? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Sweet. All right, let's get into the swamp. Okay. Mr. Shadow, be prepared. We're bringing you in. You are the finale besides our buddy here, Mr. Spaghetti. So don't let us down. The pressure's on you. All right, Mr. Shadow. Good name. The swamp story better be swampy. Oh, hello. Good night. Mr. Shadow, do you hear us? I can hear you clearly. Can you hear me? Fantastic, man. So you got something scary to share with us. 
Uh, yes, two quick uh, sort of urban legends that I was told as I grew up. I grew up in the uh, lower parts of Alabama, so tons of swamps and woods. Yeah, and there's plenty of creature features. More Holy or less, shit, this sounds so good. I am ready but, to uh, be floored. I'll give you two. Uh, one was told to me by my great-grandmother, which uh, to this day still kind of freaks me out. And one was told by my father as a first-hand experience that he had while fishing one night in the uh, rivers. Right. Fair drink, so my throat might get a little dry. But I will do what I can. Gotcha. Uh, now, first, with my father's story, there are a uh, a lot of local fishermen tales, but one is really sort of known as the uh, River Wild Woman. Uh, no one can really tell what she is, but from all accounts, she's mostly decayed, and at first you might think that she's smiling at you, but really, from what I hear, it's due to the lack of lips on her face. Uh, apparently she runs around in a red dress, but it's stained with mud, and her bones sort of poke out through her skin. Yeah. She is, yeah, very much a, a hideous sight to receive. The way my father told me, as I was, uh, when I was real little, and this was right before he took me to the same river where he saw her, so, you know, just a, a great experience to bond. Uh, him and his father were out when he was very young, and what you do is, of course, there's uh, plenty of places to go camping. Uh, you have to find a good spot, though, because there are quite a few alligators and other things that want to crawl into the sleeping bag with you. Oh, yeah, plenty of that. But, yeah. Uh, so, from what he tells me is, it was probably past midnight, late at night, and he had a spotlight with him. Surely you have to go to the bathroom, as nature does call, especially deep at night. So, he decided to leave the safety of his tent and walk out into the woods and find a good spot to, uh, relieve himself. Right. Uh, of course, it's a, it's a, I'm trying to find a way to really describe the area it's very wooded and very damp. Like I said, the terrain is not very forgiving, and you can get turned around real easily. One way, though, that you can always tell that this woman, more or less, is nearby is the sort of chuckling you hear. He told me it's more of a chuckling you hear in the back of your mind, not one you hear on the wind or from the distance. He got really scared, and he sort of ran, and probably for about a good ten minutes, got turned around in the woods late at night. Uh, he told me that by the time he found his way back to camp, there was indeed a figure right outside of his tent. She had she had her back to him. I see. He could, he could see her scrawny exterior, her ripped dress, and she was walking away from the tent, and instead of going through the land, she just sunk down back into the river. Jesus. All, all the while, still hearing that chuckling in the back of his mind. Yeah, do not follow her. No. Ooh. That's, that's creepy. But That's, it's definitely a creepy one, but like I said, it really stuck with me because he took me to the exact same spot, as he says, uh, right before, uh, right after telling me that story. So that was one creepy one. But one that my grandmother told me, great-grandmother actually, was known as Bloody Bones. 
this is more or less Raw the name. Bloody I like bones, that. Huh? <laughs> this is more or less the uh the name to the boogeyman that I always had a bit of a fear of. Uh, as you can imagine, back when she was younger, things were different. Uh, and of course, there was a local man by the name of Curly Joe who kept to himself but had a more controversial, controversial view on things. Uh, his death was labeled as an accident, but from of course, urban legend standpoints and word of mouth, you know that uh, that might not be all true. Maybe a few local people weren't very happy with what he had to say and took justice into their own hands, or well, their perception of justice. Now, things were quiet for a while, up until the point where people started going missing for a while. Yeah. Eventually, it came between one man who was an alleged culprit and one local officer. Now, these these men were both friends and lived in the same area, of course. And neither one of them believed that this was a revenge or some sort of supernatural plot. And then two weeks later, the officer was found... Well, not really the officer per se, but just his skin. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That yeah. sounds nice. Wow. Yummy. Mm, just, just skin, as if he was skinned alive and everything was taken with him. Right. Wow. Now, somewhere along the line, I'm not sure how the story really progressed, but it was said that Bloody Bones was the vengeful spirit of Curly Joe. Uh, All these names. Yeah. The, well, you know, great. <laughs> I <laughs> I wish I could come up with better names than Curly Joe, but that's I'm just relaying the message. Hey, that scares the fuck out of me, to be honest with you. Uh, I see it. Well, when you hear Curly Joe, you kind of think of a more happy-go-lucky guy, and then to think of Curly Joe becoming a bloody skeleton that skins you alive and, as I'm told, chops up your meat and grinds your bones to dust so you can never wear your skin again. He does what to my meat? I don't know. I don't want anybody chopping it up. No. We'll have yeah. to talk about that. Just beats it. Just Yeah, just beat the meat. You don't have to be so cruel to it. Oh, well, you know, as a... I, I, I'm sorry, I screwed this up. The way it was supposed to be said was that Curly Joe was also a butcher. So, that, well, that was kind of profession. makes sense, huh? It was his profession was turning meat into products that you can consume, so... When you're uh, left behind with just a few well-sliced pieces of man meat and uh, some good wholesome skin, well, let's just say I don't like having my legs si uh, hang over the side of my bed. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. They would be like delicious with a side of fava beans. Hmm. But that was uh, that's a few of my stories. I wish I had... Uh, really compiled them into a better story format but nah, you did it's great, just local man. yeah just local stories that I have and I have a few more that maybe uh next time I hopefully can come up with a little better flow to the story dude we would love to hear that thank you for what you oh, gave right. us tonight no problem yeah. I have tons of them next time I'll be more prepared I swear <laughs> alright thank you so much have a good <laughs> one great. Woo! Right. so guys 
one more, one more before we get to Clancy. There is a user I have promised to hear their story. They don't want to type it up because then again, I get so many submissions, I don't know when I'd be able to use it. So I don't blame them. Uh, Kirby, we're going to put her in here. Is that all right? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, that is God not okay. <laughs> How dare you, doctors? Leave my chat now. <laughs> Our chat, baby. All right, Kirby, you're in. You'll need to unmute that mic and have that audio ready. Mom, Bye. hey guys. Kirby, how you doing? All right. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, yeah, we hear you. We hear you pretty good. Sorry, I've got um, I've got my laptop, so I'm all I'm all the way in holidays right now. So I was worried that um, it would not work. No, you're good. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Um, first of um, this happened when I was 13 years old. Some backstory. Me and my mum actually do a cleaning service um, for warehouses on the weekends. The areas we do clean, normally there's no one there. Um, it's pretty it's pretty spooky because we sometimes do it at night, sometimes at day. At night, and there was no one there. Um, it was almost night, so I was mowing the lawn, and my mother was actually um, watering the plants. And that's when this blue car came up and pulled up next to us. Spooky at first, but got over it, um, just continued mowing. But this guy came out. Um, he looked like he was almost 50 years old, and he just smelt like alcohol from the first sight. Right. Towards my mum. Obviously, I was really scared, but I didn't know what to do. I was sort of... I guess frozen in a way. You, you don't know how it feels until it happens to you. Um, it's really, it's a weird feeling actually. Yeah, so after the guy went up to my mum, he scared the crap out of her by um, touching her shoulder. She had her earphones in. I started demanding money of her. And remember, this, this place is completely uh, vacant. There's no one there. So it's just me, my mum, and this weird guy. And it was really scary. He had, I could see a knife um, in his pants. You know how people sort of hide their guns in movies and stuff there? Right. I think my mum saw it, but it was there. It was pretty spooky, actually. So basically, my mum told him to fuck off, obviously. Of course. And the guy went back into his car, but he he didn't leave the area. My mum actually went inside the inside the office area while I was still mowing, and the guy was just staring at me. It was really creepy. Our car was actually parked outside the gate, so it was on the road. I thought she had locked it. So what she had done, she actually called me into the office area because she didn't want me out there with this creepo by myself. Obviously, she was really scared. We were in the office, um, she had locked the gate up, the car was still outside, and that's when we heard our car door open. The guy was actually in the car, our car, tearing shit apart. At that point, um, my mum obviously called her husband, um, my stepdad actually, asking what the hell do we do? Um, and the guy actually thought that, um, please. So what he did was he actually took um, a pair of keys for the warehouse and ran off. Um, what was more scary is that he actually left his knife in there and he sort of 
stabbed her in my mum's teeth. Very good cousin. And it was a hunting knife. Oh. So and he was given, given two somebody later, away, huh? the, It was very creepy. It was very creepy. But what was worse is that two weeks later, um, the warehouse was actually opened, and on the security footage, my mum said that you could see the guy, the place trying to find a way in. Um, and the cops were call, called, and they found him. And apparently what happened was is that the guy was high on drugs or something. He wanted to kill us. There was photos of us um, mowing the lawns and stuff, and I don't know what he was doing, but I was only 13, so mm -hmm. I can assume it was very disgusting at the time. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Um, obviously, I don't have a script right in front of me. I'm sort of going off my memory. Right. Time. I was 13. It was absolutely... Um, it was very scary. It'd be traumatizing, really. Yeah, I had nightmares for weeks on end because all I could think about is this guy trying to attack my mum. At the time, she was actually seven months seven months pregnant, so um, this guy could have easily attacked her, taken me, and it would have been the end. But um, not saved me, I guess. Um, but at the end, I made it out. Now I'm 17, and now I'm actually working as um, in the warehouse as the warehouse coordinator. I think you've seen my um, your YouTube channel, but um, really good. I'm glad you guys got out of that situation safe, but it sounds like it was a premeditated situation. Sometimes I, I think back to it and think the situation, um, but hey, I made it out all right, so yay. Well, thank you so much for being patient with us so we could get to your story. That was a pretty good one. Uh, people people are sometimes the scariest monsters. Jesus. True. I'm the scariest monster you've ever met, sir. I will come for you. Get back in the are fucking swamp, dweller. God damn it. Oh, speaking of that's so. Speaking of Dweller, have you read the book Dweller? Do I look like I read? I've never even heard of it. It's really good. It's about a guy who uh, <laughs> finds this creature. I think it's in a cave, but it's a fucking monster, and he tames yeah, it, it and raises me. it. Yeah, it was yeah, probably it's... you. This is my autobiography, brother. But it's a huge <laughs> symbol for unhealthy relationships and how this thing yeah, basically ruins his life. Yeah, he touched me when I was a younger swamp, but, you know, a I'm a bigger swamp. biome now. I'm a bigger biome. I've got more land that I cover, you know. You're a whole goddamn bayou, aren't you, baby? Damn right. Anyways, I heard, uh, we have this dickbag named Second Clancy that has some stories. Who the fuck is Second Clancy? Yeah, <laughs> Clancy okay. Pasta. Oh, yeah, Second Clancy does Oh, exist. Clancy Pasta, oh, okay. Who's <laughs> Second Clancy? Yeah. All right, whenever you're ready, bro. I want to hear this. Scare me. Well, right. So, so this is... I've never had anything too directly... Me. That, that was, like, paranormal. But there's this one thing that, that happened kind of to me indirectly that I can't really explain. And a lot of it comes from a friend of mine. And, you know, if, if I can explain something... 
the logical way, and it doesn't need to include anything paranormal or weird, I, I'm going to go to that every single time. But this is one thing that I really about, and I, I, just, I just don't know how to explain it. And it sounds so cheesy, too. It sounds like a, like a fucking creepypasta from 2007 when it right. starts out. So when I was, like, in the ninth grade, uh, my friend, who, who I still talk to this day, and he's stuck by the story. I have no reason to think he's lying to me. Um, started seeing... So I'm not going to get too into it because that's, that doesn't really involve me the most. But he, he, in the middle of the night, he started waking up and seeing um, weird stuff when he, when he would be on his way to go to the bathroom or something. Um, I believe I remember him saying that it looked kind of like some sort of like goblin or or just like small hairy creature or whatever i was just like oh yeah that's crazy i didn't i didn't really think much of it or whatever right um but we were we were talking on xbox live one night it's not even directly connected to this but it happened at like the same time so it's maybe there's some sort of connection there but i was talking on xbox live with him and uh we i don't remember what we were talking about but he was just mid-sentence and all of a sudden, uh, an extremely loud screeching came through on his mic, and then complete silence. What and the then, fuck? and then he went offline. He was, and when he got back online, I asked him what happened. It was <laughs> so. It sounds like a fucking creepypasta, but he said he was playing Sonic the Hedgehog on like the uh, Xbox Live Arcade or whatever. Yeah. And uh, Sonic, his Sonic character fell through the ground. And it brought him to a screen that said, uh, I don't remember if it said game over, just left, but then it had a pixelated picture of Sonic the Hedgehog face down on Dune, just completely black. Um, all, all around him, which is not in the actual game. Yeah. He, he disconnected from the, the internet for a few minutes. So interesting to me and i i don't think he would lie to me maybe he would but it's been years now and he still sticks by this and he's a really logical guy too like he doesn't even believe in the paranormal but whenever it gets to this subject whenever i bring stuff up like this to him we both are just kind of like i don't know but the, the next thing that happened that's connected to this is within the month all this kind of happened within a month and kind of similar to the beginning happened a loud screeching over the mic he disconnected got back in and we were convinced that maybe uh, at the time like something spooky was going on definitely something spooky happening. did you jump when he heard this when he heard the screeching fine it was also really late at night and you know I was in high school I was such a pussy like I was so I was, I was even more scared than I am now of stuff. So, we, we weren't playing with anybody else. We were just playing through Xbox Live. And, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Halo 3, but we were like, okay, well, let's just load up a Forge game and just the two of us open up a map. We opened up a, a custom uh, a map file that I remember if it was Duck Hunt or it was something. If you're familiar with Halo 3, you, you may know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And we loaded this up. 
the map was completely fucked. Like, it, it was not even the map. It was just, there was just items out of place everywhere. Dick, items were in each other. It was not the map that we tried to load up. And you saw this yourself. In it, like we were, we were both in this match. It, it was also weird because it took forever loading into it. It took like we were stuck on this black screen forever. Then when it loaded up, it was all fucked. Uh, and so we were both, you know, as kids, like freaking out about it at the time, just like, oh my god, dude, what the fuck? And uh, so we we left, we loaded up again. And it was fine this time. Yeah. Okay, that's weird. That is weird. The, we decide, okay, we're going to load up a sand trap uh, match in Forge. Just the two of us in sand trap. And familiar with sand trap, it's it's basically just this this sand, a blank sand map. Uh, but there's there's a, like a boundary fence thing around the outside. So we load up the game. Me and him got in a vehicle and started driving around the perimeter of it. We just were for fun. I don't know. We used to do stuff like that. And it was just the two of us in the match. But on our little radar sensor, it showed the both of us. But every once in a while, every once in a while when driving around, outside of the border of the map, a red dot would appear. And it would appear for... We would both see it. At the time, he actually took a picture of it. And then it would disappear. But we were the only two in the map. So, And I've never experienced that since. And I saw the red dot there for an extended period of time. Uh, I mean, during that match. And I don't really know how to explain that. Once again, nothing too freaky. But, uh... That's basically it. Well, it was a good one. I like that fucking haunted game demon shit fest. Ugh. I mean, once again, I'm not, like, entirely, like, oh my god, it's fucking... It's fucking a ghost, bro. But it's just something I, I don't understand still. Yeah, I don't know. Creepy pasta. Creepy pasta. Give me a percentage on how much you think you believe that story. Five. I'd like to begin by stating that I've always believed in the paranormal. This happened when I was fourteen. During that time, I was living in an apartment with my older half sister and older half brother along with my little brother and my mother. I'd also like to note that in this apartment, my mom had this family picture of all four of us kids and her. She also had separate pictures of each of us near the kitchen along a windowsill. This is important later on. My younger brother and I came back from school one day to find the house empty. I forget what happened, but for some reason, my brother and I got into a fight at some point. Getting angry at one point, I went to my room and closed the door, trying to avoid my brother in the other room. I started to watch a movie, which I clearly remember being The Blind Side, when suddenly my brother comes barging into my room. He was half out of breath and looked as if he had seen a ghost. He told me while trying to catch his breath that he had seen a dog in the bathroom. Judging by his look and noticing how he never laughed or smiled, I could tell he wasn't joking around this time. He seemed extremely serious. I told him to come in, then I closed and locked the door to my room. I then, for one reason or another, grabbed two of my Bibles from under my bed 
that I kept safe in my shoebox. I gave him the older one, while I held the newer one that I recently got from my mother. We hid in my bed under the blankets, completely terrified and shaken, while grasping the Bibles close to our chests. We waited for what seemed like only a few seconds, when the locked door to my bedroom slammed open so hard it shook the entire house. My brother and I are completely terrified at that point. I suddenly began to pray in my mind, telling God to protect us. What follows after is complete silence. We waited for what seemed like forever, too scared to even lift the covers off of our heads. I was afraid that if I lifted the covers, it would be right there looking at us. Then my brother said after a few minutes of waiting that we should get up and to see if it was still there. We finally did so, and we found ourselves back to back with the Bibles held out in front of us. The first thing we did was go to the bathroom to check for anything. We looked inside, and it was clear. We then scanned the whole house to find it completely empty and quiet. We sat in the kitchen to process what had happened. I started asking my brother some questions about whatever he saw. I asked him what the dog looked like. He said it was huge, standing as tall as the kitchen counter, and its legs were all bent wrong, as if they were broken. He said that it was standing halfway behind the door, and it was facing the shower, which means the opposite to where my brother was standing. He said that it was slowly turning to face him, and as it did so, he could hear its bones and joints cracking. It was so bizarre sounding. I asked him if it was transparent, like a ghost, or if it was physically there, but he said that it was very much real. He couldn't see through it or anything like that. He explained that the ears looked almost like horns, and the mouth was drooling intensely. And worst of all, he said, its eyes were red. I was in complete shock when I heard this. Then I began denying his story in my head. I wanted to know whether he was lying or not. This was the most far-off story I'd ever heard. If he was lying, he would have laughed when he told me about it. That's always how he had been. He could never keep up with his lies because he found them hilarious. Besides, if it really was a prank, then who slammed open the locked door when we were hiding? He told me not to tell Mom about it. I'm not sure why he didn't want to but I didn't ask. I wished that the story would end there, but it doesn't. A few days after this hellhound attack, my mother suddenly screamed at everyone in the house to get up. It was four in the morning, and she was very angry at all of us. Everyone was clueless as to why she was so mad, especially so early in the morning. She then asked us in a very angry tone, why we would knock over the picture she had on the walls, and why in particular we broke the picture of the family. I raised an eyebrow and looked over at the pictures on the floor. They all had been knocked down, and just as my mother said, the picture of the whole family had been cracked and ripped. In fact, it had been torn exactly where our necks were. It was then that I did not believe that this was some coincidence. It was more like a threat. 
We all looked at each other in confusion. Then I looked at my younger brother and he gave me the same look of concern. I knew what he was thinking. The Hellhound. We proceeded to keep it a secret though, and left it at that, helping my mother clean up the mess. Later on, I asked my younger brother to draw it for me, and he did. If I still had the picture after all these years, I'd show it to you, but I do remember it being quite frightening. I remember my father believing the story, acting as if he had seen it, but never telling us his own story. All he would say was that he believed the Hellhound was representative of our family's turmoil and anger, and would grow with it. After all, my brother and I had been fighting just before. I finally told my mother about it several months after we moved out of the apartment. She was shocked. My mother does believe in the paranormal sometimes, and when I told her about this event, she seemed surprised. She asked me why I never told her until now. I only said that I didn't want everyone to freak out about it. Since then, I would have to say that this by far was the most horrifying encounter that I'd ever experienced. I remember the sudden sound of that door slamming open and the fleeting pitter-patter of my rapidly beating heart. I heard my own voice calling me upstairs from Sarah. We lived on the outskirts of one of the biggest cities in North Carolina. Before my current boyfriend and I began dating, we were best friends for five years. Needless to say, I was over at his place quite often, almost all the time. He and his brother lived in an old apartment townhome in a poor part of town that was built back in the 70s and hadn't really been updated much since. As you can imagine, it was pretty run down. Ever since I first visited the place, I had a bad feeling about it. There was a certain oppressive energy to that place. It's hard to explain without making me sound paranoid. Sometimes you could hear footsteps, despite no one else being there. Things would move on their own occasionally. This activity wasn't too bad at first. When I moved in, I was sleeping on the couch. My then-old boyfriend had just broken up with me. This was when I really began to notice just how active, for lack of a better word, this place truly was. The longer I was there, the more the activity would escalate. Now, my entire life, I felt that something has followed me wherever I go. I remember often seeing this shadowy figure when I was young following me around in my childhood apartment. And from there, it stayed with me to my college dorm room, my ex-girlfriend's house, and so on. Everywhere I went, no matter how near or far, how permanent or temporary, this shadowy figure would be there. Sure, there would be a quiet delay for a month or so, then it would start to show itself again. It was as though it had to take time to find where I'd gone, before reattaching itself to me, or perhaps it was letting me get comfortable, lulling me into a false sense of security. Anyway, not long after moving in with my current boyfriend, Steve, I began seeing this shadow figure again. 
I wasn't surprised. I would be sitting on the couch watching TV, and at the end of the long hallway to my right, toward the front door, I would see it in my periphery, gliding from the bottom of the stairs, which was just inside the front door, and into the kitchen. A short while after seeing this, out of the corner of my eye, I would catch what appeared to be the shadow figure's head popping out of the doorway leading to the living room from the other side of the kitchen. Every time I would turn to look, it would disappear. Imagine someone poking their head into a room and then quickly retreating when they saw that you were looking, like they didn't want you to actually see them. I saw this every day for a week or so, before Steve told me that he was seeing the exact same thing, despite the fact that I had never mentioned this to him yet. This confirmed to me that I had not been imagining it, and that whatever this thing was, it had found me yet again. This went on for another month, then it changed from almost curious to threatening. Steve, our friend CJ, and I were hanging out in the living room, drinking, talking, and having a good time. Steve and I began to tell CJ about the shadow figure we had been seeing. That was the night we found out that this thing apparently did not like us talking about it, because suddenly an ashtray sitting in the center of the coffee table flew off of it violently, crashing into the nearby wall with extreme force, leaving quite the memorable hole in the wall. It was like someone backhanded the thing in a burst of anger. The three of us were shocked, exchanging looks as if to say, how the heck did that happen? Fast forward a few days. At this point, Steve and I were testing the waters, so to speak. It was late one night, probably around three in the morning. We were cuddling on the couch watching some crime show. His stepbrother Chris was gone for the week, so we had the apartment to ourselves. The cat, Swirls, was curled up and snoozing in my lap. Long story short, there shouldn't have been any other noise anywhere else in the house. At one point, we were both beginning to doze off, when we were suddenly startled by a loud thump directly above us. It came from where Chris's bedroom was. Swirls instantly straightened up, on high alert. We stared at the ceiling together and muted the TV so that we could hear it better. A few moments passed by, then the silence was broken by yet another, followed by what sounded like heavy footsteps. They moved from Chris's room across the hall into Steve's room, then stopped before retreating back to Chris's room, stopping again where his closet would be. Steve. My eyes widened, and Steve sharply inhaled. Steve, come up here. I want to show you something. I looked up at Steve, and I could see that he was as disturbed as I was. That... that sounded like Chris, I whispered. He's not supposed to be back for another four days, right? Steve nodded 
Swirl stood up, his back arched and tail puffed out, the way cats do when they feel threatened. He began to stare down the dark hallway at the base of the stairs. Steve got up slowly, his brow furrowed with worry, then began to walk through the kitchen to look out the window, towards the parking lot. He's not here. His car's not here. He told me this as he took a few steps toward the staircase. Just as he made it to the bottom step and reached to turn on the light up at the top, we heard the door to Chris's room slam shut. Not wanting to separate, I rushed to join him, and as I clung to his arm, we cautiously went upstairs. Sure enough, Chris's door, which had been wide open since he left, was now closed. Steve tentatively reached for the doorknob, then began to open the door. He flipped on the light. We both froze, shocked. The room had been completely destroyed. It was now in total disarray. Drawers were hanging open, their contents strewn all over the floor. The bed looked as though its owner had been tossing and turning in his sleep, with the covers torn off the corners of the mattress and the pillows hanging off the edge of the bed. We were so unsure of what to think of this, we just shut the door again and went back downstairs. We both slept on the couch that night, letting that entity do whatever it wanted to do upstairs, as long as we didn't have to be a part of it. As time passed, we were still seeing the shadow figure multiple times a day, every day. It would pass through the hallway in the kitchen, peek into the living room, then moved back across the hallway and presumably upstairs. Occasionally, we would see it at the top of the stairs, until we would turn the light on, and it would disappear. Luckily for us, we hadn't heard that creepy voice again, but whenever we would go into Steve's room, we always felt this unnerving, almost magnetic energy coming from Chris's room. It was like something was trying to pull us in, and whatever that something was, it seemed to inhabit Chris's room now. About a month and a half after the first incident, we were lying on the couch together, watching Harry Potter. It was late at night once again, about 3 a.m. I guess we didn't learn our lesson the first time. Chris was gone again, staying the weekend with his girlfriend. So, once more, we had the place to ourselves. It was then that I noticed the shadow again. It was moving around at the foot of the stairs. It wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary, really, so I didn't put too much thought into it, as at that point, it was such a regular occurrence that we just ignored it most of the time. The especially creepy moments... Like the night it copied Chris's voice, those were few and far between. I was about to get up to use the bathroom when I heard it, and it sent chills right down my spine, like a lightning strike or an electric shock. Sarah. 
I was petrified, unable to move. I looked over at Steve, hoping that I had just imagined it, my eyes wide with pure fear. He sat up instantly. I knew that he heard it too. Sarah, where are you? Come here, I can't find you. This time, the voice sounded much more like Steve's. Once again, it was calling us from upstairs. But I was looking right at Steve. He had been sitting next to me. What the hell? My voice was shaking. I was terrified and recalled the last time we heard a voice like that. Steve pulled me close to him, and we sat like that motionless, waiting for what felt like hours. We knew better this time than to explore the upstairs. Besides, this time around, I was too horrified to move from that couch. Several silent long minutes passed. We started to relax a bit, thinking that it was over. But we were wrong. Just when we were feeling alone again, safe again, we heard it. Sarah. It was talking in a whisper now, but this new voice was more terrifying than any before it. It continued. Sarah, Steve, come upstairs. I want you to see this. You see, what was really disturbing to me this time around was that the whisper was my own. It was my voice calling out to me from upstairs. I broke down into tears then, sobs violently racking my body. Together, Steve and I jumped up, and we ran for the door. Outside, we jumped into Steve's car and drove to his mom's dog grooming shop, about fifteen minutes away. It was there that we slept for the remainder of the night feeling far more at ease on the couch in the break room there, rather than our own apartment. We heard these disturbing and eerie voices several more times before we finally moved out. I have no idea what that thing was, what it wanted, but it clearly was trying to lure us into that room for whatever reason using voices that it knew were familiar and comforting to us, twisting them into something we should be afraid of. I won't forgive it for that. It used its power and its knowledge to scare us out of our wits. Now we live in a home a half hour outside the city. We've been here a year and a half now, and thankfully... We haven't heard any disembodied voices since we moved out of that apartment. But what scares me is that we still see the shadows. A few weeks back, a good friend of mine from college called me up and asked if I wanted to spend a week or so with him up at his great-aunt's lake house in the mountains of Virginia. His great-aunt had recently passed away, and the family was still in the process of sorting out the will. 
However, it was looking pretty certain that the cabin and the surrounding property were going to be sold off fairly soon. Besides, most of the beneficiaries of the will lived halfway across the country, so they were glad to have someone look after the place instead of just leaving it empty. With that in mind, we decided to meet up there and take a few days to unwind, and of course catch up. Now, my friend had told me a few things about this cabin prior to going, and he had warned me that it was a little bit old and run down. I took that in stride, but I was not prepared for just how old and run down it really was. Because, apparently, the building and the surrounding outbuildings had been around since the 40s, well before the river in the valley below had been dammed to create the lake. The cabin was small, but it was still reasonably nice, even if the porch and some of the outbuildings seemed like they would collapse at any moment. The nicest part of this cabin, however, was how sublimely quiet the whole area was. Even though the other end of the lake was heavily developed, the shoreline where the cabin was located was very rocky and mountainous, so there were no other neighborhoods or marinas in the area. In fact, other than the occasional sounds of a particularly loud boat going by in the distance, the wilderness was almost spookily quiet. Almost. It took the better part of the afternoon to air out the musty cabin and to get unpacked. Then the final step was finding somewhere to stow the little john boat I'd brought along. The forecast called for rain during the night, and I had foolishly forgotten the tarp at home. But the old barn seemed just the ticket for storing the boat. I backed the trailer over to the barn, but when I went to roll open the sturdy double doors, I found them bound together by a heavy stone chain and the biggest padlock I'd ever seen. I also noticed that there were two large and fairly new 4x4 timbers bolted onto the exterior walls of the barn to keep the main doors from rolling open. That was definitely strange, sure, but considering the ramshackle condition of the barn, I figured the boards and chains were probably just meant to keep anyone from going inside the unsafe structure. A safety precaution. I figured I would just back the boat into the wood shed instead, but just as I turned away from the barn, I heard a rustling inside. It wouldn't have been out of the ordinary at all, except for the fact that it seemed to be coming from high up in the barn, well above where your average rat would be hiding. I pressed my ear to the door of the barn for a few moments, but the rustling didn't come again. However, if I listened closely, I could hear breathing. It was like the breathing of a goat or a sheep or even a small calf. It was slow and steady, and it was certainly stronger than the shallow and sharp breaths of a rat or a squirrel. My curiosity was piqued. I then pressed my eye to the thin slit in between the two barn doors trying to get a glimpse of whatever was inside. I could not see anything within, except for a few beams of light slanting in through holes and openings in the barn's upper structure. But then, I was jolted away from my concentration 
by the sound of my friend's voice from up by the cabin, asking me if I needed some help. No thanks, man. I've got it. I called back before taking one last look at the barn and getting back in the truck. By the time I cleaned out a spot in another one of the outbuildings and got the boat trailer inside, the sun was starting to sink below the treetops. On top of that, my stomach was beginning to rumble. When I headed back to the cabin, I was elated to find my buddy putting a couple of sandwiches on the freshly cleaned kitchen table. As we ate our simple but satisfying dinner, I told him about the odd sounds I'd heard coming from inside the barn. He shrugged, said it was probably just a raccoon or possum. Made sense to me, I guess, but when I mentioned the boards and the lock and the chain on the doors, a more quizzical look crossed his face. That's weird. I found almost the exact same thing done to the attic door here in the house, he said, gesturing towards the other end of the room. I got up from the table and walked over to the rickety staircase. And sure enough, the trapdoor at the top of the stairs was covered with three fresh two-by-four boards, and the latch was bound with a heavy-duty padlock. Of course, the cabin wasn't in much better condition than the barn, and the plaster ceiling had several holes in it that showed through to the attic. So maybe that was the reason for the boards and the lock. Our conversation soon moved on to other subjects, and before long we had forgotten the strange locked doors entirely. We stayed up for about two more hours, catching up with one another and laying out our fishing supplies for the next day. Finally, though, we both decided to call it a night, since we had planned to get up early the next day and head out onto the lake. There was only one bedroom in the house, so I opted to take the couch and in the calm silence of the isolated cabin, it didn't take me too long to drift off to sleep. My rest was not peaceful, however. All night long, I experienced nightmare after nightmare. I dreamt of mazes and dark woods, of claws and things and men without faces, never once waking from my sleep, but instead simply tumbling from one dream to the next. When I woke up early the next day, I was exhausted. I felt as though I had run a marathon in the night, rather than sleeping at all. And as I brewed a cup of coffee for the morning, my friend shambled into the kitchen. It was apparent that he had also slept poorly. Did you by chance have a bunch of weird dreams last night? I asked as he rubbed his eyes in the morning light. Mm-hmm. You do? He answered and asked me in return. I nodded, and we both resolved that maybe it had just been something we had eaten the night before. Once we both had our dose of caffeine for the morning, we packed up our gear and put the boat in the water. However, as I walked by the old barn on the way to the water's edge, I couldn't help but stop and press my ear to the boards again. The sound of breathing was still there but this time it was slower, more gentle, like an animal that was sleeping quite soundly. I quickly made my way down to the boat, but I couldn't shake the feeling that there was something off about everything around the old cabin. Nevertheless, 
spent the whole day fishing and swimming and motoring around the lake, so the nightmares and boarded-up doors were soon far from my mind. In fact, we stayed out on the lake well into the evening, and by the time we returned to the cove with the cabin, it was dark enough that we needed to use a flashlight to dock. As we were unpacking all of our fishing gear and life jackets from the boat, I suddenly became aware of a strange new sound mixed in with the constant backdrop of peeping frogs and chattering cicadas. It was the sound of flapping wings. Now, we had spooked a few large blue herons around the lake that day, and several great gray owls make their home on the family farm, but this sound was not like either of those. It was bigger. I stood there and listened as the sound made slow circles around the cove, but whenever I pointed my flashlight into the air, I saw nothing but the tops of pines and poplars. Hey, what's going on? My friend asked, looking up at me from the boat. Shh, do you hear that? What on earth is that? I whispered back. He stopped and listened and he gradually developed the same confused expression as me. It's probably just a heron, dude. Stop worrying so much. He said with less than complete certainty. I listened to the flapping as it circled for a few more moments, but finally I decided to take my friend's advice and just stop worrying about it. I headed inside, but between getting such little rest last night, and an exhausting day on the lake. My buddy and I both soon felt our eyelids getting heavy. So we said goodnight and headed off to bed. Despite my borderline exhaustion, I couldn't sleep. I lay there on the couch, tossing and turning, simply staring at the ceiling above me. As I lay there awake, thinking about the events of the day, I was basically jerked out of my thoughts by the sudden thunk of something hitting the roof. I figured that maybe an old dead branch had tumbled down onto the roof as the wind had picked up a little outside and there was even thunder in the distance. But soon I also heard a scrabbling, scratching sound. It was coming from the attic above me. I laid there stone still, listening as the scratching came in little bursts and waves. As though something was taking its time and picking its way through the attic. The scratching grew closer and closer, eventually sounding as though it were practically right above my head. But after a momentary pause, it began moving back in the other direction. However... In the darkness of the cabin, I could not make out anything through the holes in the ceiling, except for an occasional flash of movement. As unsettling as the whole thing was, I kept telling myself to stay calm. It was probably just a squirrel or something like that. But then I remembered the flapping sound from earlier, and I decided it was well worth trying to investigate. I grabbed my flashlight from the floor and quietly moved in the direction of the scratching, following it through the small kitchen area and down the hallway towards the room where my friend was staying. Every few seconds, 
I would click the flashlight on for a moment, shining it at the ceiling and trying to catch a glimpse of something through the numerous holes and cracks of the ceiling. Finally, the scratching made its way beyond the door to where my friend was sleeping, and not wanting to disturb him, I figured I would just head back and try to get some sleep. Again, I didn't have much to go on, so I had to assume it was some rodent. Luckily though, or perhaps very unluckily, something in the back of my mind made me turn towards the door to the bedroom again. I pressed my ear to the door, listening for any trace of scraping or scratching, but instead, I heard something more familiar. A deep, heavy breathing that I'd heard in the barn the day before. Before you ask, I'm certain it wasn't the breathing of my friend in his bed, because I could hear that too, breathing and rustling beneath the sheets, but this other sound was the breathing of a medium-sized animal, deep and steady and voluminous. If you've ever worked around cows or horses, you know just the sound I'm talking about. Likewise, as I listened, I heard my friend begin to breathe more erratically, and his tossing and turning grew wilder, more agitated, as though he were having a very active nightmare. I could no longer contain my frightened curiosity, so I eased the door open as slowly and quietly as I could, creating a roughly six-inch crack to peer into the dimly moonlit room. To my horror, I could see the vague silhouette of a long, thin object hanging down from the ceiling just above my friend's bed as he tossed and turned, contorting himself in his sleep, as though he was trying to avoid the touch of some unseen attacker. Initially, I was worried that the dangling silhouette might be a snake, trailing itself down from the attic and on to my unsuspecting friend. However, when I turned on my flashlight and illuminated the room, what I saw was much, much worse. The slender shadow above my friend was not a snake. Instead, it was a long, glistening, pinkish tongue. Above my friend's bed, protruding through one of the many holes in the worn-out ceiling, was a slender snout, covered in fur the color of rust, and lined with thin, leathery, brownish-black lips. <gasps> a terrified shout and a few choice expletives sprang uncontrollably from my mouth before I could cover it, and I took an involuntary step backwards, recoiling in disgust and shock. Thanks to my sudden outburst, my friend woke with a start, only to utter a scream of his own upon seeing the grotesque creature above him. He clambered back across the bed, pressing himself against the wall at the head of the bed. The tongue quickly began to retract back up to the ceiling, while a cacophony of squeaking and scratching echoed from the ceiling above. As the tongue slithered back into the protruding maw, the snout quickly disappeared, back through the hole in the ceiling. Immediately, the scratching from earlier resumed and began to make its way quickly back through the attic above us. Snapping himself out of his shocked stupor, my friend sprang from the bed, running past me and into the kitchen. 
He grabbed a broom and began whacking and beating at the ceiling, following that scratching along its path toward the front of the house. I followed him as he began to beat upon the ceiling. I shined the flashlight upwards, trying to catch a glimpse of whatever it was through the holes and slits in the decrepit ceiling. Then, to our great dismay, the handle of the broom went clean through the ceiling in the middle of the living room. His efforts were rewarded with a surprised shriek and a chorus of panicked scratching and skittering from the attic above, informing us that he had made contact with the thing in the attic. Our excitement was short-lived, as the scratching noise was quickly overpowered by the groan of old wood and the crumpling of ancient plaster. Chips and chunks of the plaster ceiling began to fall. A few seconds later... An enormous section of the rotten planking fell through into the living room floor directly in front of us, bringing the very unwelcome guest with it. I angled the flashlight into the dusty mass on the floor, and what I saw in the midst of the rubble was not something that I will ever forget. Lying there, scrambling to reorient itself, was a creature that most closely resembled a bat. However, it was far larger than any bat I'd ever heard of, its body was the size of a large dog, and although its wings were curled close to its body at the moment, they would likely have been five or six feet across when fully spread, if I had to guess. Its entire body was covered in the same rust-red fur that carpeted its long snout, and its eyes were bulbous and glassy, squinting in discomfort against the bright assault of my flashlight. Its mouth bore no teeth, but the fingers at the joints of its wings had formidable claws. It squeaked and hissed furiously, swinging the tip of one wing at my friend as it pulled itself free of the debris on the ground. At that point, I came to my senses and remembered my forty-four Magnum was in the cab of the truck outside. I shouted to him that I had to get it before dashing out of the side door. I retrieved my revolver in a hurry when I heard the shattering of glass from the cabin behind me. My friend was shouting in a panic. I ran back toward the front of the house only to see the shadowy shape of that creature lifting off from the porch next to a freshly broken window, climbing rapidly into the night sky. If I looked closely... I could track its shape across the blue-black velvet of the sky, but it was far too high and moving way too fast to get a shot off at. At least it was gone. My friend and I took a moment to assess the situation, and he quickly made the decision to burn down the old barn. He believed that that was where the thing, or perhaps things, must have been hiding and living. All of the buildings would be destroyed by whatever developer bought the land anyway, so nobody would be out of anything as far as we could tell. Besides, I wasn't about to argue with him after the night we just had. I silently spread fuel oil around the base of the barn. Once everything was packed into the trucks, we ignited the volatile mixture and wordlessly walked to our vehicles, listening closely for any sounds of wings in the air above us. 
Finally, when the massive barn was suitably ablaze, my friend called 911 to report a lightning strike and subsequent fire. Then the two of us quickly got on our way before the wail of distant sirens grew too close. I've done a plethora of research on just what it was that we saw that night, but I've never found a good explanation. The animal's looks and features most closely matched that of a fruit bat, with its long toothless snout and extending tongue. But no fruit bat anywhere around the world reaches anything close in size to what we witnessed. If it was, in fact, an herbivorous fruit bat, what was it doing perched above my friend's bed? And are the nightmares we both experienced connected to it in any way? More importantly, was it a lone freak of nature, or was it just one member of a larger colony? Were the barn and attic boarded up to keep it out, or were they failed attempts to keep it in? I have plenty of lingering questions about what we saw that night, but I doubt I'll get any answers. The one thing I can say for certain about the whole ordeal is that that thing, it's still out there, because it flew off into the night, so God knows where it ended up. Who knows where it's making its home now? The Shoe Shoe Wisp from Darren During the Christmas holiday of 2017, I had to work. Considering I was in the middle of a bit of a family feud, I didn't have anyone to visit and therefore welcomed the idea of working for triple-time pay instead. I worked for a national park service in the Midwest. No, I wasn't a ranger, I was more like a groundskeeper. My primary duties included picking up trash, maintaining decorative plants along pathways and walkways, cutting down dangerous trees or branches, etc. If the woods needed maintaining or cleaning up, it was my job. Now, the national park I worked at got particularly busy around holidays, but would always be empty on the holidays themselves. Basically, this meant trash would be at its highest point just before everyone left for home to spend time with their families. That year was no exception, and as I walked outside alone into a light flurry that evening, I began my hours-long onslaught of picking up other people's refuse. I started at 2 p.m., and by 5.05 p.m., it was dark out. By then, I'd finally cleaned up the primary walkways around the souvenir shop and the visitor hub. I packed in my tools and headed back to the employee building as the wind picked up. I couldn't help but be reminded of how bizarre it was that that time of year it would be pitch black by five. The early dark was a bit creepier than normal darkness, if you ask me. I jumped when my phone rang. I pulled it from my pocket and read the caller ID. Uh, it was my boss. I cleared my throat and swiped the green icon, then spoke. Hello? I winced when I realized how tired I sounded. 
Darren, it's Bev. We're gonna need a tree cut down along the hiking trail leading into the northeast campgrounds. Things about to fall down. Don't want it to crush any visitors. Nope. I agreed. Inwardly, I was a little irritated. Depending on the thickness of the tree, it could be a monumental task. And I was scheduled to clock out by 8pm. Hey, I had nowhere to go that day, sure, but I didn't want to work all night in the freezing cold dark cutting down some tree alone. Get that done ASAP. Probably no campers tonight, but I don't want to risk it. Good night, and uh, Merry Christmas. She then hung up. I tucked my phone back in my pocket and entered the employee building, putting back my wool gloves and a box of extra trash bags, exchanging them for heavy-duty rubber gloves, some orange tape, and the biggest saw I could find. Then I took off on the walkway leading to the campgrounds. The campgrounds were northeast of the building and lie deep in the woods, so the walk took me about 15 or 20 minutes. Once there, the hiking trail starts at the east of the campgrounds. This was another 10 minutes of walking. At first, I wasn't sure there was actually a dead tree on the trail. My boss may have been wrong about where it was located, but eventually I found it, an old pine tree decrepit and crumbling. It was no longer that healthy woods brown color. Instead, the trunk was gray. Yep, looked like this thing could fall at any time. And unfortunately for me, the sucker was about 44 inches around, pretty thick for something I was going to have to cut down by hand. With a sigh, I began to tape off the trail so that no one could hike beyond that point. I would be angling the tree to fall onto the trail itself, as that was the direction it was hanging anyway. In fact, having it fall in any other direction would have been difficult or impossible. I took out my saw and got to work. But first, I laid the lantern down about ten yards away or so, pointing at me. Those things were extremely bright, so it had to be pretty far back or it would have blinded me. As I saw it at the trunk of the tree, I was quickly getting winded, and speaking of wind, it was picking up even more, making the tree strain a bit. Wouldn't it be nice, I thought, if the dang thing just snapped and got it over with. I sat down for a while after sawing for about half an hour. I was already sore, not to mention I hadn't seen hide nor hair of another person since noon so I was sure no one would be venturing through here. I was taking a break, sipping on a tin of coffee that had already gone cold. Gross, but it kept me energized. As I screwed the cap back on the coffee tin, I froze, and my eyes widened. A strange sound blew along the air, coming from further up the trail. I wanted to encourage myself that it was just the wind, nothing to worry about. But this didn't sound like wind. It sounded like a moan, long-winded and deep, coming from some sort of animal. Because I'd be damned if that sound was coming from a human being. What the heck was it? I'd worked in the woods for a few years now, and I'd never heard a sound like that. And as the sound grew louder... The wind itself seemed to grow stronger. The trees around me were bending and creaking, slapping against each other and straining under their own weight. It continued. 
As confused as I was, my interest was beyond piqued. I was curious and was not ready to go back to sawing that tree. So I picked up my lantern, pointed it up the trail, ducked under the tape, and began to walk along the path. With each step I took, each turn that I rounded, the shoo-shoo sound swelled. I walked for about a hundred yards up that trail, until the shoo-shoo sound stopped and the wind died down completely. It was quite disturbing when the wind stopped in a split moment, causing the strained and bending trees to stand upright again, all at once, all around me, as if they had become conscious and aware of me. I stopped as well, but not because of the wind and noise dying down, but because of the tree that stood in the middle of the trail. Right dang in the middle of it, a thin and frail tree. This freaked me out. If this tree had been here before, I would have heard about it. I would have been made to cut it down ages ago. I took a step forward and shuddered, because I swear I saw the tree shake. Another step forward, and I heard a single shoo. I swallowed hard. That sound. I was certain it was coming from that tree. With another step, my lantern better illuminated its form. What I thought was a tree trunk suddenly lifted itself off the ground and joined another stump-looking form. These two things weren't stumps at all. They were legs. Tall, extremely thin, and covered in ridges that resembled bark. I couldn't breathe, but I managed to lift the lantern and angle it upwards, revealing more of this non-tree creature. Its entire body was covered in these fake bark ridges. It was a gray-brown color. It had two legs, two arms, a torso, and a neck that went up and crooked back down like an oblong checkmark. Every single inch of the creature, appendages, neck, head, and body alike, they were all the same thickness and were entirely featureless, like some sort of seven-inch thick stick figure made of wood. The sound protruded from what I thought was the top of its wooden, featureless head. I watched this massively tall thing take way too slow steps and disappeared into the woods to my right. As soon as its steps became a distant echo, I tripped, gathered myself, and ran for my life, panting like an idiot. I ran past the tape and made for my car back at the employee building. I drove home, letting Bev, my boss, know that I wasn't able to take the tree down by hand and would need some help with it. I didn't tell her that I went home early. I was planning on telling her that I just forgot to clock out that night. I worked there for another year or so, then transferred to a different park where I've yet to encounter anything sinister or unexplained. I like it that way. Normal. Normal is good and boring and exactly how I want it. Screw that thing I saw made me question everything, made no sense at all. I wasn't ever able to bring myself to tell my friends this story. I mean, had I seen Bigfoot or a ghost, I would have told them in a heartbeat. Those are far more believable. As for that tree-creature thing, 
I don't want to see it again, even if it's not dangerous, but who knows. He heard her voice from M. Jean Romeo. This story took place last year in July. I went on a trip to Edinburgh, Scotland, with all of my immediate family. We were supposed to be meeting up with my paternal grandparents while we were there, but rather freakishly, about two weeks before we were due to travel there, my grandmother got in a bad car accident and was rushed to the intensive care unit. She had been driving along a busy road and hadn't seen the other car coming. Of course, my granddad was not going to leave her side while she lay unconscious in the hospital. So we debated whether to still go on the trip, as the main reason we were going was to spend time with my grandparents, as we hadn't seen them in so long. Eventually, we decided we'd still go. We just didn't want to miss the opportunity to spend time together as a family. We arrived in Edinburgh on the Monday and spent the first few days checking out local tourist spots. My favorites were visiting the castle and the Edinburgh dungeons. Then the Wednesday of that week, we all traveled down to the hospital my grandmother was being treated at. Due to the seriousness of her injuries, though, we weren't allowed in her room. I did catch a glimpse of her through the window and the door. I saw her lying motionless in her bed, her face bruised and pale. Her left leg was wrapped up in bandages, and her entire body looked bruised, battered. She looked so small and broken, but what hurt me the most was the expression on my granddad's face as he opened the door and came out of the room to greet us. He looked defeated, like he had passed the point of sadness and no longer held any hope. I could see dried tears on his cheeks. He immediately threw himself at my dad and began to cry into his shoulder. We stayed there for a few hours, taking Granddad down to the hospital cafe to make sure he ate. It was early evening by the time we left, and I was relieved to see that a little bit of life had returned to my Granddad's eyes after our visit. We arrived back at our hotel in Edinburgh a couple of hours later. Everyone was tired, so we all decided to go straight to bed. I entered my hotel room and immediately dropped down on the bed. It had been both physically and emotionally exhausting that day. It didn't take me long to fall asleep. I woke up to the room engulfed in darkness. I hadn't even turned the lights on when I entered the room, as it had been fairly light out still. So I sat up in bed reaching over to the little bedside table for a bottle of water that I'd left there. As it was so dark and I was wearing my glasses, I had to feel around for it. But when I reached out, my fingers came into contact with something cold and firm and fingered. It was a hand. I felt a shudder ripple up my spine. I frantically reached behind me for the control panel for the lights, once I found the button, the lights came on and I came face to face with a figure. The figure of my grandmother crouched next to my bed. No sound escaped me as I stared at her. She didn't look quite solid, 
and she was still wearing the gown I'd seen her in at the hospital. Grandma? I stuttered. She was staring at me, her eyes wide and almost terrified. I saw her glance briefly at the window before looking back at me. I frowned and leaned forward. Grandma, is that you? I asked, voice more confident this time. She moved back slightly and I heard her whisper to me. Don't let it in. Please keep it away. I'm scared. Where's Pete? I want Pete. Where's my Pete? Pete will protect me. Pete will keep it away. I frowned at her in confusion. What in the world was she talking about? Let what in? Pete was my granddad's name. What did she need him to protect her from, exactly? She looked again to the window. Clearly seeing something there that I could not, she screamed and bolted from the room into the bathroom. I'd never seen my grandma move so fast. She'd always had problems with her knees, so how she moved like that, I couldn't explain it. I got out of bed and walked to the bathroom door. I hesitated, still scared, before pushing the door open. My grandma wasn't there anymore. She was gone, vanished into the night as if she was never there. And then I almost jumped out of my skin at the sound of someone knocking at the room door. I unlocked it and opened it. There stood my dad outside. He had been crying. Apparently, Grandma had passed away that very night. Her injuries had proved too much for her fragile body to get over, and her heart suddenly gave out. I felt tears beginning to stream down my own face at the news. Dad held me close to him, and I began to break down. Then I told him about the apparition that I'd just seen. When I mentioned the look of fear on her face... I could see concern in his brow. But then he quickly smoothed his expression and told me that she was at peace now, that nothing could hurt her anymore. I tried to believe his words, but I couldn't get her expression out of my mind. We left Edinburgh a few days later, just my dad staying behind to attend the funeral, as we all couldn't get time off work for it. After the funeral, Dad later told me that Grandad had heard his wife's voice as he looked at her for the last time. Just before they buried her, he said that her voice told him that she was in fact at peace. This did ease my conscience for a little while, but then I began to experience very horrible dreams. Dreams where I could see my grandma crying, begging to come back. Her face was twisted in fear at the threat of some unknown enemy. I could not sleep for two weeks straight, but I didn't tell anyone as I didn't want them to worry about me. Eventually, the dream stopped and I carried on with my life. It's been nearly a year now, but lately I can't help but wonder, was that really her voice that my granddad heard, or was it the thing that was after her soul? simply mimicking her voice. I can only pray that my grandma escaped whatever that thing was 
and death. Japanese Ghosts in Uhaj from Homer O. Location Ifugao, Philippines. It was in the month of May of 2015 when I went to Baguio in the Philippines for an outreach program. We would be carrying school supplies to Lubo Ong, a school in the district of Hungduan on top of a mountain in Ifugao. We were the first to arrive at the rendezvous point in Nuhaj and had to wait for other volunteers coming from Manila. On our first day, we stayed in the cottages, but we moved to the library the following day to make room for other guests. The library smells like what libraries ought to smell like, old books and paper. The room showcases a decaying tree in the center with branches reaching up to the ceiling where the light bulbs are attached. Its trunk had the light switch and power outlets where we could charge our phones. Ten of us would be spending the night there, and though we only had mattresses between us and the floor, it was still quite cozy and comfortable. One of my friends noticed an old backpack hanging on one of the branches nearby. Curiosity got the better of us, so we decided to have a peek of what's inside. We didn't expect to find what we found. We were creeped out when we saw it. A human skull without a jaw. We immediately put it back and tried to forget about it. We turned the lights off except for one, in case someone needed to go out and use the bathroom. You wouldn't want to accidentally step on someone in the floor that was sleeping. It was quiet, and my eyes were closed, but I know that I wasn't the only one still awake. Suddenly, I felt this presence as if someone was watching us. I opened my eyes and saw something lurking in the shadows beside the shelves. It appeared to be the figure of a man wearing a yellow uniform. I stood up and turned the other lights on, but when I looked back, no one was there. The people that were still awake stared at me. I said I thought I saw someone and pointed a finger in that corner. Some of them understood what I was talking about, because they too had felt or heard something. They said it was fine and it was probably just the ghost of a Japanese soldier. It's harmless, they said. Not to worry, they said. I asked them, why was he wearing yellow? No one can answer that. I turned the lights back off and laid back down to go to sleep. That night, I had a dream about a Japanese officer arguing with his superiors because he didn't follow orders. A few months after staying there, I went to a museum and found out that back in the days, a Japanese pilot uniform is not fatigue, but somewhat of a yellow color. Now back to the library. The following day, something else strange happened. While we were having coffee in the afternoon, my friend and I found an old children's book that imitated the sound of an animal when you press a button. A couple of the other kids played with it, but something about it was really off to me, so I ignored it. Later that night, everyone else was asleep as usual, and I was of course having trouble going to sleep myself. I suddenly heard the sound of that goat bleat coming from that stupid book. I opened my eyes and I stood up. I began to look around, seeing if someone was playing with the book. I saw the book on the shelf where we had left it. 
and there was no one nearby. I thought maybe the button was broken or something, so I went back to sleep. Just when I was about to close my eyes, I heard it again. I was already so tired, I just closed my eyes harder. When I did finally fall asleep, I ended up dreaming again. It was about the Japanese soldier again. There were people after him. He jumped into a river, but it was too late by then, because the man could not swim. His body slowly sank to the bottom, and when it all went black, I woke up. My friends told me that during their previous visit here, one of them had a similar experience. They woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of a djembe, an African drum. He stood up, went outside and saw our friends playing with the drums, but what those children didn't see were these soldiers gathering around them, surrounding them, dozens of them, in old Japanese uniforms. When the boy rubbed his eyes, the children were all alone again, playing with the drums innocently, and the Japanese soldiers were nowhere to be seen. I think both he and I are wondering still, where are the soldiers coming from? And if they really are spirits, why are they coming back? It was much later after this that I found out that our host, the library, was temporarily used as storage for the bones of the soldiers that fell, and that skull was one such bone. A Ghoul in the Woods From Anonymous I lived in a little town in Maryland, right on the border with Virginia and West Virginia. My town was very old, established in the 1700s. It was originally established right on the banks of the Potomac River. Back in the day, a lot of people drowned whenever the river would flood, so the woods surrounding the river were considered by some to be haunted. Anyway, it was summer break, and being the raging insomniac I was, I always enjoyed summer break, because I could stay up later than normal. This incident, however, took place when I wasn't allowed to be out. On that particular night, I had stayed out late, came home, and then spent a couple of hours tossing and turning, trying to sleep. Finally, around 3 a.m., I gave up, deciding to sneak out and walk around in the woods. I've had my fair share of creepy experiences, but I'd never had any in the woods up to this point, so I had no reason to doubt my safety. So I slipped out the back door, went down the road, across the train tracks, and into the forest. Now there were lots of reasons why a 15-year-old girl shouldn't be wandering those woods at night, and there were junkies that frequented the area, as well as other less than tasteful characters. But I was dumb, and also not the type to scare easily. I had my trusty knife in my jacket pocket, as well as my phone for a flashlight, and my iPod, as I loved listening to music. As I walked through the woods, staying off the path, and keeping the hood on my jacket up, I was trying to draw as little attention to myself as possible. No one ever bothered me there. I decided to walk through a part of the woods that I frequented during the day, but I never bothered to explore it at night. There was a tiny clearing there with the foundation of an old building. I always assumed it used to be a house, as well as an old log I liked to sit on. As I entered the area, immediately, 
It felt off. It felt different compared to the daytime. It was like I wasn't alone. I took one of my earbuds out and cautiously continued forward, more curious than frightened. Whatever else was there with me didn't feel normal, so I thought it might be some kind of animal, something that could be dangerous, but I wanted to see what it was. As I crept toward the edge of the clearing and peeked through the trees, I saw something that made my heart stop. There was a figure. At first I thought it was a person, someone down on all fours, but then I noticed the way it moved. It was slightly jerky in its motion, and its bone formation looked odd. Its legs were long, kind of shaped like a dog's. Its arms were very long too but human in shape. It had impossibly long, claw-like fingers, and its skin was a grayish-white. It was terribly skinny. I could see bones protruding through its skin. Yet somehow, despite its appearance, it seemed strong. Like if it got a hold of me, it could snap me in half without issue. It was wandering around the building, around the foundation, like it was looking for something. I saw a backpack lying nearby. It looked like it had been torn to shreds by that thing over there, and with the moonlight filtering through the trees, I could tell it was covered in stains that looked to be blood. I knew it hadn't noticed me yet. Its face was looking the other way, and that was fine by me because I did not want it to see me. Whatever it was, it was bad news, obviously, so I slowly began to back away. Then, a slight breeze blew up from behind me. The creature stopped, and it stood stock still for a moment. It appeared to be sniffing the air. I kept backing away, keeping my eyes fixed on it. It slowly began to turn its head towards me, and I got a good look at its face. It almost looked like a person but its jaw was much more pronounced and looked stronger than a normal human. It had very thin lips and very jagged, sharp, and yet human-like teeth. Its eyes were the worst. They were bigger than those of a man, and they were black, a kind of black that seemed to suck all life and light into it. And it had a crazed look to it. I'm not sure how to describe it, but it had this starved look in its eyes, like it was ready to devour anything within reach. I couldn't scream. I could barely move. The thing then gave this low, guttural growl. It grew louder and higher pitched until it became this inhuman shriek. I'd never heard anything like it before, or since. It pierced my eardrums. That was all I needed to hear. I turned and bolted, heading straight for the path. I was a track and cross-country runner back then. I could be pretty quick when my adrenaline hit, but I didn't look back because I knew if I did, that thing would catch me. I could hear it crashing around behind me. I could tell by the sound it was on all fours. I was barely staying ahead of it when I burst through the tree line onto the trail. I promptly crashed into someone. It was a man, 
He had a scraggly brown beard, a red hat, and the distinct smell and appearance of someone who had been living in the outdoors for a while. He began to ask me if I was okay, what was wrong. And then he looked over my shoulder, and all the color drained from his face. I felt a searing pain across my back. I screamed and fell forward. The man screamed too, and the creature turned its attention to him. I took the opportunity to pull myself back to my feet and run. I could hear the man screaming behind me, but I couldn't hear the creature following me. So I just kept going. I refused to look back, and I didn't stop running until I made it the mile and a half back home. I shut the door. I locked it. I ran around the house making sure everything was locked. I ran to my room and I hid under the covers and cried. I wondered what happened to the man and what that creature was. Eventually, I drifted off to sleep. I assume from exhaustion. When I woke the next day, my back felt like it was on fire. I removed my jacket and t-shirt, seeing that they'd been ripped clean through with four large claw marks. My phone, knife, and iPod were gone. I guess I lost them while trying to escape. I went to the bathroom and examined my back. I had four deep gashes along my back. They were red and inflamed with dried blood all around the area. I cleaned it off, threw the ruined clothes away, and tried to forget about it. Then I saw the paper a few days later. The police had found a body matching the description of the man I'd run into. It said that he had been attacked by a wild dog. He was alive when they found him, but barely. He was rushed to the hospital, and the paper clipping included that he had been treated for an unknown mental disorder as well, and warned parents to keep a close eye on their kids. I can only assume what he might have said to them for them to think that. To this day, I wonder what happened to him after that. I still feel guilty for basically leading the creature to him, and then abandoning him. But something in me knows that if I hadn't crossed paths with him, I wouldn't be alive today. Following that night, and for several years after, I avoided those woods, even during the day, until I eventually moved across the country. I told that story to a few of my friends, many of which laughed it off. I described the creature as a ghoul, because I couldn't think of a better word at the time. Since then, I've heard stories of creatures with similar appearances, and I think I might have come face to face with a Wendigo. I obviously can't be completely sure that's what it was, and part of me hopes I never do find out. That ghoul and the screams of the man, the sound of that inhuman growling shriek, all of it still haunts my nightmares, even now, though it's been seven years since it happened. It's not something I'm going to forget. A Sound in the Dark Part 1 From Mr. Smith This is a pretty long one, and it's been nearly a year since it happened. But I will do my best to recount every detail that I can remember. This is the story of the days and weeks leading up to a moonlit October night in the rural heartland of the southeastern U.S. But before I begin, there are a few things you should know 
My family has owned a moderately sized farm in a very rural county for six generations, and we have all sorts of strange stories and family lore about the land. I'd love to share more, but for now I'll focus on this story. Just know that this farm has a history of peculiar happenings. My grandfather had passed away suddenly while I was completing my senior year of college, and my father had recently moved out of state for his job, taking my mother with him. This left me as the only immediate family member in any position to manage the land. So as soon as I finished my exams and made my proud walk across the stage for my diploma, I packed up all my belongings into the truck and headed home. I have to admit that it was pretty nice to be back in my old hometown, even though lots of little things had changed. However, by far the strangest thing I came back to was the old farm. Even though I had spent a huge portion of my childhood running around the orchards, swimming in the creek, and hunting deer and turkey in the woods and hayfields of that farm, I'd never actually lived there. So it felt strange indeed to be coming home to that house. Moving in was at least fairly easy, as the house was practically empty. There wasn't even a clock left on the wall or a single potted plant left on the porch. I might be easily spooked, but I have to admit, the emptiness made the place a little creepy, especially combined with the isolation. The driveway to get to the farmhouse is about half a mile long, and the nearest neighbors are close enough to hear a gunshot, but not close enough to hear a call for help. To make matters worse, apparently while I was away, a serious coyote population had moved into the area. On clear and calm evenings, I could hear at least five different packs of coyotes raising cane all over the area. They're not usually a real threat to humans, but they can carry some nasty diseases, and their howling is certainly an eerie sound to hear on a dark and foggy night. Nevertheless, I have to admit that life was good. I'd gotten a job at a local machine shop that paid well enough to make ends meet, and also gave me a little bit of pocket money to spare. Meanwhile, I was using my free time and money to fix up the farm. I repaired fence lines, trimmed the long-neglected orchards, and put up new tree stands at a few choice places around the property. I even rekindled a high school romance with a nice local girl who now owned her own business in town. Like I said, life was good. Things didn't start to get weird until around September, but boy did they get weird real quick. It began one evening very early in September, which is still really summertime in my area. The sun had gone down, but it wasn't completely dark yet, and I had just finished picking the first autumn apples in one of the orchards. I was unpacking the baskets from the back of my truck, enjoying the coolness of the evening after the long, hot day, when I noticed an unfamiliar sound. What was strange about it was that I couldn't really tell you when it started, because it wasn't sudden or really even that noticeable. It's hard to describe, but I just gradually became aware that the evening wasn't as quiet as usual, and when I listened closely to it, I finally realized that there was a low, droning, and constant howl echoing across the landscape. 
Now, this wasn't the howl of a coyote or even a wolf. I've heard both of these before, and this was certainly something different. In fact, at first I didn't think it was an animal at all. It sounded more like the howl of wind through the old boards, or the sound that worn-out tires make when you go just the right speed on the interstate. I hadn't yet gotten around to hauling away some of the junk around the farmyard, so I figured that some old scrap must have been catching the wind just right to make the howl. Perhaps a piece of tin roofing or some rusted-out sheet metal. However, the noise continued to gradually grow louder, and that was when I noticed that there was no wind blowing at all, not even a slight breeze. At that point, I was beginning to feel uneasy, but still, there was nothing to be alarmed about, right? There wasn't any crashing footsteps or glowing red eyes staring out from the woods at me. I figured maybe it was the sound of some electric farm equipment on some of the neighbor's property. After all, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that some manufacturer makes an eco-friendly tractor that makes plenty of operating noise, but lacks the signature rumble of a diesel engine. By this point, I had finished unpacking my tools and the few buckets of apples from the truck, but the howling had actually become louder. It seemed to be coming from a stand of woods off to one side of the back fields, but it was hard to tell since all of the outbuildings have a tendency to bounce sound around quite a lot. Another thing that made the sound difficult to pin down was the low and constant nature of it. It was almost as though it simply hung in the air, rather than really coming from anywhere specific. I decided that I didn't really like trudging through the woods with a flashlight and a shotgun, and I figured that the truth would probably come out in the morning light. So I simply pulled my truck into the garage and headed inside. Nothing else happened that evening, but once I got inside the house, it finally hit me just how loud the howl had gotten. When I stepped inside and shut the door, my ears were ringing. The soft silence of the farmhouse seemed profound by comparison. Over the next two weeks, I noticed the howling a few more times, but I wasn't able to pin down any concrete pattern or cause and effect surrounding it. The one thing I noticed was that it always started at dusk, and it would usually happen after a night or two of intense coyote activity. The following day, the whole farm would be dead calm. I asked around with some of my neighbors, but none of them reported experiencing anything like what I described. Naturally, this was quite a concern to me, and I began to wonder, might I be developing hearing problems or something like that? Luckily or perhaps unluckily, this proved not to be the case. One night in late September, a friend of mine from college was passing through on his way to visit some family so I let him crash at the farm with me for the night. I heard him coming up the long gravel driveway just past sundown, and I headed out onto the front porch to meet him. As soon as I stepped outside into the cool evening air, I noticed that the sourceless howling was rolling over the fields that night, but I decided to just ignore it for the sake of my friend. However, as soon as he got out of the car, his ears perked up, and he looked around suspiciously for a few moments. You hear it too? I asked him, suddenly relieved that I wasn't going crazy or developing tinnitus. Yeah, what is that? He asked nervously. I told him a few of my theories, 
but I confided in him that it was starting to spook me a bit, since it had been going on at random for nearly four weeks by now. We both eventually laughed about it, but we spent the rest of the evening indoors, except for the few times he went out onto the porch for a smoke. What's more, every time he would come back inside, he would shake his head and say, I guess it's still out there, telling me that the howling has not stopped. After that night, the howling did not return for more than a week, and in the meantime, I busied myself with work at the machine shop. I was also putting all of my spare time into picking apples, plums, pears, pecans, and wild grapes. All the bounty of autumn, and a reward for a summer of hard work. Besides, it was hunting season, and it was high time to get back into the woods for a chance at a nice side of venison. Now, I'd been tracking a small herd of deer back and forth across the property for a few weeks, and I'd gotten nice and comfortable in my tree stand in the early evening. I was scanning the fields for any signs of movement when I heard a lone coyote start to howl not too far away. Soon enough, a whole group of them had taken to barking and howling, and they were close, too. Their barks and yips drew closer and closer, Coming from just beyond the tree line, about 400 yards ahead of me, I picked up my 35 caliber rifle, then looked through the scope, scanning the trees for any signs of movement. All of a sudden, two does and a very small buck leapt out of the trees and bounded across the field, moving swiftly across my firing line from right to left. They were on the very edge of my rifle's effective range, but I could tell that they were running from something. Sure enough, a few moments later, a group of four or five coyotes tumbled out of the brush in hot pursuit. It's rare for coyotes to be so aggressive, but when they have numbers on their side, nothing is off the table for them. The light was fading now, and as I watched through the scope, one of the deer began to fall behind the rest of the group. The coyotes were gaining on it rapidly. I considered firing into the air to scare them off, but I figured it wouldn't do anything with the pack all hopped up on adrenaline, so I decided not to waste the ammunition. However, as soon as the coyotes had the doe surrounded, and it looked like they were about to move in for an early supper, they suddenly stopped and began to yelp. All of them looked in the same direction and ignored the exhausted doe. At first, I was puzzled by this, but then I heard it. The low moaning howl had begun. It was barely audible, but it was surely there. The coyotes continued to yelp and bark, circling the doe nervously, but constantly looking across the field towards the opposite tree line, almost like they weren't sure whether to flee and leave their prey alone or ignore the howling and go in for the kill. The howling grew louder and louder, and the coyotes finally turned tail and ran back in the direction they'd come from, vanishing silently in the trees as the last of the evening light faded away. I peered through my scope and looked up and down the tree line that the coyotes had been fixated on just a few moments before, but in the inky darkness and rising mist, I could not see anything but the tangled shadows of sycamores and dogwoods. For just a moment... I thought maybe I caught a glimpse of movement, but I could not be sure in that gathering darkness. The howling continued for another half hour or so, 
and that whole time I stayed stone still in my tree stand. I was riveted to my seat in hopes of finally solving the mystery of the phantom sound, and I won't pretend that I wasn't a little bit scared to get down and walk across the fields, back to the house after what I'd just witnessed. But eventually, the rumbling of my stomach and the chill of the October air drove me back to the comfortable warmth of my house. That was not the last time I heard the howling. A Sound in the Dark, Part 2 Following that night in the tree stand, I was even more curious and on edge about the mysterious howl. But what could I do? I had checked every trail camera on the property and never seen anything out of the ordinary. A few deer, some coyotes, a neighbor's four-wheeler, a stray cat, and some raccoons and possums. Furthermore, on my regular rounds of checking the trees and fence lines, I'd never found any suspicious tracks or trails, and every time I had ventured back into the woods, often going fairly deep, to track deer, I hadn't seen anything more than a few coyote signs in deer beds. The mystery was occupying my thoughts more and more, and I was glad for any distraction that came my way. So, when one of my neighbors knocked on the door, wanting help gathering honey from his beehives, I was happy to accept and distract myself. If you've never extracted honey, it's an intensive job that requires constant supervision to do right, so my neighbor and I had plenty of time to talk. Mostly we made small talk, but gradually the conversation shifted to something we both had in common, hunting. We talked about the bucks we had seen that year and the best recipes for the perfect deer jerky. He briefly mentioned how it used to be much harder to hunt around these parts due to a pretty prolific poacher. I had never actually heard this story, beyond a few snippets of local folklore, so naturally I inquired about the details. All of this apparently happened well before my time, way back in the late 1970s, and according to my neighbor, who's a good 45 years my elder for context, the deer population in this part of the county had all but been wiped out at the hands of one man. He would trespass on all the farmsteads in the area with impunity, and he would hunt year-round. On more than one occasion, the sheriff was called, but the investigation never got anywhere since the poacher was always long gone by the time the lawman arrived. Nobody in the area knew the guy either, which led to the rumor that he must have come across the county line. Eventually, the poaching just stopped, and most of the locals figured the law had finally caught up to him. That is until my grandfather and my great-uncle stumbled upon an overturned tree stand on the edge of their land, now my land, with several spent casings scattered across the base. A few dozen yards away, they discovered a broken rifle that they both immediately recognized as belonging to that poacher. The police were called and a detective was sent to the farm. He asked my grandfather a few questions about the poacher and eventually pulled out a photograph, asking if this was the man in question. Sure enough, it was him, and when they told the detective as much, he informed them that the man was the subject of a missing persons investigation. About a month prior, he had simply fallen off the face of the earth. 
Police and canine units combed the area around the farm afterwards, but no trace of the man was ever found. The police eventually closed the missing persons case and ruled the man's death an accident. They reasoned that the man's tree stand had toppled over due to wind or uneven ground, and he had been mortally wounded in the fall. Maybe he had survived long enough to crawl away and had died of his wounds somewhere else, or maybe he had died on the spot and his body had simply been dispersed by scavenging animals. Of course, nobody around here actually believed that. The general consensus was that one of the locals had finally gotten fed up with his hijinks and decided to take matters into their own hands. But nobody could ever figure out who had done it, and no one ever came forward to talk about it, so the issue had quietly faded into obscurity. This story was one that I had heard referenced occasionally in passing by my grandfather, but I had never heard the tale in its entirety. Honestly, it made me think of the way the howling had scared off the coyotes in the middle of their hunt just a few nights before. It was as though they were familiar with the sound and only needed a warning to be afraid of it, perhaps thanks to a past experience. We didn't chat much more after that, and when we had finally sealed the last jar of honey, I quickly went on my way and hurried back to the farmhouse before nightfall. For close to twenty days after the night in the fields, things were mostly quiet. I had heard the howling one other time in the interim, but it had simply started around nightfall and lasted for about half an hour with no other weird occurrences to speak of. I remember the night of the final incident distinctly because there was a bright, full, or very close to full, moon in the sky, and without it, I may not have been able to see what I witnessed that night. It was a cool and crisp Friday evening, and my girlfriend was staying with me at the farmhouse, as neither of us had work in the morning. We had spent the afternoon helping one of my neighbors put out decorations around her own farm, because she and her husband would be doing hay rides and a haunted trail that weekend. After all, Halloween was only a few days away. It just had to be the extra spooky time of year, didn't it? After that, we had returned to my place as the sun was beginning to set. We then worked all evening on a flurry of baking and home cooking, taking advantage of all the fresh fall produce. Anyway, after an afternoon of lugging hay bales and pumpkins and scarecrows all over my neighbor's property, as well as a hectic evening of cooking, we were both completely tuckered out. We headed to bed around 11 o'clock. The both of us were so exhausted that we fell asleep almost immediately. I woke up in the middle of the night. My watch on the bedside table said 2.20, and I was suddenly very awake. I wasn't sure yet what had awakened me, but I could tell right away that I was not going to be able to get back to sleep for a while. I didn't want to wake up my girlfriend, as she was still sound asleep, so I figured I would just get some water from the kitchen and find something to read until I was tired enough to fall back asleep. As I walked downstairs and into the kitchen, the pleasant scents of cinnamon and sugar and fresh fruits filled my nose and got me thinking of all the fine desserts I would be enjoying in the next few days. But as I held a glass under the faucet to fill it with water, I was snapped out of my daydreaming by the fact that, if I listened closely, I could hear the howling. 
By then, I might as well have had a cup of full-strength coffee, because I was wide awake. The howling had never persisted so late into the night before, and it had never been so loud for me to hear it inside the house so clearly. I walked briskly to the parlor at the front of the house, and I noticed that the howling was even louder there. I have to admit, I was more than a little bit hesitant to open the blinds of the front window, scared of what might be awaiting me on the other side of the glass. My curiosity was stronger than my fear, though, and I quietly unfurled the blinds, letting the sapphire moonlight filter into the otherwise dark room. Thankfully, there was no mothman or werewolf waiting on the front porch, and as I scanned the yard and tree line, I was almost disappointed that there was no obvious source to the noise. However, as I looked closer, I spotted something I had missed at first glance. Sitting there in the driveway, so still as to be almost invisible, was the shape of a deer. If it weren't for the bright moonlight, I may have overlooked it completely. On closer inspection, several odd things stood out about the shape. It was not sitting like a deer usually does, down on its belly with its legs tucked underneath it. Instead, it was positioned more like a dog, sitting on its hind end with its rear legs tucked at its sides and its front legs supporting it as it leaned forward. Most strikingly, it had a magnificent crown of antlers, fourteen points at least, but by contrast, its body was quite slender. It had so little meat around the middle of it that it really looked malnourished or emaciated. I stared at it for a few moments before coming to my senses, and when I thought more about what I was looking at, I realized that the poor thing must have been pretty badly hurt. With hunters in the woods flushing them out, they're far more likely to wander into the road. While deer are pretty tough animals, especially big bucks with 14-point racks, it's not uncommon for a deer to limp or drag itself away from the scene of an accident, only to perish of starvation a few weeks later due to its injuries. I figured that the animal in the driveway had probably been hit on a nearby road a week or so ago, and had broken its back legs, hence the gaunt appearance and strange posture. Furthermore, the responsible thing to do with such an animal is to grant it a quick and merciful death in order to keep it from suffering too much, or from contracting diseases in its weakened state that it could transmit to other members of the herd or even people. With that in mind, I retrieved my forty-four from the safe and loaded the cylinder before going back upstairs to warn my girlfriend. I didn't think she would exactly appreciate being awakened at 2.30 in the morning by the sound of a gunshot less than fifty yards from the house. I shook her awake gently and told her that a deer had been hit by a car and that I had to go out and put it out of its misery. She just groggily pulled a pillow over her head and said, tell me about it in the morning, before rolling over and going back to sleep. I made my way down to the front entrance, but as soon as I unlocked the heavy oak door and stepped out onto the front porch, I realized that something was very strange. The sound of the howling was extremely intense. It was as though I was in the middle of a tornado, 
and yet there was nothing more than a slight breeze blowing through the chilly evening air. The sound was so intense, it seemed to be pressed on my ears and reverberated in my chest, making me tense up and brace myself against its force. As I slowly inched closer to the deer shape, the howling grew louder and louder, and I began to notice a few more things about the deer in the driveway. I had initially observed the deer's thin body as a sign of malnutrition and starvation, but its ribs weren't sticking out or even really showing. It simply had a small and thin frame. From a closer perspective, I could also see that its fur was immaculate and glossy, without a single matted or bloodied patch anywhere. Certainly not what you'd expect of an animal that had been recently hit by a truck. I couldn't really make out the color of its fur in the brilliant silver moonlight, but I could very much tell that it was not the trademark tawny coat of your average whitetail. It had remained facing away from me the whole time, but as I drew closer to a distance of about fifteen yards or so, it turned its head to face me. Its head was the correct shape for a deer or elk, but where its face and eyes and nostrils and mouth should have been, there was nothing at all. Its head was simply covered in a featureless coat of fur matching the rest of its body. The howling was deafening now, and I was left with only one explanation. The creature was the source of the phantom howl that had hung over the farm for the past month, and I was face to face with it, or rather face to not face. I stared in a combination of awe and horror at the bizarre animal sitting before me, and I slowly lowered my hand to my side, finding the grip of my revolver. It's difficult to describe, but I can tell the creature was watching my hand, despite its lack of eyes. I left my hand on my gun, but made no effort to draw it from its holster or pull the hammer back. We simply stared at one another for several moments before the deer thing began to move. Effortlessly and gracefully, without making a single sound other than the constant howl, it stood up on two legs, rising to its full height in the brilliant light of the moon. It stood noticeably taller than me, making it comfortably over six feet tall though that's not counting the considerable bulk of the antlers that rose still higher above its head. It had an ever-so-slight hunch to its stance, as though it split its time equally between standing upright and being on all fours. Its arms were very long and slender, ending in human-like hands. However, they weren't bony, gaunt, claw-like hands. They were delicate and graceful ones, like those of a young woman. Its legs were articulated like a deer's, and they ended in a pair of split hooves like a deer. But the structure of the legs was far more dense and muscular to support walking upright. As for me, I should have been pumping the thing full of lead or screaming or quaking in abject terror, but instead, I had actually begun to feel calm. There was a towering, faceless deer man standing less than twenty-five feet in front of me, but I was calm. It was then that I realized the howling had ended. The night air was tranquilly serene, with no noise except for the slight rustle of the October breeze through the trees and bushes. 
I have no idea how long we stood there looking at each other, but finally the deer thing dropped back to all fours, turned calmly, and bounded off down the hill toward the fields. I followed it with my eyes for several moments, before it seemed to simply vanish into the silver light of the moon and the midnight mist rising from the damp grass. The next thing I remember was waking up the following morning, having slept soundly the entire night. I don't remember going back inside, and I was so at ease and well-rested that for a moment I thought the events of the night before were simply a dream, a fabrication of my stressed-out mind to give me some sort of fake closure. However, as I got out of bed, I saw that my revolver was lying on the nightstand beside it, and upon closer inspection there were six unfired shells in the cylinder. Likewise, as soon as my girlfriend rolled over and saw that I was awake, she asked me what had happened to the wounded deer the night before. I told her that it must have been fine, since it had run off by the time I had gotten outside, which seemed a lot easier than recounting the full tale of the thing I saw in the early morning hours. After that night, I never heard the howling again, but to this day, coyotes don't often trespass on my land. I am not sure just what the thing I saw was, but I have my hunches. Way back in my family tree, the first of my family to own the land where the farm now sits, married a full-blooded Catawba woman, and he received the land as a part of dowry. Technically, this means that I'm part Native American, but the percentage for me is so small that I don't really identify with it at all. However, my grandfather was much closer to that part of the family's heritage, and when he taught me to hunt as a child, he always stressed to me the importance of giving thanks for the bounty of the land and properly respecting it. Have a good harvest of apples that you can't handle yourself? Leave some for the deer. Have more blackberries than you need. Leave those for the birds. Only take what you can take without harming the natural balance of the land. That sort of thing. My theory is that the thing I saw in that autumn night was a spirit, or a creature, or a guardian. Something like that, which is tied to the land and keeps it in balance. It attacked those coyotes because they are invasive and destructive and it may have very well been behind the disappearance of that poacher all those years ago. I'm not sure about why it disappeared after that night either. Maybe its work was just finished here. But I do know one thing for sure, that even though I haven't heard the howling or seen that thing in almost eight months, I know it's still out there. That being said, I'm not worried. My family has always cared for the land, and if the creature had wanted to harm me that night under the moon, I'm sure it could have. I've never told anyone else about this. I mean, who'd believe me? For now, though, things are calm, and with a little bit of luck, they'll stay that way for a long time to come. The Count's Birdcage From the Woodsman Location, Poland I worked a small-time park maintenance and upkeep job a few years back for a local park. It was no Yellowstone, 
but I grew up there, hiking the hills and exploring the forests. When I got offered a job working there, I took it without a second thought, even though it didn't really pay well. Just my way of giving back to the park. I have more than a few stories from my time there, trekking about with a shovel and saw for whole days at a time. But my favorite tale comes from a co-worker of mine, who I knew as Michael. Michael had a particular nickname among my fellow crewmen, The Count. This was, as far as I could tell, in reference to his angular European face and dark black hair. The Count was around fifty or so when I met him, and yet he had such love for the forest that he stayed in his part-time volunteer job. The Count was a very kind and gentle man. He would help out with anything you asked, was always kind and compassionate. Of all the things I remember about the Count, one thing that always stuck with me was his love of telling tales of adventures from his home country of Poland. His passion for those stories are part of why I record them and spread them as much as I do today. The Count told, no pun intended, countless stories, and many of them I can recall somewhat. Only one of them has really stuck with me all these years later, and it was the last story he ever told me. The Count was soon to leave his job in this area of the country. He began to tell me one last tale. Like I said, the Count was from Poland, and he moved to the U.S. in 97, following the tragic passing of his girlfriend and his child in 94. Such an event really shook him. I could see the sadness in his eyes when he talked about it in detail, recollecting his story late one night in the maintenance garage. To settle his nerves, Michael relocated to the rural areas of Poland, found himself a small job as a forester, and settled down. The town he had ended up in was very small, with a population of less than 200, shrouded by a deep forest. Michael had worked with a lumber and forestry company that operated out of the village, and was granted a small shared house along with his fellow workers and strict manager. He was by far no stranger to the woods. He had camped and hiked there his entire life. As Michael began to fall into the repetition of his logging job, he found hiking and exploring his work area to be what really helped him ease his mind. He spent countless dark nights alone, roaming the forest in search of answers to his questions, taking solace in the silent trees and bright stars. It was where he felt the safest, where he felt the most relaxed. The Count had mentioned finding odd buildings and structures in the forests before, but never anything like this. He said he remembered the night clear as ever, a crisp fall night full of the chirping of bugs and the sounds of trees, wind blowing through them. He began to walk down the same dirt path that he took nearly every night prior, and when he reached a point where he could break off to explore a new unseen region, he entered into the brush and undergrowth. Most of the night was unremarkable, he said, until around 2 a.m. That's when the trees began to clear away. There, within the open meadow he had never seen before, was an ancient, rusting structure. It had a concrete base, 
rather wide and flat, that lay around the main structure of a silo-sized cage of welded bars. The whole thing was clearly very odd and very old, beginning to collapse, even having several large holes in the frame. Michael was of course interested, and as he began to advance on the cage, the smell hit him. The Count described it as like a rotting animal and vegetables mixed, strong enough to be noticeable from forty feet away. When he made it to the concrete base of the towering structure, he climbed up, and things did not seem right. The floor was stained a dark reddish-brown and splotches all over, and large black feathers littered the inside of the cage. Crates and other miscellaneous objects lay strewn about the foundation, all left sitting perfectly, as if they hadn't been left there for years. Michael only took a few steps forward when he accidentally kicked over a small oil can, making a loud and sudden crash. But it soon resonated that the object was not nearly large enough to make that loud of a noise. He began to scan the area with his small light and did not see anything around. He had began to stifle his nerves when he looked up. Perched high above Michael in the upper area of the cage was a massive creature. It was covered with sleek black feathers, and set between its shoulders was a human head. It took the Count more than a few tries to get this out. As he told the story, he was sort of stammering, as if he were reliving the very moment right in front of me. He went on to describe how the thing opened its mouth wide, wider than anything ought to be able to, in order to release a loud bird call. Michael turned and fled, crying out and running back into the trees. He could hear the unmistakable sound of the huge bird leave its position on the structure and flying over the treetops. He fled through the forest, back down his trail, and towards the logging camp. As he broke through the trees in a panic, Michael began to feel woozy and found himself struggling to run. He realized he was about to black out, and right before his vision went dark, he saw his manager exit the front door of the lodge in a hurry, shouldering a weapon and aiming it towards Michael before firing. Michael woke up a day later in his bed. He was alone in the lodge and didn't see any of his co-workers. He examined the area and found a note left on his dresser addressed to him from his manager. I know what you've seen. It's come here before, and I've kept it at bay until last night. For your safety, you're no longer under our employment. Pack your things and vacate. You must never speak of what you saw last night or I will find you. You're best off forgetting that it ever happened. The Count described leaving the same day, faced with stares from his co-workers. He was so shaken. From there he moved home, and after a short while moved to America. When the Count finished the story, I could tell just how upset he was. He was nearly in tears, and may have even been shaking slightly. I didn't want him to go on. I could see so much stress in him as he told the story but he kept speaking on that night. 
I know what I saw that night, he forced out to me in a quiet tone. It's called a Lotvik. It's a demon of sorts. At this point, tears rolled down his face. But the demons are... They're the spirits of Okboze. He trailed off in Polish. I told him it was okay. He didn't have to continue. He thanked me for listening to his story, grabbed his toolbox and coat, and then he left. But that was the last time I ever spoke to him. What really terrifies me the most about this experience isn't what the Count told me that chilly night in the garage, but what happened soon after. I remembered how Michael could not bring himself to tell me what a Latviak was. When I researched it, I knew why. Latviak is a Polish demon of the harmful type, believed to be the souls of lost children and the recently passed. It horrifies me to the core to imagine that what the Count saw that night was the demonic manifestation of his own child. As I said before, I have not spoken to the Count since. I know it's a long shot, but I know he always loved scary stories. So, Michael, if somehow this reaches you, I'm so sorry, and I will keep you in my thoughts. They're real. Be careful. From Saucy Drago. It was August of 2017. My family and I were visiting my home country, Russia. We were going to go visit my grandma at her farm. My grandpa had passed away two years before this, and my grandma had gotten better from the incident, but we wanted to see her to bring her some joy in her life. Her farm had a barn, a stable, and a big plot of land for plants. There were also two buildings, a place where we cook and store food, and then a place where we sleep and usually hang out at. This farm is surrounded by woods. Now this country has quite a bit of wolves here. I've even seen a few come onto the property a couple of times. I've heard stories of werewolves too, and other creatures that live in Europe, but I never once imagined that they would be real. It was the day before we would go back home, and after hanging out with my family, I decided to go to bed, catch up on some videos on my phone. I laid there for a good hour watching videos until it was around 11 p.m. I decided to go to sleep. When I was just on the verge of passing out, I heard a loud shriek coming from the forest. followed by two shots. That was normal, as people would often put animals down out here. But this felt off. I waited until I heard the most disturbing howl erupt in the night's air. I lay there frozen while many thoughts ran through my head, and slowly I began to hear something outside. At first, I thought it was a stray cat, but it was much too heavy for that. 
My room has a door with a big glass pane in the middle, so I could see outside. And there I saw it. A creature, covered in fur. It looked like a buff wolf, but stood much taller than me. It crouched down, and I could see its face. Its teeth were big and sharp, and they were covered in red stains. It looked like it had just eaten. The creepiest part were its eyes, which were human in shape and appearance. But there was an evilness to it. When it saw that I was there, it turned to leave, but not before turning to give me what appeared to be a demonic smile or snarl. Nothing like that since has ever chilled me so much. There are things out there we yet don't understand, so even if you're skeptic, it's best to be cautious and careful when you're outdoors. There are things lurking in the forests and the wild that will leave you defenseless and in shock. Warning, this story contains graphic depictions of hurt animals. I went camping when I was younger, from All Calm, 1999. This started when I used to live in a small town in Arkansas. It had a population of around 5,000. It was your average conservative town. In the summers, it was hot and humid. In the winter, it was dark and cold. I grew up on southern entertainment, driving four-wheelers, hunting every deer season, maybe even laying a bit of trapping here and there. This story occurred my last year of high school. I would have been 17 at the time. I had plenty of friends, a great girlfriend, and an old shabby 1972 F-100 Ford pickup. Of course, I have still got the pickup to this day. It was November, rifle season, and I'd been preparing for it for a while. My friend Drew and I had been planning this trip, and we had everything ready. It was Friday, the end of the week, and the start of the weekend. Our plan was to hike up through the National Forest onto the mountain, and then set up camp, and just have a great time. I woke at three in the morning, leaving a note for my parents, and putting my things in the bed of my truck. I hopped in and drove to my friend's house. When I arrived, he was already waiting on the porch. He placed his bag in the bed of the truck, then put the gun in the truck. After that, we took off to the mountain. We entered onto the turn that went through to the entrance of the hiking site. The change from road to dirt was just as familiar as ever. We stopped and got out, carrying our bags and heading up the mountain trail. It was around seven. Thanks to the sun shining over the trees, we were able to see where we were going easily. The birds were chirping, and I could see plenty of squirrels running through the trees and chattering at one another. About three hours of hiking later, we came up to the campsite that we followed with our map. As we arrived, we began to quickly set up tarps, and we were quick to find firewood and start a good fire. I told my friend that I would get us some lunch, and I headed off with my rifle to go get something to eat. I walked for at least half a mile south, when I found myself breaking the tree line. I decided I'd sit and watch for a bit. I sat underneath a large oak and looked for any movement. 
The sun was rising slowly. I was sitting there when all the birds stopped for a moment. The silence became deafening. There was a sharp ringing in my ear. It was so eerie. I began to slowly scan my surroundings, making sure to stay as still as possible. I noticed then that there was a deer standing at the other side of the field. It was hard to make out. I slowly raised my rifle and looked down the hill. I only saw its head and neck from where I was. I knew that if I risked the shot then, that I wouldn't have another chance to bag another deer with a better shot. Regardless, it was a doe anyway. That's when I noticed something else. The deer's head was higher off the ground than most deer should be capable of, and it moved unnaturally. It turned to the left, and I could hear leaves crunching as it moved deep into the dark forest. I was a little bit unsettled, so I decided to head back to camp and be handed. I followed the mental landmarks that I saw the first time. I fallen over a tree, dried up creek bed. Soon I could see the tarps in the distance through the trees. When I made it back to the campsite, we fiddled around for the rest of the day, shut up some rabbits, and later we decided that it was time to catch some sleep. I crawled into my tent, admittedly exhausted, and got into my sleeping bag. It didn't take long for sleep to come. We got up early the next morning. It was still as eerie as it was the day before, and felt so desolate. Again, the animals were quiet, just utter silence. It was strange, because the air felt heavy, too. There weren't even birds today. No deer, no rabbits or anything. We went our separate ways. We were getting hungry, and when the sun set, we had been nestled down waiting for some game to come around. It was getting dark again fast. We met back up later, and were forced to eat some of the cans of beans that we had packed, just in case we had nothing to shoot. As we ate in quiet, Drew got up from his seat and said to me, I'll be right back. Gotta take a pass. I stayed there drinking some water, watching the fire dance rapidly. As the minutes passed by, I grew painfully aware that Drew had been gone for a long time. I was starting to get concerned. But then I began to hear leaves crunching. I looked towards the sound and out came Drew, but his face was ghostly pale. He simply told me to follow him. What's going on, man? I asked. But he kept insisting without an answer. I got up to follow him into the woods as he asked. We walked what I can assume about forty yards when I got a waft of something foil, something repugnant. It got stronger and stronger the farther we walked. The smell grew so bad that when something fell on my shoulder I breathed in a smell of it, and the reek of death made my stomach churn. I bent over and vomited, causing whatever fell on me to fall on the forest floor. I pulled out my light and pointed it at the ground. I was dumbfounded. There was blood dripping on me from above. Shaking and hesitant, I slowly panned my flashlight up. There were parts of animal hanging above us all over the place. Organs, limbs 
pieces of everything and anything placed in the trees. There was a squirrel hung on the branch, impaled by one of the wooden outcrops. I looked at Drew, still drained of all color. Together we bolted back to camp. I grabbed my rifle, gathered some things, then we stopped in the middle of the campsite and looked at each other. Confused, terrified. What were we going to do in a situation like this? We sat down to collect ourselves for a few seconds. We began to shove our food and things back into the trail packs. And as we did, we began to hear crunching a few yards away from us. I pulled out my mag light and pointed it towards where we heard the sound. We were about eight yards away from where we heard it. I flicked on the flashlight. There wasn't anything there. With some relief, we lowered our guns. But, not a second later, a grotesque and elongated hand came from around a tree in front of us. We didn't wait. We sprinted down the hill, phasing in and out of running or jogging, doing the absolute most at any given moment that our bodies would allow. My lungs were burning, legs were stinging, but I kept running. I would glance back and check on Drew and how close he was behind me. I turned off my flashlight, so did Drew, and we laid up against a tree as still as possible. I could see Drew's icy breaths in the moonlight, my eyes finally adjusted to the dark. I saw it, an arm long and bony covered in blood. Long fingers with unkempt nails that were curved. It was grabbing on to Drew's shoulder, and Drew had begun screaming. The moment I reacted, the arm began to drag him across the forest floor. I sat there frozen, unable to do more than just flinch as I watched. He kept screaming until it all stopped. His screaming stopped. The sounds of my friend struggling stopped. It was all just silence again. I picked myself up and ran, but I tripped over something, falling downhill for a bit before slamming against a tree. I stopped. My back was hurting and I had twisted my ankle before the fall. It was quiet again. There were no crickets, nothing but silence. My eyes already adjusted to the dark so I could see through the woods kind of well. So I laid as still as possible and observed. Before long, I heard leaves shuffling, and I saw that thing moving through the woods. It was strange and jagged and tense. It moved in a way that was so unnatural, like every millimeter of movement was indescribable in pain to the creature. It was just wrong, but it was long and thin, bones rubbing up against its skin from the inside, as if it was malnourished. I couldn't make out everything at first, but as it got closer, it put its face to the ground and began to sniff the forest floor, sniffing for me. I got a good look at its face then, its features. It was scary. Its chin was elongated and had small, beady eyes. There were dark circles of skin around them, and the skin was darkish gray. Its mouth was large, and it spread all the way across its face. It had its teeth bared, all dragon and broken looking. 
Its eyes were bright yellow, and they looked like they glowed. Its mouth and nose, or what was a nose, I think, was covered in a red fluid. It trailed down and covered its torso. I was ten yards away from it then. It sniffed a bit, turned to me, and began to crawl on all fours towards me. I smelled it then. It smelled of roadkill. I vomited in my mouth, but I swallowed it back down, too scared to move. I prayed that it hadn't actually found me yet. I knew I had to keep absolutely still. I laid there for God knows how long as it crawled about, searching for me. I couldn't take it much longer. I stood up slowly, grabbing my bag. I turned and slung it into the woods. Then, the moment it hit the ground, I ran for it. I ran for the parking lot as quickly as I could. I could hear the shrill and deep screech of that thing as it realized that the bag was not its target. But I kept running. I didn't recognize anything at first until I ran into a sign that said National Forest. I heard the same screech but kept going until I made it to the truck. I flung the door open, jumped inside and started it. I peeled out when I hit the gas slinging gravel all over the parking lot. As I sped away, I looked back and saw it there, standing in the parking lot light, now shown in detail, standing around nine feet tall. Eyes full of hatred, or was it hunger? I looked forward and put the pedal to the floor. I tore off down the side road and onto the highway. When I was able to sigh with relief, I looked in the mirror. My clothes were shredded and ripped. I was covered in dirt and a bit of blood. I scratched my head, then floored it to the next police station. It took them a while to get me to calm down enough to not scream. I managed to get some game wardens and police officers together the next day. They scaled the mountain, looking for Drew. But I never saw him again. A long time after that, my grandfather came down and talked to me. He explained a few things for me, told me that people had been going missing and getting kidnapped there since the 1800s, and that he's seen the thing that's been doing it himself. It's been eight years since I last saw Drew. Not a day goes by that I don't think of him. He was my best friend. Take my story as a warning. If you ever go camping, always take a weapon to protect yourself. And for God's sake, do not underestimate the stories you've heard about things that happen out there. Or it might happen. The Beast of you. Crystal Creek From Harry K. There's something wrong with my dog, from Swedish Hunter. I'm 18 years old, and I'm from Kiruna, Sweden. It's about as far north as you can get, and I've lived here since I was six. My family is originally from Finland, but we moved to my granddad's house here when he passed away. Even if I haven't lived here my whole life, 
I know our land like the back of my hand, and there's a lot of it. We inherited miles of forest, and my brother and I have turned basically every rock we could find. My dad's an experienced hunter, and he lives in a small cabin in the woods during hunting season. We rarely see him until that's over. Well, when I was around 14, I was finally allowed to come with him. It took a lot of convincing since he sees his hunting as relaxing, so he prefers to be alone. But I'd gotten pretty good at hunting myself, so I was finally allowed to come along. It was autumn, so it wasn't that cold, but I remember we spent the nights huddled together in front of an open fire. We had a really nice time for about a week, fishing and tracking animals in the woods. We had brought along our one-year-old Norwegian elk hound named Titi, and it was her first hunting trip. We were both excited to see just how well she'd do. One misty morning when we let her go, she took off like a rocket, tracking something around the house a few times before bolting into the forest. We followed her for a few hours, eventually ending up in a very gorgeous clearing where we sat down to drink some hot chocolate. As we were chatting about nothing in particular, we hear her barking again, which meant she'd found something. So my dad told me to pack up as he ran ahead. I wasn't worried as I saw him disappear into the tree line. I knew the forest better than anyone, I thought. I was walking out towards the tree line after packing up, pulling out some loose strings from my sleeve as a shot rang out, which made me jump. Luckily, my dad had reminded me to wear my earmuffs. I got excited. I practically ran towards the sound, but remembered that my dad had told me to stay away if he started to shoot. So I stopped, and I stayed in my place for a while, until I heard another one ring out, and then another. There was a total of five shots fired, until T.T. stopped barking, and let out a loud scream. It was like nothing I'd heard before. I'd stepped on her tail before once, and I heard her whimper, but the sound she let out that day, it sounded like a strangled cry from a person. I knew something was wrong. I began to scream immediately for my dad. I could hear the sounds of footsteps approaching. Then my dad came running through the forest, carrying Titi in his arms. He had covered her in his jacket, which was covered in red. I barely remember what happened after, because I was crying so hard. We ended up in Dad's truck and drove off to the vet. They took her in as my dad drove me home, hugging me as I continued to cry the entire day. T.T. did not get to come home until a few days later, and when she did... She had bandages all over her face. She was really sad and whimpered if anyone got near her snout. I didn't care, though. I was so relieved, so happy to have our dog back home and okay. My dad told me she had been kicked by a moose and that her nose was basically crushed. It was bent 90 degrees to her right, and she'd lost most of her teeth, poor girl. I still feel bad thinking about Dad having to feed her through a tube as she held up. She eventually did get better, and life went on again as normal.
She recovered nicely, and I was allowed to come along on more trips to the forest. But now, starting about a month ago, strange things began happening, and it's scaring my whole family. On our last trip, we found tracks that looked like they came from a giant moose. Now we're used to moose walking around our property, and we know how big they can get. But these tracks were so huge that even my dad didn't follow them. He said they were twice as big as the biggest tracks he'd ever seen, and Matt was saying something. During the night, we'd hear moose calls really close to the house, and we'd find tracks closer and closer to our home. One day, my brother had been playing outside with his friends when they suddenly started screaming. Outside, just by the edge of the forest, stood a massive moose. Dad grabbed his rifle and pointed it towards it, but the creature just stood there, staring us down without even flinching. It only moved when my dad fired at it, and even then it slowly turned back into the forest and walked away like it had all the time in the world. T.T. ran after it suddenly, which was obviously dangerous as the moose was colossal and didn't even seem a bit scared of any of us, let alone her. We tried to call her back, but she did not listen and ran into the forest. We looked for her, tried to call her back for hours, but we did not find her for two days. She ended up coming back home on her own. But honestly, I don't think it's the same dog that ran off. Not only does she seem skinnier after just two days, but she acts differently. Even after her severe injuries, T.T. was always cuddly, obedient, but now she stays alone and keeps to herself. She doesn't even sleep in my bed anymore, which she would do every night. Nowadays, she just wanders all around all night and sniffs around our bedroom doors. Sometimes we hear her growl and make this gargling sound, like she's going to puke. But when we check on her, she's just fine. She doesn't listen to our commands anymore, even when we bribe her with ham or meat. Ham used to be her favorite, too. My parents tried to get me not to worry, saying that she's probably just exhausted from being lost and that we need to give her more time. Well, I did. We all did. But she kept acting weirder and stranger. She stopped eating her food altogether. She began to limp. But after bringing her to vets, they never found anything that would cause her to limp. No reason for her to walk strangely. And then her fur began falling out. She grew scabs all over her body. She'd snarl whenever anyone tried to touch her, and we were scared of even going close to her, as she'd snap at us. A few days ago, after having a few drinks with some friends, I came home and fell asleep. I had the most horrifying dream. I dreamt that I was in our forest, trying to find my way back home, but I became more and more lost. I knew that I knew my way home, but it was like the ground kept changing around me. I could hear the sound of large hooves stomping around as I began to panic. Then I heard T.T. bark in the distance, and then heard her scream, just like the day when she was attacked. 
Then I suddenly found myself in my parents' bedroom, standing in the doorway as they slept in their bed. Then Titi crawled out from under the bed, but her front legs were hairy human arms with long fingers that scratched at the floor as she emerged. She looked disturbing. Her teeth dug into her lower jaw, and her eyes were glowing bright red. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't do anything. Just watch as she crawled onto their bed. Then she stood up on hind legs, which grew in length. She slowly became an old man with wrinkly gray skin, with eyes that glowed red. He or it turned to me, opening its mouth, which was just a large black hole with long, sharp teeth. It began to growl at me, but it sounded like a dog's growl, just off-key. It's hard to describe. It was kind of like auto-tune, but really, really off-key. It was then that I woke up screaming, my sheets drenched in sweat. But the worst part? Titi was standing in the doorway. She was watching me, sniffing the air as I screamed for my mother. I cried in her arms for an hour before she managed to calm me down. She reminded me that it was just a weird dream, and that helped me calm down a bit. But Titi kept getting worse, and I'm having nightmares like that every night. In the most recent one, I see Titi's body heaving on the ground as her twisted snout bled into her throat choking her, and every time I have one of these nightmares, I wake up to see Titi standing in the doorway. It's like she's watching me and enjoying these nightmares I have, or maybe she's what's giving me these nightmares. By now we've taken Titi to several different vets, including one six hours away. They've tried to treat her for parasites, bacteria, and a bunch of other things, but nothing makes her better. If anyone knows what this is, what's going on with my dog, I'd like to know. I think that giant moose thing has something to do with it. I think it was the thing that attacked my dog, and I think it came back for her. Manipul Skinwalker From Dr. White Rabbit this is a story from Africa, and most likely the only skinwalker story from there. My uncle, cousin, and myself tried to go to Manipul's often, as we don't like the generic game parks, such as the Kruger National Park in South Africa, that all the tourists go to. Plastic and fake with all the fences make us feel caged. Now we've all been going into the bush for years, and most likely we'd be out there for months or years without giving it much thought, if it weren't for life and work. The bush is our home away from home. Manipuls in Zimbabwe is special on its own, though. You have lions and elephants walking through your camp. There are cabins as well, but we prefer the campsites. The one time we had a Nile croc take a zebra down not more than 20 meters from our campsite, it was awesome. It's the real Africa, not the Africa you see on your local travel guides or TV. This happened when we took our friends from the States to show them the real bush, 
As always, I took my hammock with me, along with my Ott 375 rifle and a Colt 1911. I still need to protect myself from hippos and things, after all. Once we got there to the campsite, and we had to set up, I then went for a walk looking for tracks for our friends from across the Great Lake. I didn't see anything bad. A few lions, a cheetah, a zebra, and an elephant, all of which had come across our campsite, but didn't really care. Cool, I thought. My friends might just have a fright of their life tonight, if anything like those came back. I kept walking around when I saw these other tracks in the sand. They were odd, maybe about 30 centimeters long and 15 wide. They looked almost human, but with more feline traits. My uncle came from behind me and asked if I had found anything good. I showed him the prints I was looking at, asking if he recognized them. He shrugged at me and said it's probably just a big baboon. We laughed it off and walked back to camp, though I have to admit, the tracks were still on my mind. The week was pretty uneventful. We saw some guys downriver fishing, but they were so far from us that we didn't bother with them. On day five, I went paddling downriver to find a good fishing spot. Drifting down, I saw some hippos and some lions on the riverbank. They didn't look right, almost like they were scared. This was also odd. Their behavior was far from normal. I ended up where we saw the other camp not too long ago, and I paddled to shore. The guy who greeted me looked quite shaken. I jokingly asked if this was their first time out here. They said yeah, and said that they were leaving tomorrow, as apparently then their car would be fixed, because some animal had wrecked the engine. I said sorry, then changed the subject, asking if the fish were biting here. He looked at me with a pale expression on his face and said it was time to leave. The way he looked and acted in that moment, it sent shivers down my spine. When I got back to camp, I was telling my uncle about this. He looked at me and said, Yeah, manna isn't for everyone. You never know what's around you. I asked him what he meant, and he replied, Those strange tracks you found. You see, I've never seen them before. Great, I thought. Now he tells me. I jump into my truck and go on a game drive, taking my friends with me. My friend's sister is quite uptight and is kind of scared on this trip. I'm telling her there's nothing to panic about. She's not going to get eaten out here. But it doesn't seem to help. We carry on talking and trying to lighten the mood. She suddenly changes the subject and asks us if we had seen that big animal last night. I look at her confused, but answer confidently, saying we are in the bush after all, and seeing any large animal like that wasn't exactly paranormal. I told her not to worry, though. We had plenty of firepower, and we could take down most anything out here. Night soon rolled around again. We were all sitting around the campfire telling scary stories of the bush, about monsters in the African bush. I noticed that the people downriver were suddenly running frantically away from something. 
We stop our stories for a moment. I look through my scope, and what I saw out there will forever haunt me. There was this creature, about three to four meters tall. It was squeezing one of the men's throats so hard, it bent and molded around the claw like wet Play-Doh. I felt too sick to continue watching, too terrified. I put down the rifle, and I told everyone as calmly as I could that we needed to leave. I turn around and see my uncle loading things into the truck. My cousins and friends are running around grabbing things as well, while the girl is shaking. We needed to leave before that thing saw us. Within minutes, everyone was mostly packed when we heard a branch break nearby. Everything went dead silent as the entire group stayed completely motionless. There was a palpable, textured dread in the air around us. It's funny how the lack of any sort of sound makes such real fear apparent. When the inhuman cry came from the nearby forest, we all panicked, clamoring into the truck and driving away as fast as possible, following along the riverbank. By morning, we ran into some park rangers who thought we were poachers, but we de-escalated the situation and told them what had happened. Later on, we heard that the only thing they found that was left of the other people's camp was torn-up supplies. They think that the people that were there had already escaped, and that it seemed to be a sort of lion attack. But both of those claims were probably wrong. I saw that thing. I saw how it was choking that man's throat. One thing is certain. I'll never go to the same part of that park. I'm not risking my life just to hunt and camp. The Woods From Diamond Maker 128 Location Unknown It was a cold, rainy day, and as unusual as it may seem, it was my favorite kind of weather. My little brother had all of his friends over, so looking to avoid and escape his little pack of friends, I went to a nearby school that had woods in the back. Upon arrival, I saw a viscous fog engulfing the woods. Keep in mind that this was a very small forest, taking little under a minute to run through. Furthermore, the forest consisted of a small swamp, a small portion of paved forest, and a very dark, compressed area, as well as a large T-shaped field. This story takes place in the swamp and that paved forest. As I walked through the trees, instilled with curiosity of how weirdly dense the fog was, I saw something in the darker, more compressed portion of the forest. It seemed like the usual lowered branches from a tree, but after realizing how curved and lowered the branches were compared to the others, I came to realize that what I was looking at was a deer. Soon, dread and confusion hit me like a train, as I noticed the height of the antlers behind the tree, easily six feet. My stomach dropped even before it saw me, 
slowly, like a child peering behind a tree in hide-and-seek. It looked at me, revealing a decaying face. It was missing an eye, and the other was pure black, half the skin gone to reveal bone. Its arms reached to its knees with dagger-like nails, holding a live squirrel in its claws. And worst of all, what appeared to be a grin soon showed itself with rows of reddish-brown, jagged teeth. Suddenly, it dropped the squirrel and began communicating in an almost feminine voice. Help me. It was pleading for help. I snapped out of my frozen state, and I began to bolt for the nearest home, which would be a state police officer's house, if I remembered correctly. The moment I turned... Footsteps were booming behind me. I was almost caught in a pricker bush on the way there. I rudely intruded into their home through their front door, not having time to knock as I could hear the booming footsteps drawing closer. Once inside, the officer's wife saw me and asked what happened. I hadn't realized it yet, but in my hurry I had cut my face on a branch I was beginning to tear up then. My arms were thrashed and cut all over from the pricker bush in my escape. Once I told her everything, she went pale, obviously hearing the booming footsteps outside for herself. Later she told me not to worry about it. We went through her backyard in order to avoid the sight of the woods. She took me home where I was safe, and I prayed that the nightmare was over. But when the tapping on my window came later that night, I pretended I was sleeping, pretended that it wasn't happening. The next day at school was a rough one. Weatherman and the Cuyahoga Valley Buzzer From The Woodsman Location, Cuyahoga Valley National Park in Northern Ohio This encounter occurred very close to my home woods of Ohio, way up north in Cahoga Valley National Park. Cahoga Valley is a smaller park, one of the few parks in the East Coast area, and it doesn't get nearly as much love as it should. That being said, it's somewhat of a private haven for those of us who take the trip into the valley, escaping the more populous of parks. Due to the nature of the sites of the valley, having two to three people per group is probably the best. I had ached for a return to the forest for a while, as it had been a fair amount of time since my last excursion. So after some convincing, I managed to call up an old friend of the area and convince him to go on a hike with me. Now he wasn't a camper at all. 90% of what he carried that weekend was gear borrowed from me but I was excited to take him on the trip with me. For those less experienced in the world of the outdoors, a big tradition and rite of passage for any novice outdoorsman was to earn a trail name, a unique nickname given by other more experienced tigers, usually in reference to an event at a camp or something like that. They called me Spades, due to some card game fun on one of my first long hikes. 
The reason I'm explaining all of this is because I had decided to take it upon myself to find an appropriate trail name for my friend. I had assumed it would be something silly, like a friend of mine whose name was Ramen Bamen. Following his wicked concoction of a ramen potato spam hybrid, my hopes for a jovial, light-hearted name never came, though, as after the event of that night, he had forever earned the name Weatherman. Here's why. Me and Weatherman's trip started out perfectly, as most trips do. The forecast for the three-day trip was all sunny for the first two days, then there was a rolling storm going through the last night. As we knew this in advance, we were trying not to get hit by it, but that entirely depended on our speed of the hike. The trouble didn't start until the second night. Weatherman had brought along a small radio, one that he used to check on the weather occasionally. Each night before lights out, we would listen to the scheduled segment of the calm, serene meteorologist lady predict the upcoming storms. On the first night, it was not a big deal at all. There was supposed to be light rain on our last night, and not much else. On the second night, the calm lady informed us that the upcoming storm would actually be quite heavy, and accordingly heavy rain was to be expected. By the end of the third day's hike, the clouds above were dark and glum. The intense scent of rain hung over the whole area. Most of the other hikers there were smarter than us, and had made the decision to skip that night. I, however, wanted to show Weatherman that rain doesn't always mean a bad time. To remedy the oncoming water, we strung up the tarp that I usually sleep under above Weatherman's tent, and we both stayed under that. At around 4 p.m., the water began to trickle in, and only 20 minutes after that, there was a huge deluge of liquid. Again, we were prepared for this, and had eaten lunch early, and gotten as prepared for the short walk out in the morning as possible. We hunkered down into the tent as the light outside slowly faded away. Weatherman, in accordance to his previous nightly actions, flicked on the radio. Rather than the greeting of the soothing weather lady, we were met by the unnerving buzz that National Weather Service alerts make. You know the ones I mean. The somewhat high-pitched ones that really just shake your nerves a bit. Listening to this warning, it predicted heavy rains and flash flood possibilities. We were up high in our sights, so we both decided to get some sleep early, so we could pack it out in the morning rather quickly. At around 2 a.m., both me and Weatherman jolted awake in our sleeping bags. In confusion, we looked at each other. We could hear the intense rains outside. A weatherman reached down for his radio and flicked it on. The same rattling buzz screech was playing again, this time on loop, meaning stuff was getting serious. The automated voice even warned us of a tornado warning and we both knew we could not stay any longer. Immediately, we began packing up our things in the tent. All we had left to do was to remove the tarp, pack away the tent, and trek out. I went out to grab my tarp first, being that it was an expensive piece of equipment, and we both figured if we had to leave the cheap Walmart tent, that'd be okay. 
When I had finished with the tarp, I returned to the tent to grab my bag and get oriented on the way out. Sitting down, weatherman across from me, I looked at my map and started planning the route. I was focused on the map and my compass, so when that weather alert buzz screeched again, I was startled. I said to weatherman, Will you please turn that dang thing off? It's annoying. There was no response. I looked up at Weatherman. He was white as a ghost. Slowly, he looked me in the eyes. Th th that wasn't me, he stammered out. I know he wasn't joking around. The buzz happened again, and we sat silent. The buzz came again and again, over and over, unnerving us more with each buzz and it wasn't coming from the radio. Something was mimicking the sound from outside the tent. We both slung our bags in as quiet as we could, continuing to sit in silence. Suddenly, there was a buzz that was louder than ever, obviously coming from right outside our tent. It was loud enough to make my ears ring. Without a word, we burst out of the tent, into the blinding rain, and towards the nearest road. We sprinted in the direction of our truck, and didn't stop until we were inside and on our way home. When I returned to the site about three days later, to recover our things, to my surprise it was still in excellent condition. The door, still open from our sudden departure, revealed the only thing inside, Weatherman's radio, except it had been smashed to pieces. To this day, Weatherman shivers like a leaf when he hears that buzzing sound on the radio. Neither of us have stayed the night at the park since, but I might return soon. Beware of strange weather in Kyohoga Valley, or in the forest at all. There's no telling what hides in the cloak of rain, waiting for thunder to strike to mask its own. Never Stop on Amboy Road When I first arrived as a new boot, it was September. The Marine Corps ball was a couple of months away, and my unit was having ours in Las Vegas. Well, our chain of command gathered all the Marines together who hadn't been stationed on the base before or were new, and me and my roommate were told to join this meeting. When we got into the classroom briefing room, the Sergeant Major and CO were standing at the front of the room with serious looks on their faces. We thought we were in trouble at first, but once everyone had entered and were seated, the sergeant major spoke up. He was a big dude, served multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, overall a guy you wouldn't want to face off against. He looked at us and said, With the Marine Corps ball approaching and none of you guys having been stationed here, 
we wanted to give you a quick safety brief for your trip to Vegas. There's a road called Amboy Road, he began. It's the fastest route to and from Vegas, but I recommend you fellas take the long way. It's a dangerous drive there, being no gas stations and no cell service once you leave 29 Palms, until you reach the outskirts of Vegas. Me and my roommate were confused at this. Why were the CO and Sergeant Major bringing us here just to tell us to take a different route to Vegas? That's when another Marine raised his hand to ask a question. It was a staff sergeant from one of the S shops. The S shops are basically where all the admin guys are located. The CO asks him what his question is, and he stands up and said, Sergeant Major, I'm confused. Why can't we take that route if it's the fastest? If gas is the problem, we can take some jerry cans with us. The CO motioned for him to sit back down and simply said, It's just a dangerous drive, especially late at night. With that, they dismissed us and we went back to work. I asked a corporal later why the head shed didn't want us taking Amboy, and he just told me that weird things happen on that road. I pressed him further, and he said that there was supposedly a cult that lives there, out in the mountains, and they tried to abduct people foolish enough to go out there, and allegedly some folks are never seen again. Now, me and my roommate just assumed that this was the older guys trying to prank and scare us. Your typical ghost story you tell the newbies. Fast forward to November and I'm getting ready to head to Vegas. I set up later that evening due to having to wait to pick up my blues from the cleaners. So instead of leaving around 3 like I had originally planned, I didn't leave until about 7. It was about a 3 hour drive to Vegas from 29 Palms. And by the time I was half an hour into the drive, it was quite dark outside. And despite the warnings, I decided to go down Amboy due to me getting a late start on the drive. I still had to pick up my date from the airport too. What I didn't know at the time is that I would come to regret that decision. As I was driving, I noticed that my GPS was no longer working correctly but I'd already looked ahead of time and found out that I didn't need to turn around until I got closer to Vegas. So I should be fine, I thought. I locked my phone and tossed it into the passenger seat of the truck. I checked the time on the clock, and it read 9.24. My date wouldn't be touching down for another two and a half hours, so I'd have time to check into the hotel and drop all the things off before I had to go pick her up. I was making good time, too. At least, I felt like I was. Then up ahead I noticed some hazard lights flashing on and off on the side of the road. I pulled up and I began to slow down, in case someone needed help with something. I know it sounds dumb, but I was a 19-year-old Marine who felt bulletproof. I didn't feel afraid of anything. As I drew closer, though... I noticed there was luggage scattered around the car. The windows on the driver's side and passenger side were busted, and I think there was blood inside the car on the windshield. I couldn't see the passenger side door, 
so I couldn't be sure if it was in the same condition or not. I never got out to check either, but I noticed that there were drag marks off on the side of the road, as if someone or something had dragged whoever was in the car out into the desert. My fearful mind was thinking this because I didn't see any bodies lying about. As I pulled up to the car, I pulled out a flashlight and shined it over into the car to see if I could see anything. As I peered inside the car, the hairs on the back of my neck stood straight up. Then I glanced in my rearview mirror. That's when I saw about four or five people in all white running up to the truck and they were carrying machetes and butcher knives. I hit the lock button and I gunned the engine just as the first one was about to grab the door handle. I looked into the rear view again to see if they were chasing me. That's when I felt a true, primal fear for the first time in my life. Two of them had grabbed onto my tailgate, and they were in the process of trying to pull themselves up into the bed. I could see their hands, but not their faces. I began to swerve and veer across the road to make it harder for them to pull themselves up. I saw one set of hands disappear into the night, but the other person had a death grip and was refusing to let go. I floored it, then glanced at the speedometer and saw I was creeping up almost 100 miles per hour. When I looked back, and this guy had managed to get one of his arms into the bed and had the tailgate between their arm and the rest of their body, but just as it appeared like they were going to make it, I hit a big bump in the road. I hit it with enough force that the bottom of my truck scraped the ground, forcing that person off the truck. The rest of the drive I didn't stop for anything. I didn't drop below 90 either. I went to Vegas and I pulled into a gas station just as my truck ran out of gas. I never drove down Amboy Road again after that and I made sure to tell anyone new to the base to avoid that road at all costs. And if you're listening, just so you're reminded, never stop for anything on Amboy Road. The Bajan Goblin from Carl G. My family is originally from a small yet popular island of Barbados before moving to New York decades ago. Whenever I visited the island as a child with my younger sister, we always had a great time. The warm temperatures, sights, and beautiful beaches always kept us occupied with fun. Now as an adult with my own two young kids, I enjoy seeing their excitement and fun whenever we visit the island. There was a plan between my wife and I that when our children were old enough, we would move into my parents' home there and raise our family. The education system was very good, and it was also much safer living there compared to New York. The house in Barbados was my mother's, and she only used it during the summer and only for a month. It was in the parish of Christ Church a densely populated part of the island near the capital, and a bunch of tourist attractions. Yet, there were still a lot of trees, fields, and plant life. 
It was common to see rows of buildings and homes on one side of the street, but a lot of bushes and trees on the other side, which would look like a mini jungle. You could see a lot of wild animals there, like turtles, birds, and even monkeys. When the opportunity arose, we were ecstatic to finally be able to move there. I was able to find a good job to support us, and soon enough, my wife got her cake designing business off the ground. As we were settling into our new home, we met our neighbors. Everyone was very friendly and helpful. Our little neighborhood was off a main road, down a quiet road. The houses were all separated by large yards and bush, so there was a bit of privacy from each other, too. There was one house next to our own that was abandoned mid-construction. That happened 30 years ago, and it's been vacant ever since, overrun by bushes and vines. I always felt uneasy about that place. Sometimes I felt something was watching me from within. I never let my kids play in the yard over there, without one of us watching close by. As weeks passed, I had brief chats with the neighbors. They would often suggest keeping the door shut when no one was home, and always locking everything down at night. It sounded like the common sense type stuff, to keep monkeys, mosquitoes, and even burglars out. Barbados isn't as bad with crime compared to New York, but everywhere has their criminals. This advice was a given, and wasn't something I really thought over. But what was weird was that every single person we spoke to gave us this advice. I did notice at night, as it grew late, everyone would have their doors and outside gates locked and windows shut tight. Being in that we were in the Caribbean, I could imagine the heat inside those buildings. As for my family, at night we left our windows and curtains open to get as much of the cool evening inside as possible. The breeze was a godsend. Although nothing happened, there were some moments at night when I would wake up and I would catch a glimpse of something in the window. It was a brief shadow of a figure looking inside, but when I would clear my eyes, the figure would be gone. I assumed it was my sleepy eyes playing tricks on me, so I would just go back to sleep. In the following weeks, we were beginning to notice small things missing. An earring here, a small chain there. Even my kids mentioned they couldn't find certain toys. At first, I figured it was due to the chaotic atmosphere of moving into a new home, but I began to think more of the warnings my neighbors gave us. I became more observant of the things around the house, and I became a light sleeper at night. I still wasn't ready to board up my house like a prison like everyone else. I just had to be more vigilant. Then, one night, I woke up to the sound of something running across the roof. It was a metal roof, and I heard the clicking and clanging of something with sufficient weight up there. I got out of bed, and I tried to follow the footsteps over my head. It couldn't be a bird or even a monkey. These footsteps were far too heavy. I followed the sound to my kids' room. Their window was open but there were still bars over them for security. Then I remembered what my neighbors kept telling me about keeping them closed at night. 
As I looked at my children, who were fast asleep, I saw something jump down from the roof in the nearby window. I crept over to the window and looked out, catching a glimpse of something running around the corner of the house. I told my wife to get the kids and to take them to our bedroom. I locked the door and I called the police. I grabbed my gun and I went outside. I crept around the corner, making my way towards the kids' window, where that thing had jumped down. I could hear something like flat feet slapping the pavement ahead of me, as if something was running around. When I turned that corner, I saw it. This creature was up on my kid's window, with its arm feeling around inside, searching for something. It was humanoid in shape, with pale white skin, big eyes, a wide mouth that hardly contained its many sharp teeth, and it was nude, although I couldn't see any genitals. It also had long white hair that ran down its back. I noticed it had inhumanly long fingers and long feet. It wasn't very tall at all, as it was mostly hunched over. At most, it was four and a half feet tall. The closest thing I could compare it to would be Gollum from Lord of the Rings, but with a lot of white hair on its head that ran down midway towards its back. It then noticed me looking at it, and after a few moments, it ran off around the corner of the house. Part of me wanted to run back inside and hide with my family until the police arrived, but there was something else that urged me to follow it to find out what the hell this thing was. It could be a threat to my family, and I would not be able to rest easy at night, knowing this thing was running around outside my kid's window, reaching in through the dark. So I gripped my gun, and I followed it. I could hear its feet flapping up the stairs to the roof deck. I followed it up. As I was looking around, I began to have second thoughts. If I cornered this creature, things could get dangerous. But it was too late. It was coming over the ridge of the roof, right towards me. It was hissing and showing its teeth. I aimed my gun at it as I was slowly backing away from it. I was terrified. Everything that was my motivation to chase this thing seemingly vanished. The creature was going to attack me. I wasn't sure if I was capable of defending myself, not when I was this scared. It charged me, and I fell back as I fired the gun in fright. I've no idea if I hit it, but it hissed and made a hard right turn, making a twenty-foot leap towards a mango tree that was next to the house. As I picked myself up from the ground, I could hear something fall from the tree and land into the bush. At that moment, the police arrived, and they heard the gunshot. I told them that it was some intruder. I had shot at him to chase him away, and he jumped into the bush in the abandoned house's yard. It was the only time that night that I thought with a clear head. I knew the cops would not believe that I just chased away a boogeyman. As the police scoured the area... My neighbors came out due to the excitement and the sound of the gunshot. 
Many of them were carrying bats or frying pans and other handheld makeshift weapons to help. I told them the story of the human intruder to keep things consistent and for anyone to not doubt my sanity. After a few minutes, the police came back saying that they saw a path the intruder may have taken towards the abandoned house. Although they found no one in the house, they found a lot of random belongings of people in the neighborhood, even myself. It then dawned on me that this thing was in my house at some point, and I got a cold shudder down my back. A few days later, there was nothing new from the police to report. I paid someone to chop down all the bushes from the abandoned house property so that nothing or anyone could hide in it. The abandoned house itself had no doors, nothing covering the windows, since it had been abandoned mid-construction. I took some time to do some research on the internet. I needed to find something that resembled what I saw. I needed an explanation. Surprisingly, there was nothing in Barbados that came close, although I did find stories of creatures in Europe, specifically of mischievous goblins. There were countless stories of goblins that stole jewelry, money, and personal belongings from people's homes. They were usually not dangerous, but mischievous, until you got in their way. Then they would become a threat. They could become vindictive, vicious, dangerous. For a while, I wondered how did this thing get here from Europe? Then I realized Barbados was a British colony in the past, and at some point, it or its ancestors may have come along the ships back then. It and its ilk could have been here for centuries, but was able to keep out of the public eye, staying alive in the shadows. We never found its body, and I haven't seen any sign of that thing since that night. But I can't shake the feeling that it's still out there. We now have central air conditioning for the house, so it's much easier to keep all the windows and doors shut throughout the night and day. I just wondered if I made a mistake going out after it that night, of injuring it. I pray that it's dead or scared off permanently, because I don't want it to come back after my family for revenge. It's only a matter of when. The Bird Grabber From Garbin The second job I ever had was a night shift security gig. I was honestly quite surprised I got the call back on that one, as I'd hardly had any experience working anywhere. I was a 19-year-old sheltered guy, but had always been taller than my peers growing up, so maybe that had something to do with it. I lived in a small college town in New England. The security guard position had me looking after an old mausoleum containing some family tombs. It was autumn when I started, and with the trees being bare or nearly bare, the place was absolutely creepy after sundown. It took me a few weeks to stop feeling that sort of dread or fear you get when you're alone in a very dark and creepy place. But yeah, once everything became routine for me, that feeling went away. I ended up working there for three years, 
I quit after managing to get a scholarship to finish up two more years at university and finally finish up my bachelor's degree. I wanted to focus on my school full-time. Anyway, my shift began at 10 p.m. each night, and I'd work until 8 in the morning. That meant 10-hour night shifts, five days a week. It was a gravy job, honestly. It did not take me long to get into the flow and theme of the place. Remembering my rounds became second nature in no time, and I would often even listen to true crime and paranormal podcasts on my phone via Spotify while walking around in the dark. You could probably understand why, at a certain point, I believed that nothing could scare me, or that I was at the very least ready for anything. But then came the longest night of my entire life. This was the night that I saw something that I'll never forget, and will never be able to truly explain. It was nearly exactly a year after I started, so that would make it autumn again. The leaves were just starting to turn this year, but the temperature was beyond freezing already. I was doing my rounds with a sweater under my blizzard-ready jacket, while between rounds, I would make sure to keep the coffee pot hot and full. You could call it cozy, save for the couple of hours of rounds I had to do. During my second round for that night, I got up and downed a cup of coffee. Then I threw my toasty jacket back on and exited the security building. This building was little more than a well-insulated shed, before you could step foot in the mausoleum from there, you'd have to walk through a small outcropping row of trees via a footpath. This outcropping was pretty short, but it was thick enough that you could not see the mausoleum on the other side, adding a bit of suspense when you walked through the footpath at night. So I made my way through, and a few minutes later I was in the mausoleum, checking the tombs and gravestones for tampering and making sure no teenagers were hanging out on the hillside, smoking it up or getting frisky. That happened quite a lot, believe it or not. I made my way over to the archway of the main family plot when I heard the shifting of tree branches. There was little to no wind that night, so the moment I heard that sound, I knew that some branches were being shifted around by an animal or person. I listened closely, eventually suspecting that the sounds were a bit too heavy and slow to be that of a squirrel crawling around on them. I laughed to myself, thinking about how awkward it's going to be when I have to make my way to the tree in question only to find a couple of kids trying and failing to make out in a tree. I rounded the edge of the main plot where a tall poplar tree had stood for ages. When I turned the corner past a stone tomb, I found myself in full view staring into something nearly seven yards away from me that shook me to my very core. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't blink. My body went as stiff as a freaking board. It was an instinctual response. I'd never reacted like that before. I was terrified. Now, I'll describe to you what I saw, but I'll admit here that it's going to sound insane. Imagine a man with no clothes or hair whatsoever on his body. 
turn his skin pale and nearly a super-light shade of blue-green, then slather him with a viscous slime. And to top it off, stretch him so that he's half the width of a normal man, but twice the height. That's what I was looking at. Some sort of creature that was a nightmarish deformity of a normal man. It was so freaking tall. It was using its lanky arms to slowly reach into the branches of the poplar, pulling and bending them toward its face. Then it picked at the bark with its face and fingers, like it was searching for insects or small animals to consume. And then the worst happened. I somehow managed to choke on my own saliva, causing me to cough just once. The thing steadily turned and lowered its head a bit, soon finding me with its odd-looking eyes. Its eyes were these flat, straight, horizontal slits. They were so thin, I couldn't tell if they were closed or not. But I guessed that they weren't, because it looked at me and cocked its head to the side. It saw me, but it didn't seem to care. A few seconds of studying me over, it then went back to the branch it was, ah, uh, feeling up. I turned, and I power-walked my way back to the security building. I could hear that thing chewing on something and pulling at branches the entire way back. I quickly locked the door, telling myself that finishing the rounds this shift was not going to happen. I was not stepping foot outside until the sun was up. I survived the night okay. Didn't see anything else out of place or weird. Now, I didn't straight up tell my co-workers about the incident, but I did ask the other guards about the creepy things they'd experienced working here. The older guard who'd worked there the longest had stumbled upon torn and fallen branches a couple of times. He'd even found half-chewed-up birds. Obviously, he thought this was odd. He didn't get enough wind around these parts to tear branches from healthy trees that often, and it was curious that the half-eaten birds he'd find were always next to these fallen branches. The other guard I talked to, a woman in her thirties, had frequently heard oddly heavy footsteps around the mausoleum, but she admitted she'd been too afraid to investigate when she'd hear these noises. Can't say I'd blame her. I never saw the creature again, but to be honest, that's probably because any further sounds similar to the ones that creature made, I completely avoided. I did not want to end up like one of those half-eaten birds or ripped-off branches. Alone From Bard Absolutely, agonizingly, terrifyingly alone. That is exactly how I felt most nights working my old job. I was the clerk at the front desk of an old cheap hotel. I worked from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m., eight working hours with an hour for lunch. But, being by myself, I couldn't leave my post. So it was really just nine straight hours of work every day. The thing about this hotel is it was located in a terrible spot, 
The average number of customers staying or coming in on my typical night was one or two. In fact, there were plenty of nights I would have nothing to do, because the building would be entirely vacant, empty and silent with no one coming in at all. The cleaning crew didn't even come until 6 a.m. Some folks might think that'd be fun, a gravy job where you just sit there and play on your phone all night, getting paid. Yeah, it should have been nice, maybe boring at the most. But a certain series of events began to make my job nothing less than horrific. I didn't quit the job, by the way. By some miracle, the place closed down not too long after these experiences. I was saved by sheer luck, aka the owners building the place in the worst place for business. Now, the hotel was set up along a former highway. These days, it's just a rarely traveled straight road going right through a dense forest. It's serene, I'll give it that, but after dark, the place gets really lonely feeling, and you start flinching at the lightest sound. It started in the spring. There was a quiet mist coming down, droplets floating, not falling, like tiny little feathers. I stayed at the desk overlooking the lobby, leaning back in my chair and browsing news articles on my phone. Car accident leaves mother and child in hospital. Will Death Stranding be little more than a walking simulator? Ranking the best fast food chicken sandwiches. Just the kind of usual stuff that made me even more bored. I tossed my phone on the overly large mouse pad in front of me and rested my head on my hand. I glanced at the clock. Only 2 p.m. I wasn't even at the halfway point. I slid my phone into my pocket and threw on my jacket. It was a bit stuffy in there, so I walked outside and let the mist pelt against my face. It was refreshing. There was a row of streetlights placed a dozen meters or so apart along the road, though only one stood directly in front of the building. The rest were covered by trees that made up our happy patch of wasteland. I stood there with my back against the exterior concrete wall of the building. The doors were to my left. The parking lot was empty, save for my car. I closed my eyes and opened my mouth, breathing in a big gulp of cooling air. It was then that I heard a massive wet thud. It was loud and sudden, making me jump into a frightened stance. It had come from the right side of the square building, my right, anyway. As I waited there, I heard the sound of a moist slapping noise, like something hitting the side of the building. I slowly walked over, careful not to make too much noise. I poked my head around the corner, but by then, the sounds had already stopped. I swallowed hard, I walked forward and I used the flashlight on my phone to scan the building and the ground. My eyebrow raised. There were four deep indentations in the dirt and what appeared to be muddy footprints or handprints on the wall. I pointed the light up at these prints to see that they continued upwards, further and further up until they stopped at the roof. You can probably understand how bewildered I was when I tell you that the hotel was about ten stories tall, 
you're not going to be scaling a flat concrete wall ten stories up by hand. So what in the world was I looking at? Goosebumps rose up on my arms despite them being covered by a thick jacket. I ran back inside and cowered at my desk, watching the doors opposite me and hoping that I was still alone. The following night, the event was still fresh on my mind. Throughout the shift, I kept glancing through the blinds of the employee lounge, which had a window facing out that side of the building. I didn't hear or see anything weird for a while. We, of course, did not have another customer that night. I had not alerted the manager to the event just yet either, as after it happened last night, the rain got heavier and the mud trail was quickly washed away. I didn't know what to say to anyone, and I was still trying my best to come up with my own explanation. Around 2.40 p.m., I was beginning to nod off at the desk chair. I jumped when that slappy, wet sound came again this time coming from the roof. Yes, despite the building being ten stories tall, I could hear those sounds. They must have been loud. Whatever was making them was doing it deliberately, or maybe they were that heavy, I'm not sure. Then again, I could be hearing an echo as the sound bounced off trees around the building. The night prior, I had no courage to go look on the roof, but that night was different. Maybe it was just curiosity that compelled me, but I took the elevator up to the top floor. Then I walked the stairs that led to the roof. I peeked around. It seemed to be clear up there. The mist was coming down again, maybe a little bit lighter than last night. It sure was creepy up on the roof. The hotel was taller than the trees around us, and there was nothing else around for miles, really, except for forest and streetlights that were covered by a canopy. As I looked past the building's edge, I saw only darkness, and as I did just that, I stopped breathing, realizing that this entire time, there had been a figure blending in with that darkness, and they were standing at the edge of the roof. This figure was human in shape, but crawled on all fours across the edge of the roof. I couldn't speak. I still hadn't choked to breathe before I watched this thing skitter over the edge of the building and thud wetly on the ground. It or they had jumped off, and that was the sound I'd heard last night, the very first sound the reason why there were four deep indentations in the dirt and mud. Then, just as before, those wet slapping sounds began to come back up the building. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was coming back, yet in an odd state of calm panic, I walked back inside, steadily descended the stairs all the way down to the lobby and sat quietly at my desk. I had no idea what I'd just seen, and I had no clue what I could even do about it. In my shock, I guessed the only thing I could do was pretend it wasn't there, and 
and after hearing those slapping, crawling, thudding sounds that night and several nights after, I did just that. I pretended it wasn't there until we were laid off and the hotel was finally closed down. To this day, I still don't know what I saw. Maybe I was dumb for not calling 911 right away. But considering the footprints or handprints in the building going back up, I don't think it was someone jumping off the roof. Not anyone normal. Because I'm sure that whatever or whoever they were was completely fine jumping off the building all night, each and every night, crawling right back up to jump again in some sort of cold and lonely cycle. The Brown Boy in the Forest from Darren Dell I had recently moved from Ireland to the USA, specifically to the border of North Carolina and Tennessee. Our land was basically sitting on a plot of woodland and forest expanse. It continues on to the Cherokee National Park. I began noticing things a few weeks after we arrived. I was pretty much settled into my new environment and in awe of everything around me. Ireland is pretty much a bubble compared to this place. It was early July, and it was so humid, there was a dead heat in the air. I was lying on the wooden swing chair on the back deck. I was on the phone chatting with a friend of mine, basically just relaxing and enjoying the weather. I was kind of melting from the heat, to be honest my pale skin turning to a more lovely shade of pink. It was evening. I hung up the phone and lay there gathering my thoughts, getting the last few rays of sun before going back inside. Just before going back in, I began doodling on the back of my notepad, when I suddenly heard the sound of banging coming from just inside the tree line. It was about half a football pitch distance away, I'm not good with measurements or distances, to be honest. It sounded like someone hitting a tree hard with a flat of a hurley, or something harder. It was like wood on wood loud, and it was so hard, it was comparable to gunshots. Startled and confused, I scanned the area, but I didn't notice anything strange. Shaking my head, I went back inside. I mentioned to my sister that it sounded like there was someone out there. Maybe they were cutting timber or something. She looked at me with an eyebrow raised. She said there shouldn't be anyone near here, as it was our property, and nobody should be cutting our timber. I explained in further detail what I heard. Together, we walked back outside. We walked across the yard and to the fence line, but we didn't see anyone. After a bit of confusion, we shrugged our shoulders together and forgot about it. We figured if we did see anybody, we would let them know they were trespassing. I lived on the property with my sister Amy, her husband Jason, and my awesome little nephew Adam, who was four years old at the time. 
Everything was basically all new to us here. The sounds, the smells, the wildlife. Everything was so different compared to Ireland. And I'm a nature buff at heart. I love fishing, hunting. But the lands and wildlife of the U.S. are very different to Ireland. Irish wildlife can't kill you. Unless you're really dumb, really drunk. You're allergic to bees, or you get yourself knocked out while running from a wasp. As for our home, we sat nestled in the middle of nowhere. We were surrounded by a wilderness, woodland, and meadows. In the shallow parts of the woods, there were small streams, and beyond the woods were rolling mountains. It was so incredibly secluded that it was peaceful, awesome, the kind of view that would take your breath away. And knowing what I know now, I understand that the things I saw out there I can understand why they go unseen for so long. My sister bought her property, and from what I know, it was empty for around six months before she moved in. As the days and weeks passed after I heard those noises, I heard new ones. At times, there would be strange whistling sounds coming from the woods, often accompanied by more wood knocks. Sometimes, if I was close enough, I would even hear movement in the trees, and if I tried to get too close, it sounded like something would begin shaking a nearby tree, as if to scare or intimidate me. Needless to say, it worked. All of this baffled everyone that lived there. We tried to explain it as people hunting or bears. There were times when all of us together felt brave enough to investigate the surrounding woodland, but we never did see or find anything. I have to add, we never felt in danger, though. We were always cautious with Adam, and always kept a close eye on him while he played outdoors. It never felt too unsafe for him to play out there, especially if one of us was watching. This whole ordeal became the family mystery and the basis of many of our jokes. Us Irish have dark and twisted minds sometimes, and a strange sense of humor, so getting dragged into the forest by bears or eaten alive by flesh-eating possums was the common joke to my poor sister by myself and Jay. Halfway through August of that year, the realness of what was happening to us finally hit home, and I became very aware of what was really in the forest surrounding us. It was the weekend. Adam and I went on an adventure checking out the area, hunting for treasure, finding weird animals. You know how it is with four-year-olds. Everything's cool and mind-blowing. We crossed the fence line and spent a couple of hours foraging for critters, catching them in jars, watching birds, never straying too far from the home, cause his little legs and all. But we went far enough all the same, and had stopped and sat on a long dead tree trunk that lay in a small open area within the woodland. My phone suddenly rang, and I had a chat with my sister. It was time to head back, because the barbecue was finishing up. When I got off the phone and placed it back in my pocket, I looked over at Adam, who was laughing and staring off into the distance making faces at something. 
I had been sitting beside him on the log, but I stood up after the phone ring to get it from my pocket. I had been moving and walking back and forth, kicking dirt up as you do on the phone. Anyway, I asked him with a smile, What you laughing at, buddy? His reply sent literal chills down my spine. I'm copying the brown boy. He laughed. He found it really, really funny. But I was immediately creeped out. What boy? I said, while I bent down and lugged Adam up into my arms. He's pretty small even for a four-year-old, and my protective instinct had kicked in. A hundred different thoughts crossed my mind. He then pointed to an area of large trees and bushes that looked impenetrable about 15 feet from us. He's got a funny face and was doing it like this. Adam went on, grinning as wide as he physically could. Where is he? I whispered. I noticed how quiet the woods around us had gotten. Maybe it was just my fear and shock, but everything seemed so silent. I stepped toward the trees where he pointed, with Adam in my arms. I heard what I swear was the sound of a chimpanzee, that sort of chimp-like howl, but much deeper, coming from my left into the woodland. This froze me in place. It was like I knew not to move any closer to the trees where Adam had pointed, or I would pay dearly. With my heart pounding knowing something wasn't right, Everything felt wrong. I turned, gripping Adam tight, and started moving back towards home. Adam was still facing behind me as I held him, and shrieked with excitement and laughter. There he is, he said. I turned before he had the words completely out, and crossing where we had been sitting, moving away from where he pointed, was a small, hairy, human-like boy. He was a little taller than Adam, but so much wider and covered in hair from head to toe. It wasn't actually a boy, but it wasn't anything that I had ever seen. It stopped for a split second, looked at me, but another loud hoot or howl that seemed closer than before snapped its attention away from us, shocking or even commanding it to move. It practically lunged quickly behind trees towards where the sound had come from. It was out of sight in the matter of moments. I was frozen as Adam tried to wriggle out of my arms, and I realized how heavy he was getting. A million more thoughts raced through my mind. What in the world was that? It definitely wasn't human. I told Adam to hold on tight as I began to run as fast as I could with the two of us. The entire time, I felt watched and followed. Whatever it was, it continued to make sounds, and each time it did, it wasn't any further behind me. Within fifteen minutes, give or take, I was back over the fence, and I put Adam down on the ground, telling him to go to his mom quickly, while I scanned the surrounding forest and fence line or any further signs of danger. I could see Jay, my sister, and two of their friends at the side of the house, sitting on a bench next to the barbecue, as Adam ran happily over. 
I didn't see how he wasn't scared. I turned and looked back over the fence and was overwhelmed with the feeling that I was being watched still. I looked back at Adam and he was already on the bench beside Amy. The image of that brown creature, or the brown boy as Adam had called him, ran back through my mind as I tried to make sense of it. I'm fairly sure it was a he. It was chestnut in color, around three and a half feet tall, a bit taller than Adam. It had hair about three inches long covering its whole body except for small patches of its face. The skin I could see was brown, but a different shade, a bit more tan and lighter in color. More like uh, leather, I guess. It had deep eye sockets with very dark and nearly black eyes. It was very much like an ape with large eyebrow ridges. Its arms were abnormally long, and its body frame for something so small was awfully wide. Just from the look of it, it looked like it was going to be huge. It was the same way you could look at a foal and tell that its proportions and body shape were going to be quite large. But it's different from creature to creature. But just by looking at its face, I could tell it was young, and had that awkward movement to it when it walked, the way an adolescent would. Its head was wide too and oddly shaped, and its mouth was at least twice as big as a human's. I understand now why Adam grinned back at it so wide, with all his teeth showing, because that's what the creature's face sort of looked like. With all of this in mind, I realized the deeper sound we'd heard from the woods, the one the adolescent creature had ran off towards, that was probably its parent, and it sounded big. I could still feel the adrenaline rushing through my body. I realized my hands were shaking then still, and then another realization, one final one, the cherry on top of the sundae. It was freaking Bigfoot. I hadn't heard too many stories, but what I had heard of, it matched this thing perfectly. So what in the actual F? A baby Bigfoot was making faces at my nephew. I was broken out of my stupor when I heard movement to my right in the woods. I looked in that direction, watching and listening. The tree knocks came, but luckily they were much further away in the woods than before. I went right over to my sister and grabbed her, pulling her aside and telling her everything. After a lot of convincing, she believed what I saw, and believed that Adam saw something too. But she insisted it wasn't what I thought it was, so I stopped trying to tell her that Bigfoot was real. But Jay did believe me and had many experiences himself up to that point, but so far for him, they were just sounds, not sightings. He mostly kept his experiences to himself, because his wife would just call him crazy, and admittedly, he was a conspiracy buff. Neither of us were able to convince Amy of Bigfoot. What it did do, though, was make us all a little more tense and cautious while out and about, and especially in the yard with Adam. Countless times afterwards, I asked Adam to explain what he saw. From what he has told me, when my phone rang, 
and that was the first time he made contact with the brown boy. He saw him peering out from behind the tree, and from the face he made and showed me, I think the creature was sniffing the air, then began to smile like a chimp does, and if you've read up on chimps, they don't smile like humans do. Theirs doesn't show happiness, it showed concern, intimidation, submission, not a positive sign at all. Then again, maybe these Bigfoot things are more akin to people than chimps, and it was truly playing with Adam. I couldn't find any other explanation for this event besides Bigfoot, no matter how much I tried, no matter how much I tried to rationalize it. These things, to me, they definitely exist. But why are we not told more of them? None of it made sense, and I found it so hard to even say the word Bigfoot, because it sounded crazy. The only way to convince other people, it seems, is to show them themselves, to take them right into the woods and put them face to face with the Bigfoot. This was only the beginning of our interactions and encounters with the brown boy and the hairy people in the forest. You can read more entries on this series at darkstories.org. Shirley, Wisconsin, from Poofy. In 2008, I was 18 years old. A couple of friends of mine and I decided we were going to start ghost hunting. I have and still do have a deep interest in the paranormal, but at that point I had people to indulge it with. We wanted to go somewhere away from the small Wisconsin town that we all grew up in. I live about 30 minutes away from Green Bay. One of my friends was looking for haunted locations around the area, somewhere far, but not too far far enough to make an event out of it. We decided on a small town called Shirley. There was a reported haunted cemetery there, a place where you could see a floating light in the corner of the cemetery, or so they say. The legends also include hearing voices and crying, typical haunted cemetery stuff. We had a good old-fashioned VHS camcorder that we recorded with. It had an old-school light on it, too. It got the job done for a group of 18 to 20 year olds who only just decided to go ghost hunting. The mention of this camera is important. Either way, one of the three friends I was doing the expedition with was excited about this. We stayed up all day and night before the trip talking about it, making jokes of what-if situations that ended in humorous ways. She and I have and still do get along very well. The other two friends were childhood friends of mine, and her boyfriend at the time. Soon enough, the day came we were to leave. We began driving to our destination. I'll introduce you to the group. The friend who was in the back seat with me was Cece. Momo was in the passenger seat, and the boyfriend was driving. His name was Louis. I was sitting just behind Louis. We're driving the car towards Green Bay. Our destination of Shirley is about 20 minutes past Green Bay. We started driving pretty late, and it was soon nighttime. The stars were out in all their brightness. 
We were all very excited and in great moods, smoking cigarettes, making jokes. Cece and I could not stop laughing at each other in the back seat. She and I had developed an inside joke by saying, you know what's messed up, meaning I was just thinking the same thing, or the same thing happened to me. There was a tone to the way we said it that made it either funny or serious. It got to the point where we kept saying it so much, we basically began to just say the same things at the same time. We both noticed how strange this was, and we did our best to avoid it, to be less awkward. We tried engaging conversation with Momo and Lewis, but they didn't seem to be as interested. During the car ride, everyone was noticing shooting stars out the window. A lot of shooting stars. Everyone except me. But every five minutes or so, one of the other three would say they saw one. Because I didn't see them, I kept thinking they were playing a prank on me. I looked out the window and saw plenty of stars, but no shooting ones. I grew frustrated. I said in a joking but angry tone, Ugh, Just show me one shooting... Oh, what the hell? Before I could even finish my plea, a star shot across my line of vision. I was in awe. It was impossible. I didn't even believe it. The timing was perfect. It was like the cosmos were saying, Here you go. Now shut up. I also couldn't help but notice on the way there that we had no cars behind us. And we were on the highway. Green Bay is a popular city. But never once during this whole ride did a car pass us. We never passed another car either, or see even a bit of headlights. All of it was extremely strange, but they were only the beginnings of this night. When we finally made it to the road leading to Shirley, it was surreal. It's like part of the roads didn't make sense. There were trees in strange places, signs in weirder places. I remember driving through a very small town that consisted of a gas station and nothing else. There were a couple of street lights. All I know is that we were soon through that town, if you could even call it that. The main road to Shirley was a long straight one. It had a lot of hills, notable hills. And let me say again, despite going through a small town, we still have not seen a single other car on the road, or off of it. It was as if we were suddenly all alone in the world. It felt peaceful, but also quite intimidating. And then something pretty creepy happened. We drove by a buck, a male deer, on the side of the road. It was completely motionless, standing tall and watching us drive by. Nothing weird about that, right? Well, after we drove past it, we saw dozens of them, all in the same position, all watching us drive by, all males. They were lined up on the side of the road. Some sort of terrifying Animal Kingdom welcome crew. I'd never seen anything like it before. Before long, we made it to Shirley. We found that it consisted of a mill of some sort, as well as a bar, another bar, some old buildings that may have been turned into apartments, a church with a cemetery next to it, but not the one we were going for. In all honesty, we didn't find the right cemetery on the first trip to Shirley. Yeah, we had to go back once or twice. I can't remember how many. 
But it was this first trip that I'm telling you about that it was something straight out of the Twilight Zone. The roads of Shirley were pretty bare, besides the occasional farmhouse and barn. The fields separated the houses pretty well, but still, it seemed like there were a lot of lights in the town. For such a small population, it was like every house had five to six lights outside, not including decorations or solar lights, but actual lights, bright ones, on the house, the garage, the barn, the pole, and the fields, Lights just kept showing up. Some of them would disappear the closer we got to them. The whole time, there were still no cars around us, no people walking about the town. There was no other movement at all. The world had become a randomly lit oil painting. Still, lifeless. We made it to the cemetery church and tried to film something from the car. None of us felt like getting out here. Mostly because we all couldn't help but notice that it didn't feel normal outside. We would stick our hands and heads out of the windows, and it felt wrong. Like if we got out of the car, we'd never be able to get back in. So none of us wanted to even attempt to get out. There was a corn film to the right of the car. Tall corn that was ready to be pecked, if not beyond ready to get cut down. At this point, Momo took the camera and passed it to Lewis, who began to film the cemetery. Then he passed the camera back to Momo. This happened a couple of times. It was then that, out of nowhere, we finally see a car driving away from us. This struck a nerve with Lewis, who had been driving the whole time with no signs of other people, so he decided to follow it. He wanted to catch up to the person, but he never could. He sped through the town, going 45, 50, 65, 70, but the car ahead of us kept the same distance, no matter what speed we went. I guess it's possible that they thought we were up to no good, or they thought that we wanted to do them harm, but to us, it was like no matter how hard we tried, we could not get close to them. I also noticed that it didn't have a back license plate, which is obviously illegal. We then watched the car take a curve in the road that goes to the left. We kept following them, but never found this curve in the road. There were no left turns at all. We're all saying, it turned here, right? The road should have curved already, but the car was gone, and there was nowhere for it to go. All that lay to the left were fields. I don't know how to explain this, Eventually, we saw a car driving towards us. It was a truck, actually. A dark one. You couldn't see who was driving it. This truck had no plate on the front. It kept driving by us like it had multiple streets to turn down and surprise us with. But there were probably only four roads in this town. It was all fields, like I said. Then we saw three cars coming towards us. I felt nearly relieved. Was normal society returning to us? But no, these were also three trucks, all of which lacked plates as well. One after another, three of the same-looking truck in perfect intervals drive by. All these vehicles were heading the same direction. All their taillights disappeared soon behind us, even though these never turned, so we should have kept seeing their lights. 
As would be expected, our excitement was beginning to die down. None of us wanted to get out in fear of falling into the false reality that was surely Wisconsin. So after attempting to follow another car which disappeared on the same road as the last one, we decided it was time to go. But I insisted that I wanted to go back to the cemetery and that I would even get out of the car if we did. But then, as if to defy my wishes, out of nowhere headlights appeared behind us. These felt different. They felt hateful, angry. This didn't seem like just some car that would pop up on a casual drive. It honestly felt like an evil pair of headlights. Lewis freaked out and said that we were leaving now. He turned onto the road we took in and was driving well over the speed limit. The headlights were still behind us, keeping pace. He drove faster, but they did the same. Faster and faster, we could almost feel the car catching air on the many small hills on this road. The lights behind us started bobbing in and out of sight behind the hills as we went, until they just didn't come back up. There was no way they turned. There was no other roads. We'd already passed all the houses. Even if they turned off their lights, we would have seen them. No one could have stopped that suddenly and switched off their lights without something happening. I know we were going 85 miles per hour, and so were they. We got to the road we turned on to leave Shirley. It felt relieving. There was an old car that was about to turn into Shirley. They waited for us to turn out on the road they were on. They didn't have to. No other cars were coming. We saw them for a while. They had time to turn. The headlights of our car hit the side of theirs. I looked inside to see who was going to Shirley at this time of night, but I saw no one in the car. I asked if anyone saw the driver, but the others responded with no. They either didn't notice or didn't care to look, but I had. With the way our headlights were, we should have seen them. Not to mention, this would be the first actual sedan to have drove past us. I felt relieved to be on that road, but of course, more deer watched us leave. I was confused and frustrated, and I had so many questions, but who could answer them? What was up with this town? I couldn't help but think of all of this. Everyone else was silent, like they were all drained. I picked up something to look at it. Maybe my phone, I'm not sure. Phones weren't entertaining yet at the time. I remember texting a friend and he was at my apartment. It was then that I noticed out of the corner of my eye that Cece was slowly turning her head to look out the back window, and she started to cry, hysterically crying. I was caught off guard. I asked her, Cece, what's wrong? Then I followed her eyes, and I looked out the back window. There, from the road we just drove on, was a dead-end road with an old ball-top street lamp right in the middle, trees all around it, surrounding the dead end. The dead end that we had just driven through. But that wasn't all. Under the light stood a being in a white cloak and gown, the shape of which reminded me of a grim reaper. I could not see their face, the hood covered it, but I could feel them looking at me. I stared at them for as long as I could, before I remembered why I even looked back there in the first place. 
So I returned my focus to Cece. I put my hand on her shoulder and asked her, What did you see? Tell me what you saw back there. She said between her sobs, I saw a man. He was in white, on the side of the road. He tried to open your door. I saw him out of the corner of my eye in Lewis's window. When I looked up, he was reaching for your door. Then I followed him with my eyes, and the road changed. Then I looked away. I couldn't believe it, but I told her I saw the same thing. It was reaching for my door. How did the road change? She said he just went from being on the side of the road to being in the middle of it. She couldn't understand. I couldn't understand any of this either. It was like we were the only two in the car, because Lewis and Momo said nothing. They didn't ask any questions. They didn't wonder if Cece was okay. They didn't even look behind themselves. I don't think they wanted to. It was almost like something was telling us. Stay out. Momo and Lewis both said they didn't say anything because they felt like they didn't care. They felt emotionless. They didn't look behind them, they didn't utilize their mirrors to look behind us, they just looked ahead, like everything went black and white and emotionless. We went back a couple of times, but it was nothing like what happened the first time. I don't know what was so special about that first time. Maybe it was the day we went. Maybe it was a difference in energy. The way we'd gone with a desire to see something strange. We went to Shirley looking for a cemetery that we never found. And we left with a very screwed up story. Some folks don't believe us, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't change that it happened. I just wonder if it will ever happen to anyone else, or if it already has. I wonder if they got out of their car. I wonder if they were chased out the way we were. Either way, when we got back to my apartment, we watched the little bit of video we had recorded. We saw the trucks, the taillights, the many random lights in town, even a few moments where the lens flare from three barn lights resembled the white-hooded figure that saw us out. This made Cece cry again. But what made my skeptical friend rewind the video over and over was when Lewis handed Momo the camera when we were parked next to the cornfield. On the video, you can clearly see a man with a straw hat and overalls walk out of the cornfield, looking at us. But his legs were gone. Who is following me? From Batweek. Location unknown. In the summer of 2016, I had my first encounter with what was known as the Rougarou. The Rougarou is a creature that is strong, intelligent, and wolf-like. From the tales I've heard of it, it is far from an actual werewolf as the Rougarou will hunt you down for days, weeks, months, maybe even years, if you're unlucky. Well, back then we had moved out to the country, as we had bought some land for our bison. 
The creature in question came back in February of 2017. It began to devour farmers' cattle in the local lands. I believe it came down to the town after that, started bugging people at night. My mom said it was the Rougarou, because come sunrise, it would leave after terrorizing the whole town until morning. So summer of 2017 rolls in, and I'm having a great time until June 17th. My mom and I were hanging out on the deck when we heard it. It was hanging around the land, inside the bushes. It sounded winded, out of breath, and it was crushing twigs. From the sound of it, it was close to the garage, but it was getting closer to us. So we went inside, spooked. Around one in the morning, it came again. This time I could hear it growling. I was too scared to even move. I texted my mom. It took her a while to respond, but when she finally did, she told me, I'm not messing around. I'm going outside. She was holding a 12-gauge, and she walked out of the house. I was following right behind her as I had to hold the flashlight for her. That's when we both caught a glimpse of the Rougarou. It was this tall, wolf-like creature with brown-grayish fur. The thing about this wolf, though, was that it was at least seven feet tall, with claws that were razor-sharp. It had a bit of a hunched back, and its eyes were glowing a sleek brown. When it heard us, it got onto all fours and ran into my room. My mom took aim, then boom. She claims that she struck it in the chest, but I don't know about that. It kept coming until it ran off into the field, and my mom told me to go back inside where it was safe. So that's what I did. My sister was upstairs awake and freaking out. My mom locked up the place after she came back inside and phoned a few relatives for advice as tears streamed down her face. I'd never seen her so terrified. Since this day, we've been told not to go outside at night, not to whistle at night, and not to speak of this creature. This is my first time talking about this encounter but I know it'll be back, like always. The Abandoned School From Parker Location, Ohio It was two years ago, during the spring of my senior year in high school. I'd bought my friend group thanks to the community college my school partnered with for dual enrollment courses. We all met in an art class and art club. There was Cal, my best friend who's only a year older than me, and is basically a beanpole full of anxiety, with pretty sick dyed hair. There's Bridget, our resident urbex expert, a self-proclaimed witch, and all-around spooky human being. There's Lindsay, Bridget's sister, who was admittedly on the little larger side. We consider her the group's mom. There's also Brandon, who reminds me of Charles Manson, and Cantrell, who is often referred to as the baby, but is the nicest person you'll ever meet. How our little trip finally came into fruition was thanks to the art festival our club was having. We were hanging out during the setup, 
and everybody was talking about how there's nothing to do in Southeast Ohio, which is pretty true. We wanted to do something out of the ordinary, spice things up a bit. Bridget, who was almost uncharacteristically animated, told us about this abandoned school she found not too far away from where we all lived. I'd always wanted to go urban exploring, but a lot of the well-known spots were at the very least an hour and a half away, so I leapt at the chance to go to this school. If I went, that almost assuredly meant Cal would tag along. Lindsay had already gone with Bridget the first time, so she was in too. And Brandon loved a good scare, and with Cantrell always ready to go, we had our group. Everyone was in, and we decided to make the trip that weekend. We had to take two cars since our friend group was a little too large to take anywhere without a mystery machine. We met up at Bridget and Lindsay's house early that morning in order to coordinate. Going through a quick checklist to make sure we all had black clothes, bandanas to cover our faces in case of asbestos, flashlights, and a few emergency supplies such as pocket knives and first aid kits, we then split off into two cars and began the journey. As I didn't have any idea where I was going, and they didn't give me any GPS coordinates, I stayed as close to the other car as possible. We must have traveled only 30 minutes before we reached the place, which was absolutely desolate. It appeared to be a coal mining town. As the coal mining had been the thing that kept the business in the area booming, when the mine shut down, so did the town. Once we reached the school, I laughed. It was right next to a graveyard. However, the graveyard was small, and it had a parking space that was across from the school. Bridget parked there, and I parked next door. We did notice a couple of other cars parked in the distance, but we made nothing of it, since it was just off a main stretch of road into the town. We climbed out of our cars, ensuring again that we all had our equipment, and began to make a game plan for entering the school. There wasn't really a direct path to the entrance, as there were these large metal shipping boxes and broken pieces of wood clustered around the doorway. The door itself was also lying on the ground outside, as if it had been ripped off. The door being open was inviting enough for us. We were able to climb through the various pieces of wood, managing to shuffle some of them out of the way just to make the path that much easier to traverse. Upon stepping into the school, it felt like we were in a different dimension. Bridget and Lindsay were the first to enter since they were the most familiar and were going to give us the grand tour. I insisted on staying in the middle, squeezing the life out of Cal's hand as we followed the sisters in with the other three in close quarters behind us. Where the light hit versus where the never-ending darkness of the building began, it sent a shiver through my spine. As a group, we all took a collective pause to take it in, then moved out of the open doorway so as not to be seen. Then we turned on the flashlights. The building itself was an old elementary school. It had been shut down sometime during the recession and was in relatively good condition, all things considered. Bridget led us up the stairs, softly saying, Be careful. Once you get to the landing, it's a little weak on the left side. Heeding her words, we all clung to the right wall as we approached the top of the stairs. 
Momentarily, I released my grip from Cal's hand, and we began our way into the hallway of the second floor of the school. It was maybe half the size of the first hallway, and one of the classroom doors was open, light streaming in from the window. We all began to feel a bit more comfortable here. We were joking around and exploring the room, since there were a lot of things still left behind. One of the things I actually ended up picking up was an old AOL disc for dial-up internet, which sent us all into a small roar of laughter, as well as some small wall plaque about a soccer team or something. Our adventure continued on. We went down the hallway to peer into a science classroom, but could not enter due to a fragile floor. At the end of that hall, there was a small set of stairs that led up to a weird room that basically was being used as a storage unit for a bunch of creepy-as-hell Christmas decorations. You know the kind that are basically blackface, but with the piercing blue eyes? Those. On the other side of that room, there were these sets of stairs that led down to the basement. Me, being an absolute coward, latched onto my friend again, and I was reluctant to follow the group into the basement of this building, but I did so anyway, not wanting to be alone. Now, when I say the basement was dark, it was very, very dark. The power on our flashlights was weak in comparison to the piercing darkness, and we only found them truly useful to see within three feet of us. The basement itself was huge. Once down the set of stairs in the back of the building, it opened up into this gigantic room that had a lot of empty space and rubble in the center. There appeared to be art on the walls, we found that it was definitely a little too dusty, so we donned on our protective gear. And then it happened. We began to hear the noises coming from behind us in the direction we had come from. The next five minutes of my life I remember in horrific, vivid technicolor. Did you guys hear that? Lindsay mumbled under her breath shining her light in the direction of the sound. My head snapped too. Lindsay pointed her flashlight while the others shushed each other trying to get a better listen. It was someone behind us. Then it sounded like footsteps, the rubble making some crunching sound. Our group had managed to make it to the opposite end of the room before we heard the footsteps behind us so it must have been a good hundred feet away from us, which meant we could not see them with our terrible quality flashlights. The air became thick and heavy as we all considered what we should do, as we continued to hear the footsteps in the rubble draw closer. Someone, I'm not sure who, with a quivering but firm voice said, We need to go, guys. And so we all bolted. On the side of the room that we were on, there was another door that led into a hallway that we managed to see was coated with... holes. Bullet holes. In fact, the glass on the windows and the wood in the doors were covered in these holes. And then we saw these red stains in the wall. Stains that we could only assume were blood. I don't know, I couldn't really tell. We were all running, and I was in a panic. 
we ran up the set of stairs that led us back into the main hallway from which we entered. We shoved an old teacher's desk that sat in the hallway down the stairs. Just as we escaped, we heard something toss that desk to the side as someone began to dive and tear through the metal boxes and various piles of wood to come after us. I bit down on my bandana, attempting to keep absolutely silent. I could hear them speak. Where are you? I then watched the figure walk off into the nearby graveyard. Bridget saw it too, saying that she watched the man walk through the graveyard, checking the headstones and checking in the trees that sat there, before vanishing in the distance. Now we have a few theories of what could have happened. Our Scooby gang has mused over the possibilities of what we saw. Our part of the country is well known for drugs. It's a huge problem, but it's really common here. So it wouldn't surprise me if we stumbled upon something illegal. Theory two is that Ohio has the largest rate of serial killers. So that would explain the bullet holes and blood. Theory three would be that we saw something paranormal. That would explain why we didn't see him coming in, and maybe that explains why he walked off into the graveyard. Regardless of who it was or why they were there, I'm just glad we did not end up as victims. I don't think we'll be going back to that school anytime soon. Mist on the Lake From Scared as Heck 123 Location Broken Bow, Oklahoma. This happened when I was about 17. Some friends and I had decided to take a trip to Broken Bow Lake that is located near Oklahoma. It was only a few years ago, and I can remember everything like it was yesterday. It was the summer, and me and six other friends had planned to stay for three nights we planned on camping, fishing, hiking, everything that's fun to do outdoors. We arrived at our usual spot. The coals from our previous trips here were still there in the fire pits. We began to unpack our trucks, setting up our tents next to each other, which was an excuse for me and the guys to get to the girls easier. There were two other guys besides me. They were Aiden and James. We'd all brought along our girlfriends, Macy, Mia, and Alice, respectively. We had unpacked our gear. Relieved that that was done, I decided to take a walk down to the water's edge. I put my feet in the water. It was perfect, the most relaxing filling water. I called back up to everyone, saying that it felt perfect for a swim. Within the space of 30 seconds, we were all in the water, having a great time. After about an hour of swimming, I had an uneasy feeling, because I swear I felt something smooth brush against my leg. I screamed at that moment for everyone to get out of the water. By the time I was on shore, everyone else was there and confused, wondering what had happened. That's when Aiden let out a shriek, went under the water again, then came back up holding what appeared to be a catfish. He had pranked us, making fun of me, saying that all I felt was just a catfish. I blushed with embarrassment. After that, everyone got out of the water, 
drying off on the hot rocks next to the lake. We then got a fire going. It may have been hot, but Watt was camping without a fire. The night went smoothly until about midnight. I made a passing glance toward the lake, but I did a double take and stared when I saw a humanoid shape sitting on the edge of the lake, hunched over. I quickly said to everyone in a loud whisper, Guys, look over there. Immediately they looked, but by the time they did, the figure was gone, and they were starting to think that I was crazy. Now I'd be willing to pass it off as my imagination, but when everyone got into their tents for the night and drifted off to sleep, I began to hear something right outside my tent. I thought it was James or Aiden or one of the girls, until I heard whatever it was beginning to sob. It was not one of my friends. I did not recognize this voice at all. I got out of my blanket slowly. I took a big breath in. Then I cried at the top of my lungs for everyone to wake up. Surprisingly, the creature outside my tent acted oblivious to this, not moving. For a second, you would think that it was made of stone. My friends and I rushed outside of our tents and stood frozen, staring at this abomination for a good ten seconds. It was so skinny, almost skeletal. It was a light gray in color and had no hair on its body at all. Its limbs were extremely thin, with fingers that stretched nearly ten inches. As we stared at it, the most terrifying thing happened. In one swift, barely noticeable motion, it turned and screeched right at us. I had never heard a sound quite like that before. Immediately, my eyes began to water, and my entire back was flooded with goosebumps. I got a good look at its eyes then, which were solid milky white. It had to be blind with eyes like that. Then it sprinted off on all fours right into the lake, and I never saw it again. My friends and I still talk about it at times, but I can't really bring it up without having nightmares the same night. I'll never forget this experience. Who knows what the thing was? But that lake has never been the same to me ever since. Silhouette From Willoughby Lucas 8 Location North Carolina I'm a truck driver, and I've seen a few things that just don't make sense. On a particular occasion, it was about three or four in the morning, and I was driving my rig to Jacksonville, Florida, from Savannah, Georgia. I was somewhere between exit 49 and 36 on I-95 when it started. I was listening to music on the radio, driving in the center lane of the southbound lanes. I happened to look over, and there I saw a figure, more of a black silhouette, standing on the side of the road. But the thing is, it was too lanky, way too lanky. Human in shape, but not quite human, though. Soon enough, I passed it, and I forgot about it. You'd think that was it, but you'd be wrong. 
A couple of miles down the road, there it was again. But this time its head followed my truck. I could feel its gaze on me. It was already going as fast as my truck could go, the speed limit being 80 miles per hour there. But I could not get rid of the feeling as if it wanted me. Five minutes went by, having passed it a second time. Yet still, I couldn't shake the feeling that this thing was still nearby, still watching. And sure enough, I saw it again. This time, it was in the middle of the road in the right lane. At the time, there were other vehicles around me, and one had its headlights on, heading straight for the silhouette. I noticed that the headlights did not shine on the creature, but instead went right through it, as if it wasn't there at all. I thought maybe I was just seeing things, until the car hit its brakes and began to swerve around it. Once the driver regained control, they took off doing at least 100, obviously frightened from what they saw. The creature turned its head towards me as I drew closer. Uncomfortable and frankly a little scared, I did the taboo of moving into the far left lane in a rig. After moving over, the creature shook its head, and as I'm about to pass it, it starts running next to me, staring at me through the window. It keeps up, looking as if it isn't even breaking a sweat. As it was running, it was steadily getting closer to my truck. When it got so close where I couldn't see it due to the height of the windows, I suddenly heard a loud thud and felt the wheels on the truck run something over. When I looked in the mirrors, I saw it go limp in the middle of the road. Then it whisked away like smoke on the wind. 